Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast, hosted and sponsored by the wonderful members over at GrandTheftWorld.com. This week in Grand Theft World news, we're going to cover topics like, remember Martin Luther King? He had a dream. Well, he never lived to see his dream turn into a woke nightmare. This week, Boston unveiled a sculpture attributed to the honor of the good doctor, Martin Luther King. I don't know that the public really appreciates it in his memory. I don't think he would appreciate it in his memory. We'll get into stories like that. It's not that important, but I think it's a sign of the times. Next, we're going to learn about the artist, formerly known as the vice president, and his little Fed Corvette, and where are these documents stored in his garage, where Hunter is probably hanging out doing crack, uh, where these documents have been stored, and how that differs, as the mainstream media will tell you, it's very different than Mar-a-Lago being raided and President, former President Trump and the, all these sort of things. The, the two types of classified documents unsecured at their homes are different, but the same. So we're going to get into stories like that. We also have, there was uh, this news this week of the FAA outage, like 10,000 plus flights all at the same time, simultaneously offline. People stranded, days, weeks, disrupted, families trying to get to see each other, can't see each other, they miss their vacations. And it's due, allegedly, to a guy, little guy, worker B, little Dilbert guy, and he uploaded the wrong file and it took the whole thing offline. Oh, golly geez, that happened. It's an accident. It's incompetent. Sorry about that, won't happen again. Except the next day, uh, across a dotted line over in Canada, same thing happens. So is somebody probing us, someone testing our fences, is someone testing our defenses in the reactive time of taking down infrastructure? Possibly. And might that fit in with a great reset agenda? Possibly. We'll find out about that later tonight. We also have the creation of a new criminal class in America. 40 plus million new felons were created overnight with the stroke of a pen, or maybe they used chat GPT over there at the ATF to write a law. Yes, the ATF apparently now passes laws that make 40 million, 40 million American gun owners, criminals, felons, federal criminals in 120 days. So either become a criminal or register thy firearms. So we're going to have to start learning more about the Second Amendment and keep up with these crazy folks who want everybody to be disarmed and only them to have the guns. I don't know if they've earned our trust to that level. So we're going to have to take a look at stories like that. There's also new Russia Twitter files. There's Pfizer Twitter files. Right now, there's Pfizer, uh, sorry, Fauci files dropping. So there's a lot from the Twitter sphere. And again, none of us have seen the evidence. None of us have seen a WikiLeaks data dump where we can search and query the evidence. Hopefully that's forthcoming. For now, we've got uh, these breadcrumbs that are spread on Twitter. 15-minute um, cities. We talked about it last week. It's not just a World Economic Forum plan. There's a lot more detail to that. So we're going to dig in with a deep dive tonight uh, on that very topic and learn about the bigger agenda, who's behind it, when it might be coming to you, and what those limitations are. And last but not least... We have a special guest tonight. We have, after two years of talking about this topic, we have the truth about Wuhan. We have a whistleblower coming tonight, Dr. Andrew Huff, a former vice president at EcoHealth Alliance who worked for Peter Daszak. So we're going to learn a little bit more about how the pangolin and the, the bat got together at the wet market. No, you're going to hear the real truth. So... Take these things with a grain of salt. Check your facts for yourself. We're not asking anyone to believe. We're asking you to be incredulous enough 
to actually read a book, start looking up the facts, maybe read a few more books, start digging into some of these reports we show on the show every week and get yourself learnified in the light direction. Right now, let's kick off tonight's event with Luke Rudowski. You're going to see not pigs in the mud. Don't make that joke. There are some people stuck in the mud. There's some other people trying to assist. There may or may not be appreciation in that assistance, and then they might get a little pushy. Let's see. Let's kick off with Luke Rudowski of wearechange.org and thebestpoliticalshirts.com. about a sticky situation and even though the cops were slow they still got Greta Thunberg welcome back beautiful and amazing human beings my name is Zuckerdowski here of wearechange.org and we have a lot of absolutely crazy news to get into today of course not just domestically here inside of the United States but internationally as well where of course we have the Davos meeting officially starting lots to talk about that especially with their latest fingerprint ID totalitarian surveillance technology we're going to be talking about that plus a lot more all in this independent media broadcast if you like the shirt that i'm wearing you could get it on thebestpoliticalshirts.com the clip that we played in the beginning of this video was from lutz hartz germany where a random filmmaker was catching the moments where police officers were getting uh stuck in mud to the point where even some protesters were helping them get out of it. What are the people there protesting? Well, they're protesting with Greta Thunberg against coal, against energy, against heat, against electricity that the German government depends on more than ever since, of course, they domestically crippled themselves with green energy policies that have made energy very expensive. And now there's people protesting domestic energy exploration in Germany, which will make energy even more expensive than it already is. Yeah, a uh, very strange world that we're living in that is only getting stranger by the day, especially with the reveal of this monstrosity that was just unraveled in Boston Commons, where they have a new bronze sculpture that is called, quote, The Embrace. This sculpture was supposed to honor MLK, but uh, a lot of people are, are, are questioning the, this kind of honoring as a lot of people are bringing up the fact 
that this modern art sculpture definitely looks like a huge turd or a wiener, which has sparked a lot of conversations and of course memes as well. And this strange world is only getting stranger as Wells Fargo, the country's number one mortgage lender, has just announced that they are going to be giving out loans based on your skin color. In order to quote advanced racial equity, you will now be checked at the door at Wells Fargo with the handy skin color chart to see if you qualify for their business services. I say that facetiously, but that's probably what they're going to be doing here. Since, you know, racism and discrimination, as long as it's against a certain type of group of people, is all, of course, encouraged and pushed on by, of course, the ESG social credit score system, which also prioritizes men taking over a lot of women's roles that the previously women's Miss Universe now has a new transgender owner, which you must accept or else. Welcome to the Miss Universe organization. From now on, it's going to be ran by women. Women. Owned by Juan Suman. For all women. Women. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but, but I lived in simpler times where women didn't have wieners. But hey, that's just me. Maybe I'm just old-fashioned here. And to add to the craziness of our modern society, the new government-funded food pyramid now is telling people that eating high fructose corn syrup seed oil filled Lucky Charms is healthier than eggs and steak. Yes, you heard that correctly. Cheese, eggs, beef, the government doesn't want you eating any of that. Almond M&Ms, yep. Lucky Charms, seed oils, orange juice, almond milk, mini wheat, and of course, Lucky Charms, all scored higher as a designated recommended food by the U.S. government. And this is why more than ever, we are extremely happy to have LukeUncensored.com, our own platform where we get to make our own food pyramid. Let's continue with the story of the big bombshell. We just found out that the president of the United States now lost even more classified documents than previously beforehand. This says, of course, the former president of the United States had his private house raided because, of course, similar allegations, while the current president, of course, just faces a little bit of scrutiny from, of course, the corporate media. And what did you expect? from a Justice Department and Federal Bureau of Investigations that actively is also engaged in the World Economic Forum at Davos. And as the President of the United States stumbles around, a lot of very powerful globalists, internationalists, are going to be meeting in quasi-secret and public meetings in just a few hours at Davos, Switzerland, the highest place in all of Europe, where 5,000 Swiss military men will, of course, be running a full security detail of the entire event using, of course, advanced biometric fingerprint scanning technology to make sure that everyone's digital social credit score is up and aligned with the approved talking points of the internationalist corporate heads and bureaucrats meeting during these elitist comfab meetings. Now, according to CNBC, there's nothing to see here, and Davos is, you know, just a target for conspiracy theorists and anarchists. Nothing to see here as the Swiss military sends thousands of soldiers there 
2,500 global leaders with some of the biggest corporate heads in the world meeting together. This is, of course, their theme for this year is, quote, a very generalized basic B term that absolutely amounts to nothing that says, quote, history at a turning point, government policies and business strategies. This says it's important to note that many at Davos brag about their influence in government and society and how they even have infiltrated many members of governments, cabinets, and parliaments that essentially do their own bidding. CBS News thinks you're a conspiracy theorist if you're concerned about this. This says, of course, many prominent American Politicians and bureaucrats will be in attendance for this meeting, including many high-level government officials, including the governor of Michigan, the governor of Illinois, the government of Georgia, and more importantly, the director of the FBI that, of course, runs a highly partisan police organization that routinely punishes people because of their political beliefs rather than, of course, them actually committing any crimes. Joe Manchin is also going to be in attendance, as well as many other senators and Congress members from the United States. This, as, of course, CNBC doesn't really like to talk about this, but there's also a lot of scams, discredited organizations, and many failures of Davos that, of course, they conveniently cover up so and off the top of my head whether it's their official partnership with FTX which many people believe was a money laundering operation for a lot of special interest countries whether it's their involvement in Ukraine or their involvement in Sri Lanka that absolutely wrecked havoc on that poor country we have to understand here that this group even though they talk about how they want to be there for the people and help the people essentially are in the business of screwing over all the other people that are not them this says of course global income inequality has been increasing dramatically especially with all the billionaires becoming richer than ever within the last few years. This says, of course, it's it's also important to note here with BlackRock and other major financial institutions that are going to be involved here, that there is definitely going to be a lot of wheeling and dealing behind closed doors. Now, of course, there will be some public meetings where randomly someone will brag about all the power and influence that they have, and we, of course, will be keeping a close eye on that and reporting on it as best as we can, as, of course, the public facade is usually a lot different than, of course, what's really happening behind the scenes behind all the PR fluff marketing and propaganda especially from institutions like CNBC that of course work in partnership with a lot of these very powerful forces that usually whitewash a lot of their larger power grabs against the people and with more and more difficult financial times coming our way I think it's important to pay attention to what some of the most powerful people in the world are doing and calling for this as of course there's also going to be a lot of shill YouTubers covering this shindig. Of course, Nas Daily, fresh off of his SBF FTX scandal that he promoted wildly, which in my opinion absolutely discredited him, as well as all these other paid off individuals that probably are just going to be regurgitating a lot of the larger PR talking points, not daring to challenge or question anyone in authority, as of course their job will be just to regurgitate the slop shoved down their pie holes. That's my opinion of it. I might be wrong. I might be surprised. If I am, hey, I'll call it out here. But hey, that's my opinion. That's my take. If you think I'm wrong, let me know why. That's an excellent report coming from an original gangster of the Davos investigative crowd. I think only before people like Luke and Alex Jones went, there was a guy named uh well there's a couple of them i don't want jim tucker and robert galen ross were the main people who had books and went to these conferences 
And it was kind of like a myth. And then journalists like Luke put their feet on the ground. They went to these things. They dealt with the Swiss and the German police. Yeah. And they went and uh, they also encountered mainstream media journalists back then. And uh, they know they're hacks. They know they're not covering. They know they're on the golden golden handcuffs paycheck. They have to say these things or they'll lose their job. They were jealous of Luke because they don't know how to be independent, how to make their own way in the world. So excellent reporting comes from people who are willing to go there and speak the truth about what they see and not base it on here's you know a couple hundred of the richest people in, in the world. And if you want to work for them, you better say nice things about them. So the less you need from that empire, the better. Now, we're going to talk about that same empire. Davos is meeting this week. What is Davos? It's the World Economic Forum's front group, you know, and behind the World Economic Forum on this show, if you're a fan, you know, the Club of Rome's Predicament of Mankind 1970 document led to the World Economic Forum. And then you've got people in the World Economic Forum, like this character, Yuval Noah Harari. He writes books like Homo Deus. And uh, these ideas of cyberneticism taking over humanity, because if, if there's no God, then people like Yuval, they can play God. They can play God with your future. You've also got people here. Here's another World Economic Forum, young leader. This is Christia Freeland. Where do you know that name from? That's right. She's number two under another young global leader from the World Economic Forum named Justin Trudeau. And during the pandemic, during the lockdowns, she had some really interesting things to say about the herd. And here in her book, Plutocrats, the rise of the new global super rich and the fall of everyone else. Do you see what she's saying there? It's like in the subtitle. They have a plan for your future. It's called the Great Reset. Now, if you don't like their plan, which is your right as a human being not to like their plans, you got to make a better plan. So the better plan we got going on this year, it's called the Greater Reset. And it's not the first one. I think the first one was Oh, it was over a year ago. This is the fourth one. And I participated in the first one. And then we started sponsoring. We sponsored the second one. We're also co-sponsors here of the fourth one. And tonight we have one of the organizers, John, the man on the scene, Bush. He is so busy. We should call him Busy Beaver Bush because he's got projects going all the time, servicing many needs, whether it's moving out to the country and get your micro house and, you know, get your uh, urban off the grid lifestyle on or bigger ideas like let's get a group of people together and have a bigger better party than the people over there at davos john how you doing tonight well let's see if this works you're muted uh-huh. this yeah this broke. is how my day started like 10 hours ago double mute there you go how you doing <laughs> good good thanks for having me and thanks so much for y'all's generous uh, contribution to help make make all what we do possible at the greater reset so uh, when what, what what's the dates? What's the website? Let me get LD to get it up on, on screen there for you. And what type of people do you have presenting at your Greater Reset for? Okay, so it's going down January 18th through the 22nd. We, we've shifted into an annual deal, and it'll probably most likely be every January, every year. People can join us in person still in Bastrop, Texas, which is where we hosted the Land Summit. It's just east of Austin. Or you could join Derek and Ramiro. They're hosting the event in Morelia, Mexico. Uh, there's tickets available. You can link to all that at thegreaterreset.org. And then we provide the stream all five days for free online. And people can go to thegreaterreset.org, thegreaterreset.org. The stream will just be there on the homepage when we go live. Uh, but you're better off signing up for our email newsletter so you can get all the updates and you can get notified exactly when we go 
live. Uh, the schedule's on that website as well, thegreaterreset.org. And we kick off every day around 10 a.m. And then we wrap up around five o'clock taking a lunch break. But we got some incredible speakers. I guess one of the bigger names is uh, Mr. Del Bigtree himself, who will be presenting live from Mexico. We have Jack Spearco, my good friend. Uh, we got Fuzzy Pony. I don't know if he still goes by that, but that's his Twitter handle. He's one of the lead developers for Monero. Uh, Mark Moss, who I've been following a lot lately. He does a lot of stuff about the Great Reset and finances. He's got a big following on YouTube. Uh, Alex Zek. There's a whole big cast of characters. And we're really grateful. And I just want to shout out my team because they're the ones that made both of these asks happen uh we got jp sears that will be giving a motivational talk at our saturday night concert and the headliner for that concert is uh zuby who's real popular on twitter and uh, just lays a lot of intellectual haymakers and does a lot of good work waking people up but what what i think is most valuable because these people are all bright minds you can find their work elsewhere is we're bringing them all together on the topic of co-creation and specifically what, what can we do uh, as far as solutions go for the Great Reset. But what's more valuable than that, and I'm sure your listeners and the participants in autonomy know, is the community that we bring together and the connections and the relationships and the networking that takes place. Uh, because at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to create the world we want doing it alone. So perhaps the most important thing for creating a better life for ourselves and a better world for future generations is to find our fellow freedom lovers and to get busy building together with them. And so we are creating a international opportunity for people to do just that. Well, I like what you're doing because there's only so many in real life events that are kind of offered in the freedom and Liberty community that offer solutions. There's a lot to tell you about the problems and that's good to get people aware, but once they're aware, we have to give them constructive things to do that they can mitigate some of these issues out there. Like the, you, the great reset is going to run us over if we don't put up some intellectual resistance to that in a non-aggressive way. So we have to get stronger numbers of people understanding there's people, they have a plan, they wrote it down. You're not in it. If you want a life, if you want a future for your children, your grandchildren, if you want a legacy that resembles freedom in any way, we have to start meeting each other and taking actions in reality so we can leverage online, but it's great for you to host at a conference center. And I've seen the size of your conferences and the, you get all those people together. Now, my next question is because I've seen those conferences from the, the, the video streaming view, right? I get to see into it, which is nice. Um, everyone there is very uh, well dressed, respectful. Is JP going to have to wear two sleeves for this gig? Is... <laughs> I saw a funny video. I mean, it's actually a pretty diverse group. So not everybody's going to be as well dressed as you are there, Mr. Grove. There's actually quite a few, you know, hippies and rabble rousers in the mix, but yeah, you're no, he'll right. He'll probably There's wear a tank top. He'll probably wear a tank top. I was just poking fun <laughs> at his news reporter gig where he only has one sleeve. And you know, yeah. I was, I was trying to be funny because uh, this is a comedy show. No I don't sleeves. know. You didn't get the memo. This is a comedy show, John. No, it's you're a funny news. guy. You're a funny guy. <laughs> like Mr. a clown, Grove. like a clown. <laughs> Thank you. I did your, uh, your, your free, um, mindset thing earlier um i was impressed and it was actually it came at a really much needed time because you mentioned how much stuff i do and how i got all these busy projects and stuff i think there's times when i overdo it and when i pile so much on that things start to have a lot of friction 
And then I find myself being short with family members and not giving my lovely wife the attention that she deserves. And um, I appreciated your lecture because there's a lot of struggle and adversity that I'm facing in my life right now. And I get the choice. I get the opportunity to choose whether it kills me, crushes me, causes me to just go into just a total state of panic and overwhelm, or I leverage the adversity, find the lessons that are there, how I can improve moving forward uh, and how I can be a better version of myself. So I'm always aware of all that information, but to hear somebody else present it, it really just hits home and it was some much needed medicine. So thank you so much. Yeah, I think it's good for our audiences to see that uh, we're continually growing, learning, triggering our complexity. Uh, what you've learned to do since the first uh, Great Reset, Greater Reset. Uh, you guys have all grown and your team has become more competent. Your audience has grown. You really have a significant, substantial international offering. I mean, to run a conference, not only live streaming, but two live events is remarkable. Yeah, that's something that's unique about what we do. And I think this year will probably... Uh, hit it out of the park more so than past years, because it, there is, like you said, a lot of complexity to that. And, you know, an online only event is pretty dang simple. Um, I'm not going to say it's easy, but there's not a ton of stuff that goes into it. An in-person event, a little more challenging. Sometimes it's actually easier because you don't have to worry about the stream and the tech and that stuff. And then when you do the in-person online hybrid, that's where things start to get complicated, especially something that I learned from the Tony Robbins and Grant Cardone, when I would watch their online events, because a lot of people were forced to innovate during the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people yeah. stepped into victim mode and blamed the lockdowns of the pandemic. Meanwhile, many other people, myself included, found success that we never had before, had our best years, right? So it's all about, you know, what becoming anti-fragile, right? But when you mix in an in-person, two in-person events in Mexico and, uh, and Texas, and it's online. Uh, and I was going to share earlier, I, I learned from Tony Robbins and Grant how you can actually bring up Zoom participants and then they can speak, they can ask a question and the in-person audience hears them too, and they can interact with the speakers. That was something that I was blown away with and really upped the experience. So I was like, how can I do that at my events? But nonetheless, yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but it's really cool and really special to be bringing together this audience. And, and not only that, uh, we also do these activation hubs. So we're mm -hmm. very strongly pushing people to come to the in-person events. I know it's late in the game for many people's logistics and, and planning, but there's uh, you can link up at the Freedom Cell Network. You can connect with people at thegreaterreset.org, and you can either join or if there's not one in your area, you can host a little hub. And it could be going to the restaurant. It could be renting a space, or it could just be getting together with some Freedom people or your local Freedom Cell group and watching at your house or at the office or whatever. So it's all about bringing the people together in real life. And I think a lot of people in our movement lose sight of the importance of that. And then after uh, Zuby's playing, apparently you got this new guy, DJ Autonomous. You're taking a chance. You're giving us <laughs> this, this DJ who's an old bottle of wine with a new handle, right? That's right. <laughs> Remarketing That's going right. on there. How, how, in, in what variety of ways does it help your audience to have some music and some theme and some some vibes is it like a communal sense is it a tribal or ritual or what yeah. do you think it adds to it because i know like church uses music other places use yeah. music maybe not even as effectively but if you get somebody to get something upbeat and now when i'm receiving that information i'm open to listening and learning and i'm in that that flow mode of exchange that's what people are all about uh that's a new addition in the last year or so 
congratulations for upping your game. You're like Tony Robbins now, bro. <laughs> got a little room to grow. Um, we're super excited to have DJ Autonomous. Really stoked for him to be um, sharing some tunes and then also doing the DJ interludes in between speakers. And for those not aware, DJ Autonomous is none other than the Joshua Hale, capital T-H-E, Joshua Hale. That guy's a swell guy. But yeah, the music really makes a big difference. And Joshua came down for the Land Summit and uh, did music when the speakers were coming on and off. And that's another thing I picked up from Funnel Hacking Live. That's Russell Brunson's event and all these Tony Robbins things. They're like putting on a show. It's not just some educational thing. Let's all fall asleep and wonk out together. It's entertainment. And so that's something that we're trying to bring. And you're, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to the music. There's this added vibe and connection that takes place. And I realized that me and Rebecca just got married recently. And we had this show with these performers doing like fire spinning and all this stuff. But we also had just a DJ playing disco and pop music and Michael Jackson and my family, you know, my mom's lineage is from Mexico. So we had some Tejano mixed in, you know, but it turns out we cut the dancing part a little short for my liking. And we had this nice hippie performance that went on and on. And I was like, dang, because when everybody's out on the dance floor jamming together and bringing two families together, right, or bringing a bunch of freedom lovers together, there's a bond, I think, that gets cemented. So anyway, when our anniversary comes around, we're going to have a giant dance party to make up for it. But yeah, having music, Zuby, I'm going to do a little freestyle, DJ Autonomous, my friend Mike Winters coming down. He's a DJ as well. It's definitely a good opportunity for people to have fun and to really see that it's not just about fighting or who understands the philosophy the best or whatever. It's just about getting together and, and making new friends and relating to one another. Well, and it's also like the cross-pollination. You're going to have like Jack Spierko fans there. You're going to have other local fans there. You're going to have Dell Big Tree fans there. You're going to have fans of your work there, of course, and maybe people that went to the Land Summit but haven't gone to the Greater Reset, right? They find out about these things. So it's a couple meetings away. And what you're also demonstrating for the audience is your continued investment in your own learning. So you can keep, you know, expanding your boundaries of liberty and freedom and the lifestyle that you have for you and your family and to be able to move forward and show other people, not through just, you know, talking, you're showing them by example, you're getting them outside saying, this is how you can do it on a small piece of property. And this is the structure you would need for your family and these sort of things that you help people find the answers to. So I think it's really important. I'm glad to see you thriving and having this fourth one. I'm thinking it's uh, three days away. So if people find out about it, they can drive. If they're within a couple hours, and if not, uh, where can they get the online linkage? Yeah, thegreaterreset.org has all the details. Uh, you can register for the Mexico event. It's a pre-registration. Derek is all so agorist. He won't even take cards or anything. Um, I'll definitely take your money via credit card. No qualms there. But uh, thegreaterreset.org will link you to the Mexico sign up or you can get tickets at the Texas event. We actually started a three-day pass also. So you could buy five-day pass. There's also a VIP pass, get all sorts of special perks, um, or you can come with a three-day pass. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, for those of you that have to work during the week. But again, you can watch for free at thegreaterreset.org, thegreaterreset.org. There's an email newsletter there. In fact, you can sign up shortcut at thegreaterreset.org slash email, thegreaterreset.org slash email. That way you'll be notified when we go live. You'll hear all the updates, hear all the cool info that goes on behind the scenes. And once again, super uh, grateful for autonomy and you guys uh, sponsoring and contributing because we're able to give away the stream for free 
these events don't make a lot of money. In fact, that this app might be a loser for my company and all the like all the uh, manpower that we're diverting at it. Right. But there's all sorts of benefits and we do it, you know, because we care. It needs to be but done. at the end of the day, yeah. we're able to pull this stuff off because of the sponsors. So I just want to thank you again for the financial contribution. It really makes it, this more accessible for as many people as possible. So people can absolutely watch for free online at thegreaterreset.org. I really like that movie back in the day, Pay It Forward. That whole yeah. sort of idea. I don't like Kevin Spacey anymore, but that was a good idea. <laughs> and I, I try to do that where I can. You're also going to see uh, plenty of autonomy graduates at either site because there's plenty in Mexico and there's plenty in Texas. So you're going to have good support. If you need anything, please just ask any of my graduates and tell them I said for you to ask them. <laughs> They'd be happy to cool. help you out. If they're there on the scene, they want to be useful. They want to display their culture of excellence. There are no excuses attitude. They'd be happy to give you a hand. Um, I'm proud to sponsor your event and uh, I want it to be a success. So let me know if there's anything else I can do and good luck on uh, the 18th. And I want to see the streaming link. I got time on my schedule hole poked so I can uh, take in the best parts of it. Cool. All right. Thanks for everything, Richard. All right. Thanks for popping in tonight. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Take care. All right. Peace. Bye. All right. Now it's me, Tony and LD. And we got Cody. He's our streamer. All right. So now moving forward, we got a ton of news that's happened in the last week. So we can spin a wheel. We can throw some darts. There are stories we got to cover later. We'll probably do the, the Twitter files, the Pfizer files, the Fauci files after our special guest tonight, uh, the whistleblower from EcoHealth Alliance. And if you have followed this podcast since episode one a couple of years ago, you know all about EcoHealth Alliance. And if you don't know about EcoHealth Alliance, we'll, we'll lay the groundwork before we get to that interview uh, in a little bit. But I'm just thinking um, maybe the little Fed Corvette, because that's not a big story. But do so you want to go to Christy Lee first? She has her medium yeah. malfeasance. Yeah, she probably she probably hits on it in there. Yeah, because the, the gist is like, I wouldn't make a big deal. I don't care if Biden has you know, documents by his Corvette. I don't care if Obama has 30 million documents in like some old bowling alley or whatever he does. But when they made a big deal about the orange man bad, I just feel like fair's fair. Is anyone raiding Delaware or wherever Biden's place is? I don't know. Whatever. These people are wild. Let's go to Christy Lee in this week and not media malfeasance. She's got uh, like her top hits of the week. Let's check it out. And then we'll be back to continue the show. Yet one more example of why in Washington, D.C., if it were not for double standards, there wouldn't be any standards at all. Well, this graphic didn't age well. It was already missing some more material delineations, but we'll get to that in a moment. Bringing you what's ignored, sensationalized, misleading, or just plain false, here's your media malfeasance for the week. CNN and other Pravda media were quick to keep the spotlight on Orange Man Bad when news came out this week that classified docs were discovered in Biden's possession. And the excuses grow along with the bad news for Biden. It was just a small amount. Trump had more. As if that would make a difference. What if among Biden's small amount, there were the nuclear secrets that the media speculated Trump had, but were never able to collaborate? Biden was cooperating. He turned them over right away. Really? The documents were from his time as VP about six years ago and possible several shuffling around the papes from one place to another. And since he was VP at the time, he didn't have the absolute authority to declassify. Trump as president did have that authority. The AP, CNN and others chose to leave that point but, out. But 
Biden had the docs locked up in a private office, not a residence like Trump. Uh, yeah, but it was at a University of Penn think tank, which has received more than $60 million from China, who all had access. What were SCI level documents doing outside of the required skiff? The small amount narrative got busted when even more classified material turned up in a garage. Classified material next to your Corvette? What were you thinking? Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. That also obliterated it wasn't a residence defense. Never mind, Trump's private residence is a secure property protected by the Secret Service, not a garage. What's worse is it might not even be Joe Biden's garage, but rather his son Hunter, who is under federal investigation right now. New York Post reporter Miranda Devine highlighted a Hunter Biden background screening with the corresponding address listed. We don't know what really happened here. We don't know how many documents there were. For all we know, there could be uh, triple the number of documents that Donald Trump had. Yeah, and it's just uh, totally irresponsible. In light of the security breach, Republican lawmakers are demanding President Joe Biden release visitor logs from the Wilmington, Delaware home, according to Epic Times. So the latest excuse is, this is all Trump's fault. <laughs> no, seriously, the looming arrival of Trump to the White House left many of Obama and Biden's aides wary of the future and eager to cement many of their accomplishments. That's from CNN's article Friday titled Biden's whirlwind final days as vice president had aides scrambling to close his White House office. He was just way too busy and terrified of the incoming Trump presidency to handle classified docs with care. In other words, in the legal manner. And he just plump forgot about it these past several years. As Red State points out, weren't we assured CNN is getting back to hard news and unbiased reporting? So why is CNN trying to justify a city president doing illegal things. Ms. Pelosi? Uh, we believe in the rule of law, and that's what our country is about, and no person is above the law, not even the president of the United States. And because no one is above the law, A.G. Merrick Garland appoints a special counsel to investigate Biden's alleged mishandling of classified docs. But wait, the first Biden classifieds were discovered November 2nd, and Garland appointed a special counsel to investigate Trump two weeks later. That's strange. Why did he wait until now? Senator John Kennedy has questions. Aside from the obvious that uh, the Justice Department is investigating President Trump for something that President Biden himself may have done, there are a lot of other intriguing questions for the Inspector General. Number one, was there a cover-up? Um, uh, the powers that be have known about all this since November 2nd. Uh, I'm not surprised that the attorney general has appointed a special counsel. I'm not sure he had a choice. Who is this attorney appointed to investigate Biden, handpicked by the same guy who authorized a raid on Trump's home? Robert Herr. Where have we heard that name before? Oh, he was a former partner of corrupt Christopher Wray and Rod Rosenstein's top lieutenant. Cash Patel says her is a government gangster involved in the Trump-Russia collusion lie and actively suppressed a memo he and Devin Nunes released exposing the hoax. He is the same guy who vetted retired British spy Christopher Steele, a disgraced spy who was fired by the FBI and hired actual Russian spies on behalf of Hillary Clinton's campaign to make information up on Trump, according to PJ Media.
What's even more shocking, not really, is we haven't seen any investigation leaks in this case. We, you watched them leak photos of sitting out files of President Trump. Where's the photos of President Biden's documents? Where are those photos at? He knowingly knew this happened going into election, going into interviews. This is what makes America not trust their government. You cannot have one form of law because somebody philosophically has a different opinion than you, and you can't use the Justice Department to go after people that are politically different as well. Speaking of leaks, the Twitter files keep dripping out the depravity of our government whether or not the major networks report on the dumps. Another Matt Taibbi thread provides further evidence that Twitter was aware that claims of Russian bots on the platform made by Democrats and the media were wildly exaggerated or outright fabrications. Nevertheless, Twitter continued to indulge the Democrat and mainstream media push conspiracy theory in public, according to Breitbart. And earlier this week, Musk tweets, some conspiracies are actually true, to preface Pfizergate. In Alex Berenson's thread, he exposes how Scott Gottlieb, a top Pfizer board member, used the same Twitter lobbyist as the White House to suppress debate on COVID vaccines, including from a fellow head of the FDA. We learn actual doctors sharing verifiable data were suppressed if it caused jab hesitancy. Well, fake doctors, yes, fake, flourished. Deplatformed dissenters are taking legal action against legacy media for being complicit. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. of Children's Health Defense, Trial Site News, Gateway Pundit, and others have filed a lawsuit targeting the Trusted News Initiative, a partnership between the media giants and big tech companies. It says members of TNI, like WAPO, the AP, BBC, and more, engaged in a group boycott against small independent news publishers by denying them access to internet platforms they need to compete and even survive in the online news market. Their definition of misinformation hasn't withheld the test of time and accuses TNI of violating the First Amendment and antitrust laws. Meanwhile, legacy media reports on another trove of coincidental deaths, particularly in young men or athletes. An 18-year-old rugby league star, a 20-year-old college tennis player, a 21-year-old football-playing Air Force cadet. Red Voice Media has 40 examples of sudden collapses since January of 2021. Public schools start screening athletes for heart problems while pretending this is normal, according to the Liberty Daily. The death of Lisa Marie Presley drew speculation, but Snopes is quick to shut that down without any actual investigation. Legacy media demands you be content with cause unknown or any other possible reason for the coincidence epidemic. Perhaps traffic noise, air pollution, hot weather, cold weather, or humid weather. Meanwhile, and we are just getting word of this now, regarding the COVID vaccine, the CDC is now saying that there has been enough cases of people who have had the vaccine, received the vaccine, and then suffered a stroke. The agency will now be investigating any potential links between the shots and the strokes in some of those patients. So the CDC is going to essentially investigate itself. Cool. 
a new way to attack Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, assigned to cover the re-election campaign of Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, Miles Cohen, a young ABC News reporter, found himself stymied. The governor would not grant him an interview. Aides barred him from some campaign events and interrupted his conversations with supporters. And they won't let the blatantly false don't say gay bill narrative die either. The Indianapolis Star has joined a long line of news outlets that find it easier to frame Florida's Parental Rights and Education Act as the don't say gay bill than to read the three-page piece of legislation according to Daily Signal. Again, in what world is it okay for a journalist to consistently refer to a bill by what critics call it than its actual name? A phrase that's not even in the bill. For more media malfeasance highlights throughout the week, join my community on localschristileetv.locals.com and stop buying products from companies who hate you. Support a sponsor and switch to American-made products you're buying anyway. Fill out the form on patriotswitch.com slash christileetv to learn more. For KLIM.news, I'm Christy Lee. So, Merrick Garland had that information on november 2nd yep and two weeks later he launched an investigation to trump yeah but it turns out trump didn't do the thing and maybe mm. biden did and it was just like them running cover misdirection look over there as they stole the thing right usag yep. attorney general and uh, like, wasn't he also the one that said like you know white maga people the greatest oh, yeah. terrorist threat in america or something like that you know yeah he's a big fan of freedom Merrick Garland. <laughs> yeah. So that was interesting. That caught, that caught my attention. And then that whole thing about Carter Page, who was um um thinking back to the research on this. This has been years now, but pretty sure it wasn't he the like a CIA informant and they weren't allowed to tell. And then they they blamed him for like some Russia thing. But it turned out there's nothing to it. But they lied to people for two years. So they think there was something right. That's still going on. Just like the PP gate dossier and Christopher Steele and all the other stuff she's talking about. It's like they made up some lies in like 2016. And those lies are still being discussed six years later and haven't been put the rest yet. Which brings me to my next point. All these. um uh, different ways that you can cause heart attacks and blood clots, whether it's global warming or, you know, having too much sunlight or breathing too much air or whatever they make up next. Right. I was trying to think like, how does the audience discern whether or not these people are just incompetent and well-meaning, or if they're actually lying to you and they're evil. And I thought about it for a second. What I wrote down was the people who are well-meaning and intending good for you, if you give them corrective information, they integrate it and they say, oh, I'm sorry, didn't mean that here. Let me fix that. These other people that we're talking about, they make excuses, they lie, they gaslight, they misdirect. They don't take any accountability for anything that's going on. And they keep telling us bullshit like, oh, sidewalks create heart attacks or whatever the new normal is this week that they're going to try to convince people of. I don't think they're acting like innocent people who accidentally had a lab accident. They look more like people who are trying to do Grand Theft World. It's Every day, winter, they're proving just, my point. It's just winter vagina. I don't know if you've heard that one, but that was another excuse for. I have seen know, some potential side complex, effects of the vaccines. I've seen some but, complex memes in the past couple of days. There was one I posted the LD earlier. Yeah. It's like four different memes into one. 
and the most recent being the MLK, but it goes back a couple of years. And I said, the history and evolution of what composites this meme is really a fascinating. You could teach a college course on that. (laughs) (laughs) You could actually. Michelle Obama, she is a... Corn Pop was a bad man. (laughs) So anyway, there's a lot of shenanigans these people have been up to. That FAA outage... I don't think that's accidental. They just had those power outages a couple of weeks ago. It's almost like maybe a foreign country, maybe a foreign it needs super to national con- group is testing America's defenses. Because if they take out our infrastructure, they be globalists. There's NATO. been next class solar flare this week, some major, major solar activity. It could just mm. be a cover for the fact that the sun is very variable right now as we reach solar maximum. I'm not they saying use it, it is their street cred. So it's one of those things where it's one of those ways in which if there's variability with something that's outside of the control of humans, it might be a way for them to play cover of it. But that's only a potential hypothesis. It very much could be the two best hypotheses. It's variability due to, you know, uh, plasma streams. It's uh, uh, solar flares, CMEs that have been going wild over the past couple, over the past two weeks. Uh, Is it too late to make Faraday cages or what's our deal? There's not much that can be done if if some of the people portending the future are right at all. But nonetheless, I know there's been major, major solar activity. Um, but on top of that, that's only one potential hypothesis. The second best or the next one that's just as reasonable is exactly what you're saying. Exactly. I just wanted to throw that in as a contending possibility is that there's major, major solar activity happening currently. That also could be for the reason for grounding the flights. But there's not substantial evidence one way or for or against, but I think those are the two best hypotheses, either solar activity and a cover-up in regards to that, to sack them like there was some, oh, incompetence or possibly some bad Well, they try, they try to explain it like, oh, some guy tripped over a plug and took out right. some, but, but they really, they say that he updated some file and it took down the whole thing. It so that points out the single, the single point of failureness it of it, or oh, yeah. it could be, you know, they do uh, penetration testing, nations on nations. There is oh, yeah. a, there is a nation that ag- spies aggressively against this country this might even go back to the shenanigans like 9-11 and the people that participated in such things who still probably have a will to power just well, cyber polygon used mostly russian firms as far as their hacking simulation uh when it comes to setting who, up the infrastructure who the patsies so. will be yeah <laughs> so yeah they set up the patsies you got it so i mean that's yeah. very that's just as reasonable as a hypothesis as solar variability so but both have to be considered Right on. Well, we'll just look if other infrastructure things start, you know, going on yeah. and off and we start seeing patterns to it and we match it up to these people who have an agenda and say they want to turn these things off for us. Right. Because no planes flying means less carbon output, whatever their, you know, made up cockamamie system is that they call a great reset. You know, someone, now Paul Joseph Watson covered this. Someone flew a private jet 21 kilometers just to go to Davis last year. 21 kilometers. Couldn't take a car well, It's all about the arrival, dude. You don't want to be picked up at the train station when you got a jet. <laughs> <laughs> he probably even had his jet at the place in Davos and was like, move it to another airport. I'll yeah, take the Bentley fair. over there. That way I can fly in. Uh, <laughs> I remember the time there was um like this global warming conference, like a Greta conference, right? And they had like the performer known as Will I Am. And he flew in on like some giant helicopter that that I think he owned that could seat 30 people, but he had like three or four people or whatever. Like it was just idiotic for him to come in using that much petrol, petrol, gas, diesel, airline fuel, whatever you want to call it, aviation fuel, kerosene. Uh, and then other people like have to walk to work and ride bikes. And they got these battery powered bikes that you're supposed to use. And 
Wow, let's all share things during a time of pandemic. That's going to go real well. We don't use our hands on the on the grips or anything. Oh my god. It's for your good, all this irrationality and nonsense and 1984isms. It's like effective altruism but the 1980s version edition. Of- it's like ineffective and- altruism, actually. <laughs> you know, there's when, a whole we When they get- say they're going to do good and they fuck you up, that's not that's, and hide behind it's called the an ineffective cover. ethic. We discussed that earlier today. Yeah, that's ultimately what it is, yeah. That's uh, we could talk all night about effective altruism and all that sort of nonsense. But there's a whole subsection tonight on the show. We won't get to it, but just getting into more details about how the rush gate um, more and more has been proven that we already know is a hoax, but more and more has been found out about how evidence. deep the hoax yeah. actually how goes. they did it. More evidence, exactly. Yeah, well, CIA blocked release of key Russia gate documents. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of different sort of stories talking about it. Key Russia gate talking points collapse. Uh, in regards to, I guess that probably comes from the Twitter files. I don't know where that's coming from, but Jimmy Dore and a couple other commentators, like Redacted, talked about it, and a whole bunch of different people. Were sort well, of when you follow that. back, what's the history and evolution of the CIA and who pulls its strings? Then you can follow. If the CIA is doing something, then you know the people above them that created and used the CIA as their agency are up to something too, because those strings connect. They connect transatlantically. So that's going to be interesting, too. All right. Before we go to Russell Brand and money, we can't follow because that's an interesting topic. I want to show off something that we're all proud of. i got a browser here. This is uh, Jay Dyer's much vaunted, much sought after philosophy 101. Now, he just got this page up. We are just testing it out. You guys are some of the first people in the world to see it. I want to say, for my part, it's not philosophy 101. I think this is a mis- mistitling. I really think of it as like philosophy unleashed because a philosophy 101 course, they give you kind of some useless information that you can't make sense of. Jay actually lays out over 12 weeks, dozens and dozens of hours put into just the presentation of this, let alone the hundreds and thousands of hours of research that it takes to have a coherent evolution in history of the origins of philosophy, the uses of philosophy, the different ways to look at it over time and how that has uh, been brought about to what we have today, which is almost an absence of philosophy on the objective logic and reason side and an overabundance of woke philosophy that is irrational and is made up day by day as people are like, I think we should bring racism back. And then here's a justification. And then it gets wokeified and, and spread out. And then all of a sudden you have a bunch of communist socialist ideas where you become the property in action. You need to be able to stand your own ground. It helps to have a foundation in philosophy because it's a method to find truth. When you get down to it, philosophy is there because you love truth enough to go and learn how to find it because it's valuable. So if you're interested in things like that, there is uh, the landing page. We'll link it up in the notes. It is uh, a longer one, so we'll get a shorter uh, URL for this. I'm sure Jay has a link on his page. I just wanted to show it off. Now you know it exists. You can go look for it and see why this is not your father's philosophy, right? So uh, well done. I'm proud of everyone who helped to produce and edit the course. And of course, Jay did a flawless job in presenting the course over those 12 weeks. And uh, he's a juggernaut. He's another guy, just like John Bush, in action all the time, doing something productive, like very little wasted time in his week. Those 168 hours are being harnessed very well. All right. So now let's go to Russell Brand for this this story. It keeps getting weirder and weirder every week, but I'm just saying Grand Theft World is like me standing here with my, my baseball glove 
and the the new world order comes out every week and they play catch. They throw me a ton of stories. There's all these sort of things going on where they're just proving the point that for the past 15, 16 years, I've been trying to articulate using references. Now they're just coming out and saying the quiet part out loud. So I think everybody needs to listen and then share these types of clips with your friends. And if you think the show's too long, feel free to learn how to do some video editing, make your clips. We also have people on our side to take shorter clips and distribute them out to other websites, but we always need more help with that. So if you, the audience, want to take that on, yay freedom. All right, let's go to Russell Brand, Rusty Rockets on Twitter, and let's check out uh, his recent report on this money we can't follow. Maybe we should try a little harder. Stay free. See it first on Rumble. It's not often in this crazy world, is it, Gal, that we get to bring people some good news with that we get to welcome a genuine hero someone who is a crusader for truth mm. justice and the american way not superman or batman or any of those people in this case it's adam Andrzejewski, founder of open the books who are an organization that filed fifty thousand freedom of information requests last year to help people find the truth you know when stuff's classified and you simply can't find out the truth because the truth is not expedient to the interests of the powerful well adam is a person that ensures as best he can that we have access to the truth which means of course he was cancelled by forbes <laughs> for uh, making revelations about Anthony Fauci, who you might have heard of. He's a person who works for the government. He's got a lot of knowledge around medicine. Uh, Adam, thanks for joining us. Well, Mr. Brand, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. I really like you already. <laughs> I, don't get to meet, I don't get to meet very many Hollywood uh, stars. You know, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Illinois. It's the Super Bowl of corruption. So we meet a lot of corrupt politicians. We do our best to hold them accountable to hard facts. But it is great to be on your program here today. Thank you for acknowledging me as a genuine star. <laughs> now, uh, Fauci was the highest paid government employee in 2019. So well done, Fauci family. We are of the understanding that his daughter used to work at Twitter. We're waiting for confirmation of that. Um, Musk, Elon Musk, I mean, suggested that Fauci, because you know Musk is, it's never another Musk, is it? Mm. Like not a Musk deer. No. Uh, Musk or a Musketeer. Uh, Musk suggested Fauci should be prosecuted. Uh, what do you think? And why do you think Elon Musk said that? And, you know, no, come on, mate. Well, Elon Musk has been throwing some bombs lately. That's for sure. I think one thing about OpenTheBooks.com that I just want to lay on the table right away: we're all about hard facts, no spin. Uh, Mr. Brent, think of us as a Public Information Act machine, and you've got millions of your awakening wonders in your audience, and you're on a discovery voyage with them. We want to provide the fuel. So, like you said in the introduction, last year we filed fifty thousand. Freedom of Information Act requests to capture over the course of the last two years, $19 trillion worth of federal, state and local spending. And we do this primarily so regular people can follow the money. So we ourselves, your listening audience, so we can hold the powerful accountable, Republicans, Democrats and unelected bureaucrats. So I think there's like three keys to the public health space in America. Number one, the first key is is that it has a culture of secrecy. And today we'll talk about the secret revenue stream that our auditors at OpenTheBooks.com uncovered, $1.4 billion of these secret hidden third-party royalties over at the National Institutes of Health. The second key is just what you put on the table with the Fauci's. So if, if U.S. public health was a game show, if it was a reality TV show, I think we'd have to call it Meet the Fauci's. Dr. Anthony Fauci and his wife, Christine Grady, most people don't know that she was the chief, is the chief bioethicist at the National Institutes of Health. Here's the third key 
It is a target-rich environment for waste, fraud, corruption, and taxpayer abuse across the entire public health complex. And today, we've got some ridiculous examples of just how bad it is. My God, you're brilliant. I was thinking, we should have you on every week, yeah. every day, really. They should be me. Just come here instead. Get out, you. Yeah. <laughs> it's Adam now. Uh, Adam won't surprise me. Well, he will surprise me with seven facts. He's just he hit me so hard with so many facts. All right, mate. So how come you got kicked out of Forbes magazine after eight years? And uh, what? how come people at the National Institute of Health uh, were getting in touch with you to shut you down? Is it because you were revealing information that was not helpful to the interests of the powerful? That's true. So Forbes didn't want anything to do with our oversight of Dr. Anthony Fauci. So I was, you know, Forbes treated me well for eight years until I started writing about Fauci. I wrote three columns over the span of three weeks. And those are the last columns I ever wrote at Forbes. Uh, So, you know, I was there eight years. I put up 206 investigations for about 20 million page views. These columns were very popular. And as a testament to the quality of the work, Forbes has left my author archive live. Extraordinary, mate, that that's happened. Uh, what I suppose that I want to understand, mate, is that uh, can you just tell me a little more about the, N- the NIH's 30 billion government grants and the 56,000 recipients and the way that these royalties uh, operate and how they are distinct from, I don't know, bribes? Well, Mr. Brand, I think during the pandemic, the American people, we kind of got the sense, the feeling that big government was very close to big pharma. And because of our work at OpenTheBooks.com, now we know just how close they are. NIH, the National Institutes of Health, is actually a revolving door. Every year, they dole out about $32 billion worth of grants to about 54,000 healthcare entities across the United States. Think pharmaceutical companies, universities, research outfits, the entire public health complex. That buys you a lot of friends. That buys you a lot of allies. And now, because of our federal, our Freedom of Information Act request, followed by our federal lawsuit to enforce it, we now know, coming back through the other door, over the course of the past 12 years, has been $1.4 billion worth of these hidden secret third-party royalties that enrich the agency, its leadership, and 2,400 of its scientists. So I suppose this is comparable in a sense to the FDA's ability to regulate the pharmaceutical companies that it is funded by, or at least in large part funded by, that when there are so many financial incentives, it's difficult to maintain the idea that these organizations are in any way objective. And ultimately, it appears that these, the, that these, information, that these organizations are interlocked, that so they have the same agenda. And when that is coupled with the... Uh, the, the uh, consequences that you suffered for your free columns, it seems like information is being controlled. It appears, like, uh, it appears that people are being financially rewarded. It starts to sound very much like corruption. Um, can I ask you, Adam, I, I, I would start calling you mister because I'm loving this Midwest mm. manners thing. I'm loving it. I'm lo- and it's getting a lot of love in the chat, let me tell you. Um, I hear that Moderna plans to um, a 4,000% markup for its COVID vaccines. That seems a bit expensive. What do you think about it? So Moderna is actually suing the National Institutes of Health. Uh, You know, the National Institutes of Health, I guess, is suing Moderna because Moderna left three NIH scientists off of its patent application. So this is a big dispute between the healthcare agency and Moderna. I read the 2021 annual report at NIH, and they profited big time 
through the license to Pfizer for the COVID vaccine. Their third-party royalties in 2021 doubled to $127 million in 2021 because uh, Pfizer licensed COVID vaccine technologies invented at the taxpayer-paid labs over at the National Institutes of Health. NIH is claiming that Moderna actually uh, did not recognize that technology, and they're suing them to get on the patents at Moderna. So stay tuned. This is going to be a big legal fight unless they can work it out. And it doesn't look like they can work it out because this has been going on for the last two years. Now, look, and this is why we need transparency on that third-party paid royalty database. Uh, Incredibly, although NIH produced 3,000 pages of information, they redacted key information that we need to follow the money. We still can't follow the money. They redacted the name of the third-party payer, so we don't know which pharmaceutical company actually paid the individual scientists. We don't know the amounts the individual scientists, like the leadership, like Fauci, like Collins, like 2,400 scientists received. And they also redacted and blacked out the inventions, the license numbers and the patent numbers. Those scientists were paid by us, the American taxpayer. They invented these things in taxpayer-funded labs. And NIH is redacting this. Yeah, I mean, it's redacted so much that if we didn't employ forensic data scientists, these disclosures would have been absolutely worthless. I dislike the paternalism inherent in these behaviours. Gareth, what do you think? Well, I was going to say, Fauci's denied so far, hasn't he, about these royalties. And I guess the reason that he's been able to deny them so far in Congress to other, you know, other congressmen, other politicians is because of these redactions. And I just, it's, it's incredible, isn't it, that, that these can still take place when we know now that there's a relationship where people like Anthony Fauci are getting paid money from pharmaceutical companies and we are not, we are not being given the data on that. How does that happen in, in, a, in a world where questions can be asked in Congress and yet these documents can still be redacted in the ways that they are? So we launched our report on the third party royalties in May. And that's when Mr. Brand did that great podcast, 15 minutes on the situation. And it immediately led 36 hours after our release to congressional hearings, a powerful hearing in House Appropriations, where the acting director, Lawrence Tabak, he was there to get his budget from Congress. But he had to face questions on the third party royalty report that we issued. And he admitted that, yes, every single one of those 56,000 payments over the course of the last 12 years has the appearance of a conflict of interest. And that's actually our position. Uh, Mr. Brand, you can doubt if I say something, but when the government official says it, it's gotta be the truth. And so that's why uh, Congress, you know, in the hearings with Fauci, with US Senator Rand Paul, he is saying that Congress wants to make sure that we get an unredacted database. And in 2005, the Associated Press got an unredacted database that was 17 years ago, and they found that Fauci had burned down all the firewalls. He had received $45,000 worth of royalties for an AIDS therapeutic that he had invented. As the director of the agency, he had invested another $36 million of taxpayer money to enhance his invention. And he, once this was exposed, he said he would donate his royalties to charity. His deputy director, Clifford Lane, said he wouldn't, de- he wouldn't donate his $45,000 of royalties to charity. He was going to keep it. So look, that's just one instance, one, one example of the last time when we were able to follow the money. We can't follow the money now, and we need congressional action.
Signor Andrzejewski, I could see why they have to tightly control the narrative when so much of the information that's revealed through your intrepid research and tenacity is so detrimental to the version of reality that they would have us believe. When I think of the way that Fauci has been celebrated, lauded, presented as a counter-cultural figure almost, as a truth-teller, as a legitimate scientist and doctor, that is deeply at odds with many of these revelations. I wonder if you can take a, a little deeper, uh, Monsieur Andrzejewski, into uh, the nature of these COVID aid programs, the 3.6 billion COVID stimulant pa payments, and the, where some of those payments ended up. So the COVID aid, uh, the COVID aid bills that passed through Congress very quickly, they had the law of unintended consequences. Mr. Brand, they were basically a license to steal from the American taxpayer. It is the largest public fraud in the history of the country on what was stolen from our unemployment insurance when the when Fauci and the politicians locked down the economy, it threw 40 million people out of a job at the peak of the pandemic. Obviously, these people had real needs. Congress authorized $800 billion worth of unemployment aid. And now we know up to half of it $400 billion was stolen by criminals, con artists, and crime syndicates from around the world. Mr. Brand, it is an open question as to whether the Chinese military and Russian military hackers stole enough of our unemployment aid that was supposed to help people who had real needs, obviously. The Chinese military budget is $200 billion. The Russian military budget is $80 billion. It is an open question as to whether those countries stole enough of our unemployment insurance to cover a full year of their military budgets. Mr. Angie Efsky, with U.S. debt as high as it currently is, why is why are U.S. taxpayer dollars being wasted on packages such as those as you have outlined and a ludicrous, a ludicrous project to blow lizards off of trees? Is that real or is this something I've dreamt? No, I mean, Harvard University, they don't need taxpayer help. They have a 40 billion dollar endowment. They got seventy five thousand dollars for a project to go find a hundred lizards and by leaf blowers and literally blow them off the trees to see how they reacted during hurricane winds. If that project had merit, Harvard could have funded it themselves. They need to lighten the load on the American taxpayer. You know, over the course of the last couple of years, here are just some examples of what we found worth of taxpayer abuse. We found that NASA received a million dollar grant to prepare the nation's religions for the discovery of extraterrestrial life. We found that Cornell University, or Ivy League University, they received a million dollar grant on a study where it hurts the most to be stung by a bee. And my favorite study comes out of Health and Human Services. They gave $1.4 million to California prostitutes for education. And they could probably teach the class. <laughs> Mr. Adam Angievsky, sir, you claim to be from OpenTheBooks.com, and yet I challenge you to open a book at random from behind you <laughs> and read a passage purely at chance to see what it says. Will you Excellent. do it, Mr. Adam Angievsky? Aha. So this book, you asked about the national debt. This book was written 
by the legendary U.S. Senator from Oklahoma, Dr. Tom Coburn. It's called the debt bomb. And Coburn, after he left the U.S. Senate, he term limited himself. He was the honorary chairman of our organization at OpenTheBooks.com. So let's just, we'll open it, we'll read a sentence. It's, it goes to military health care, $115 billion, I guess. And the last area of the budget Washington politicians want to reform is veterans' health care. And Coburn basically probably made the argument that that, like everything else, needs reform as well. Mr. Andrzejewski, something must be done. All of you should find out more at OpenTheBooks.com about uh, Adam Andrzejewski's fantastic work and endless endeavors to expose the truth to us and to expose those who would conceal the truth to true justice. Thank you so much. I hope we'll see you again soon. It's such a joy to speak with you. Thank you, Mr. Brand. All right. So there's also a lot covered there. Let's uh, rewind for a second. $400 billion. That was a number. 40 million jobs lost. 32 billion is another number with 54, going to 54,000 different uh, pharmaceutical or the, you know, biodevelopment agencies. Brought to you by the people who just created 40 million new felons. Like uh, they're, they, they create jobs in a weird way. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, they're going about this in a weird way. I'm not, not too sure about their motives. Maybe we should question these characters. So uh, yeah, there there's man, there's, uh Billions. barda there's darpa <laughs> there's <laughs> there's uh th- there's just there's gottlieb i don't even think gottlieb was mentioned in there but that was another story this week that intertwines with all this the guy that was like for the government telling you stuff now works for pfizer and he was working for pfizer the whole time yeah so that's, yeah that's another part of the twitter files the twitter, twitter files, files are also yeah. dropping right now dropping over there like boom 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 I don't know. Like he was uh, poo-pooing people, talking bad about the vaccine, and then there's all this revelation that came it's out almost about all these as fake if they bots the that future. are doctors, but that are bots. You know? Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting uh, to see this all break in kind of real time. But uh, we got another clip. Let's play that redacted clip, LD, that I talked to you about in the green room before the show, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll be able to bring on our guest probably right after that clip. He'll be all ready. And then we're going to get into the, uh, and I'll foreshadow it because I got a nice little build up because there is continuity between this new story you just saw, the one you're about to see, and tonight's special guest, a whistleblower like me. Let's talk about Fauci. So one day before President Trump took office, Dr. Fauci gave a speech warning all of us that uh, Trump would have to deal with a cataclysmic pandemic. He, this was the day before Trump was sworn into office. He was warning us that the greatest crime in world history was about to happen. We should have been paying attention, but we weren't. Watch. Is that there is no question that there will be a challenge to the coming administration in the arena of infectious diseases, both chronic infectious diseases in the sense of already ongoing disease, and we have certainly a large burden of that, but also there will be a surprise outbreak. Oh, there will be a, su- a surprise. Surprise. There will be a surprise. He's outbreak. not like he's not like saying uh, some data shows that this is possible. Some data concludes that we may see this. It, it seems highly likely. No, 
He says will. And you see in his face, like, you know, that's a guy that knows like this is about mm-hmm. to happen. Right. He, he's like convicted like mm-hmm. this will happen. Yeah, he's this is going to happen. Confidently. So he knew what was about to come right after all the funding that he provided in Wuhan. Like he knew about all of this. He tried to cover it up, lie about it, lied to Congress about it. If you remember this. We, I, I don't know how many times I can say it, Madam Chair. We did not fund gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Oh, yeah. That was a lie, right? Because when we walked it back, we knew exactly what happened. He did. There was funding of that um, and had to walk that back. Well, Twitter is about to drop the Fauci files, right? And that's why the mainstream media is helping to mount a Fauci charm offensive, uh, look, he was he's been retired for a week. He, his last day on the office was what? December 30th, right? Um, December 30th yes. was his last day. So he's been gone for seven, six, seven days and he's already back on television. He's already back. CBS drags him out to do a whole big interview with him ahead of the release of the Fauci files. And the whole thing was like a tee up for him to make him look good. Help him out as much as possible. Fauci is out trying to discredit the Fauci files before they're even released. So here he is answering, like, what does Elon Musk have on you on CBS? Watch. Another headline I saw this week. Elon Musk says he'll release Fauci files on Twitter this week. That story published January 3rd. We are recording this. Let me double check my watch. January 5th. What are your concerns, if any, about the Fauci files on Twitter? Well, A, no concerns. And B, I have no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of misinformation, conspiracy theories, disinformation going on. And of out course, there. Elon I, Musk also said that you should be prosecuted. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what he's talking I, about there? I don't have a major. I don't have a clue of what he's talking about. Well, as near as I can tell, Dr. Fauci, it is about the idea that the National Institutes of Health funded gain of function research. Some of that at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And that some believe is responsible for right. COVID. Well, if you look at the, first of all, collaborative research internationally has been something that has been extremely beneficial to society in general. The reason a very small grant, about $120,000 a year, was given to the Chinese, which as a matter of fact, resulted in research that was... Oh, but I thought you just told us in front of Congress that, you, that there was no funding. There was no funding at all. So you have no idea at all what Elon Musk might have in the Fauci files. We don't know. We're getting a teaser of what the Fauci files could portend um, just now. And the latest batch of Twitter files just released about an hour ago from Alex Berenson. Now, you remember Alex Berenson, who was a vehement like um, uh, outspoken against what was unfolding with COVID, um, was banned from Twitter mm-hmm. under the previous regime. He's back. He's got his first new Twitter files report out now. And specifically, it's about how Pfizer was lobbying in the same style as the White House um, to suppress information about the mRNA shot. Right. Uh, we will go over it in depth because it launched uh, too close to the start of this show. Uh, but if this is anything like, you know, it does not mention Fauci. Um, it does not mention the Fauci's Institute of Health. So we don't know um, if this is it or if there's more to come. Yeah, it does mention well, Dr. I just Scott, wanna... Dr. Scott Gottlieb does. Um, but anyway, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, I, I tweeted out that Dr. Fauci was 100% correct with what he was saying in that about the disinformation. The only thing is he's, he's saying the wrong side is responsible for it. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's very smug in the way he sort of shrugs it off. Like, I don't know. I did nothing wrong. I've never said anything that was offensive ever. Um, he certainly lacks humility considering what the entire planet has gone through. Right. Uh, well, I don't think science can be humble. Do you know what I mean? I think it's impossible for science to be humble because he is science. He is right. science. Okay. Well, watch this. So here is um, Major Garrett tease up a question for him on myocarditis. So this, you know, again, he give, he like lays this out here for him, like on a silver platter. I want to play this and get your guys' thought on it. Watch. And in some of these instances, as you well know, Dr. Fauci, there is some shred of evidence myocarditis was related to vaccines it is a heart issue i'm not a doctor you are that's a shred right of evidence a very small shred right what and, and explain how then this can get conflated of course in a very very rare case some of the mrna vaccines can cause a self-limiting almost invariably benign inflammatory response in the heart which generally resolves in a very short period of time. It is very, very rare. When you compare that with the negative effects on the heart by myocarditis or pericarditis, which is inflammation of either the heart muscle or the covering of the heart, and heart failure and heart medical problems, overwhelmingly COVID itself causes that in a dramatically higher rate than the relatively benign mild myocarditis that you might have with a vaccine which is very very rare oh okay is that right but we can now say i mean how can i say this because the vaccine as it relates to contracting covid you know you know what i'm trying to say because we're on youtube i, right? I want to say like the, a way okay. to say it is like the word breakthrough it's like the the princess bride you keep using that word breakthrough case but i don't think it means what you think it means because they're trying to say the same thing like it was a breakthrough case with the vaccines right. and now it's another now it's a breakthrough case if it's myocarditis right and the testing that the prr test that we went through in detail last week uh you can find that on rumble because that was also data that is not welcome on certain platforms that we stream on um and we just went through cdc data that showed that they knew that the risk of myocarditis was actually not minor. Um, it had a ratio that we, we go over that they were looking for anything. Why are you doing this? You don't want me to say these things? No, I do. I'm just going to say like, but yes, I'm pointing to what's Dr. Peter McCullough in this next thing. If you want to go to it, you can. No, you go to it. Sorry. So, um, Someone's wound a little. I'm not wound um, up when you I'm do this. I'm just pointing so you can, talking, if you want to. I feel like I'm saying something wrong. So no, I'll you're saying you. exactly what Peter McCullough is saying here. So I was going to say, if you want to go to it, feel free to go to it. Dr. Okay. Peter McCullough out today with this article on post-injection myocarditis. So here it is. If you can take a look at this. Explosive increase in cardiac symptoms after a second injection. So to your point, that's why my little hand gesture okay. was teeing it up for you. Like I was like Major Garrett teeing it up for you, like uh, like like Dr. Fauci. Like here you go, here you go. It's right here in front of you. Take it, 
take it. It was like, um, <laughs> well, just as a, as a quick aside, I have to, I, I have to say, I love the, I love the fact that when somebody's in the background doing hand gestures and the other person is like, I don't understand your secret hand gestures. Like, okay. <laughs> I cannot play it cool. <laughs> when he's like, it's not something like you're this, supposed to yell like, out. <laughs> what is it? What is it you want me to do? Or if he kicks me under the table, why sometimes, are you winking at me? I just can't, I can't keep going with it. Like, what it's is not it? like Costanza. What? I have like a grapefruit in my eye. Like, why are you winking at me? No, it's the grapefruit. I've been blinking all day. Uh, so Dr. Peter McCullough out today with this article on the exact thing that we're just talking about, which is explosive increase in cardiac symptoms after the second injection. He said, I said on national TV throughout COVID-19 vaccine campaign that no young person should receive this because the risks far outweigh the benefits. And a new published report where both cardiac symptoms and ECG changes were recorded after the first and second injections. The results are alarming. To your point, after the second injection of mRNA, 17% of students reported cardiovascular symptoms. So that is not very rare, Dr. Fauci. No, in fact, the CDC's own data had the PRR score of myocarditis at 3.31 starting December of 2020, when anything over two normally is cause for further research. Um, you know, Philip just sent an article circulated in our team um, last week about the, one of the first like real scientific articles about the causation or the link, the causal link between the COVID vaccine and myocarditis. But it's only recently that we got anything like this, even though the CDC's own data shows that they were tracking this starting in December of 2020. They knew. Yeah, exactly. And so what is he scared of? What is he scared of here? The clear, the clear suppression of. Well, Earth. he's acting not scared. Well, it, well, I, I don't know. I think by going out and doing these interviews, clearly this is a PR campaign. Like he gets on with his favorite network, CBS. He's done so many interviews with Martha, whatever Martha Raddatz. It's, you know. Right, and I highly object to the way that that journalist asks. Like there seems to be a tiny shred, like that's what I'm saying. He's laying it out on a platform about myocarditis. Well, you can read up on it too. He's like, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to do any journalist journalistic digging here right people are saying it like it's blowing in the wind right you know you can't you can't give him some hard data to react to no the, such as the one that we read that's all publicly available for all of us i watched the whole hour-long interview and uh, a lot of people in the chat are saying like please uh, i could never watch an hour of that uh, of that little squeaky monkey um but i did and it was awful and major garrett like he spends like the this first one minute of the interview he's like you know doc I got to say, I was watching the NFL game, the Buffalo Bills game, and I just, you know, sometimes and then I just jumped over to Twitter to see what conspiracy theories would unfold right after he falls flat on the field. And it was only about 20 minutes or so before I started seeing all of the misinformation flowing in basically on 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 what on we vaccine. don't have any information. Right. We do not have information about that person's health. Right. So he he was walking in there with his bias, teeing it up for for Fauci. Here's my bias on this. Like, how do you handle all of this misinformation? You're such a god. Mm. You're so, you're such an amazing person. It must be really hard to be you. So we knew in January, we knew in January that the the Biden administration was actively trying to silence people on social media. Anyone who this was before this was before we even knew about the pandemic. And this was January, a month and a half to two months before we even had widespread panic about it. 
We knew that there was clear suppression of early treatments that had already been proven to work. Those were being suppressed by the Biden administration. So maybe that's what he's scared of. The communication between the Biden administration, we saw a report today that the Biden administration was actively trying to silence Tucker Carlson for uh, his aversion to the vaccines and talking about that early on. So the Biden administration was actively trying to censor Tucker Carlson on Facebook and block Facebook posts uh, from his show. So this is, again, what will, what will we see in these Fauci files? It's hard to say. We will be watching for them. Uh, we just got a super chat that says we shouldn't fight over Fauci. Like, this should not be the reason we have marital discord. Uh, what, can you imagine <laughs> people like, why'd you get a divorce? Fauci. Fauci. Fauci? Well, what? And How did you get a divorce? <laughs> Fauci. Okay. Can I, I want to bring something up. I, I, I was, I've been very active on Twitter since all this has been going down. And I saw an ad from HHS.gov. And it says, even if your COVID symptoms are mild, talk to a doctor about treatment. We can do this. Get to the doctor. And it's the CDC. And I tweeted out, how much of our money is the U.S. government spending to be the marketing arm of Big Pharma? And I asked Elon Musk, maybe we should do a poll and see how many of us want to fund propaganda. Because it's like they're spending our money to keep advertising this, saying yeah. the opposite of what all the data is showing. Mm -hmm. And and it's like this big, huge campaign. And it's like, yeah, I mean, this is happening worldwide. Stop? No, it's not going to stop. Worldwide. This is happening worldwide. And we, a little bit later in the show, when we move over to Rumble later tonight, we're going to talk about what's going on in Australia and the government there spending money, spending taxpayer money in the United States and in the UK, spending spending the people's money on these advertising campaigns. I mean, do you remember when they had Elmo on Sesame Street? Like yes. public broad pro, public broadcast. I guess it's public broadcasting. We're funded in part yeah, by is. right. Um, by taxpayers to to have Elmo, uh, you know, on there uh, getting a getting a shot. Bless you. Sound like Elmo. Sorry. We're gonna send Natalie a cough button so she could just step on that and mute when she has to sneeze on the show like that. It seems like, uh, you know, maybe they should have the budget for that on their own. We'll see. All right. So there's a lot to cover from that clip, and it's gonna connect into the next clip and the next uh, segment where we do the interview with Dr. Huff. But prior to that, I wanted to mention real quick, because you did hear the guest earlier, John Bush. He was at the workshop earlier today. And even a seasoned entrepreneur who's a high-speed juggernaut like himself, he could gain value from just sharpening up. Let's do a little maintenance on the work, uh, the mindset, so we can get our goals straight for 2023. I know the workshop was a couple hours ago, but you guys still have a chance to get it before the price goes up and it gets offered to the market. So if you go to getautonomy.info forward, I'm sorry, sorry. Let's back up. University of Reason. In, I'm sorry. Let me do it again. I've been working too long. University of forward slash mindset is the actual page. You guys are able to still click and at the top of the page, it's got a headline. Then there's a button. There's a button. So you click this button and you can still get the lecture and the goal setting workshop. Not for 300, but you can get it for 47. I promise you, you are worth 47 bucks and that what we presented today for four hours is going to be really useful to you in making a making 2023 a better year than it was last year. We also uh, had some nice words from our friend Tom Woods, and I was hoping LD would play uh, the clip that you can also find here on the landing page right here. This uh, got featured on his podcast, so that's that's first for us. And uh, not lots of nice folks came over from there. So really appreciate that. Accomplish great things in 2023, but you can't do it if you haven't got your inner game right. Well, this 
very Sunday, January 15th, 2023, at noon Eastern, Richard is holding the Autonomy Mindset event. Autonomy is his fantastic group, by the way, which I've spoken to before. And what an audience of action-taking people who are committed to accomplishing great things. They're not defeatists who shoot down everything you suggest and think everything is doom and gloom. These are action-oriented people, and it's a wonderful community to be a part of. And you can attend the Autonomy Mindset event for either $0 or $47, your choice. During the free lecture, Richard's going to unveil how to build an anti-fragile, infinite growth mindset. And then you can put this mindset to work right away with a powerful interactive goal-setting workshop for just $47. Everybody attending this workshop will have gotten there from a good podcast like this one. So it means these people kind of know where things are at. So remember, the lecture is free, plus you can turbo boost the experience, if you like, with that goal-setting workshop for just $47. So head over to tomwoods.com slash mindset, and you'll be well on your way to an excellent new year. And if you heard that here, you can go to universityofreason.com forward slash mindset, and then we'll know who uh, who's at, whose audience takes action. But if you don't already have good goals for this year, consider it because having no option is not as good as having an option that you can make a second draft from. And with that, now also uh, Clayton Morris was also, he dropped that, take it, take it. Is he been listening to Grand Theft World? It almost sounds take like it. he wants to, Yeah, he almost sounds like he wants to have a soundboard and get down in the mud with that. So I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll uh, invite Clayton on as a, a guest in the future. Also, they accurately referred to this as the biggest crime in history. And we're we're going to breach that topic if I push this button. The biggest lie in history is about the biggest crime in history. So we're going to learn about that in a couple minutes. But first, we still have this clip over on the Twitter that I saw Dr. Robert Malone, one of the creators of the mRNA technology that so many people involuntarily, uninformedly got jabbed up with. He's bringing this clip from uh, over over in Asia, and it looks like uh, more of a worldwide phenomenon that's not just limited to one country. So let's go ahead and check out this clip together. I haven't seen it yet, but it is uh, something he just posted on the Twitter. So let's check it out. In spite of the unprecedented support that has been given to COVID-19 messenger RNA vaccination, that is actually uncomparable to any support given to any pharmaceutical agent in human history. We are still hearing sounds of wisdom coming from different parts of the planet, actually calling for uh, or questioning the scientific foundation and uh, safety of the messenger RNA vaccination. Uh, if we go back to April 1948, where the WHO has been established and review the main theme of uh, establishment of this uh, international organization, we can see clearly that the uh, psychophysiological well-being of uh, human species is the major priority and uh, improving quality of life for a human being is actually a critical issue. Uh, and in spite of uh, what we are hearing from the media, but going to our uh, scientific foundation and questioning the uh, complications of the messenger RNA vaccination, uh, I'm referring mainly to, uh, as a cardiologist, to the cardiovascular complications, the uh, juvenile myocarditis and pericarditis, and uh, the, what, we, what we think seriously increased level of uh, sudden cardiac death. I think uh, anything related to the mRNA uh, products uh, should be reviewed critically and in uh, view of the cardiovascular complications of this type of vaccination. I think this type of vaccine should be suspended until it is fully investigated. 
uh, our global consciousness should uh, rise up and uh, wisdom at the end should prevail. Now it's interesting because on one hand, if this pangolin and this bat got together and created this obnoxious thing that created the COVID pandemic, then the mRNA solution and there being side effects, well, maybe that's the risk of fighting a pandemic. However, if this thing over here is a chimera and they made this thing over here that's mRNA injections for people that's Bellerophon, and they put those two things together knowing because they've tested it for years and years what the side effects might and can be, and there's documents for the past 10 years all over the place on side effects of mRNA technology, and they knew that ahead of time, then it looks more like a Dr. Mengele experiment, the type that the Nazis carried out with Western Banker, City of London, New York City, Wall Street funding. And I'm not looking for that situation to be true. I don't want that to be going on in the world I live in right now. But there's a lot of evidence that's starting to point that way. And so getting to our guest tonight, we're going to have to talk about you know, this mRNA technology, which Tony and I have been talking about on the show and breaking open and looking at all these studies and aerosolized mRNA and shedding and all these other things that come with a new technology in the BARDA clip and other groups seeking to have an emergency event that would bring these sort of things out to the public and make it necessary to bring this new mRNA technology off the bench and onto the field as the hero, the Bellerophon in the situation. Now, seeing what we've seen for the past 20 minutes or half hour, what do you think, Tony, as far as, you know, do we have enough evidence yet that this is on purpose or do we still think they're incompetent? And if we just give them more tax dollars, they, they won't do these sort of things anymore? Or like, how do you feel objectively as a, as a logic teacher and somebody who tries to like leave the emotions out of it? Let's deal with the evidence that exists. How much evidence is on the scale at this point in your observation? I mean, the evidence on the scale in regards to chimeric processes being utilized in a lab in Wuhan, China, is overwhelming, um, not just with EcoHealth Alliance and the however 250, 350,000, whatever much money it was for that one grant, but then there's DARPA grants that have been alluded to by many different uh, researchers and journalists out there as well that have not really gained a lot of traction. But we, what we do know is there's only so many... Uh, experts in this realm. Xi Zingli, Ralph Barrick, um, there's a couple other uh, doctors I can't think of off the top of my head um, that also sort of correspond with this that worked alongside, for example, um, Peter Daszak, who I forget his official title, but it's a... When you go well, there's to, uh, Jeremy Farrar from Jeremy the Welcome Farrar, Trust. But he's... These aren't, all these, these other aren't people specific. on the email trails. Right. The, and the other virologists and other epidemiologists uh, who changed their position rapidly over four days without any new evidence Su Su other Gnosis. than emails Su in their box. Yeah, a couple. We covered it so many times, but the names sort right. of elude me because it's, you know, it's just sort of. No, that's all right, because we have been talking but, but about I this make a, in I detail. Make a, Go ahead. I want to make a big point here. What we don't have any evidence for, unfortunately, is although all the circumstantial evidence is there to suggest that they have been obviously working on this, is also Sherry Markinson's work. I think something, mm -hmm. I think it's her name, Mark Markinson. Um, she is a independent, not an independent, she's a journalist that works um, oh, Cheryl in Australia. Atkinson. Cheryl Atkins, is it Atkinson? Possibly. Maybe. Maybe I'm uh, getting it wrong too. So I think we kind of got one of one of each, right? One last one, first name. It doesn't matter. She's an Australian journalist. 
who exposed like some of the inner workings of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, you know, that the issue of the uh, RA or RAT G13, uh, one of the analogs of uh, sort of viruses, one of the genetic sequence analogs to another uh, coronavirus type of virus that was utilized in the chimeric processes, the air, the um, bats that were held at Wuhan and the humanized mice, but we don't have any evidence whatsoever, unfortunately, but it's, Okay, let me just say this because before I get yelled at by anyone, we have no evidence that it was released by intention or by accident. We don't have it. All we know is that there's all the conditions were there for them to do this process, this chimeric process where they combine, they take humanized cell lines and mice and they introduce different viruses and through natural selection, these viruses recombine over and over and over again to find a pathway by which it could become infectious to that specific cell line or other cell lines uh, inside the, mo- the mouse that could also correspond to then in human cell lines, which is how it works. ACE2 is one of the main cell lines, and that's the first pathway by which people were becoming infected, the ACE2 pathway, particularly in the lungs, but it's also all over the body. So unfortunately, now, does that mean we can't form a hypothesis that, uh, you know, that they're or at least a theory that could lead to a hypothesis that it's likely possible, reasonable to assume that this was intentionally done. Now, in regards to having it be leaked on purpose or not, that I I would never be able to. Right now, there's just not enough evidence. We know that Chinese were under tremendous amounts of pressure. We know that uh, Anthony Fauci, the NIH, NIAID, uh, the Melkin Institute, all these various figures that we've been talking about, these institutions, they had they were under tremendous pressure because they were looking to modernize. We know the World Economic Forum and the WHO and the Davos, well, Davos Group, the World Economic Forum, they also wanted to get a certain plan of action in place to usher in a whole new sort of technocratic future for our world, um, vaccine passports, CBDCs. So there are so many different, you know, different disparate sort of goals and agendas that were sort of aligning to one or at least needing one catalyst different different goals but they all needed or could utilize the this one catalyst that's en- that ended up becoming this pathogen that was released on the world and caused you know un- untold amounts of economic destruction as well as untold amounts of uh suffering when it didn't need to be done and on and top ongoing of that, trauma for people who are still out there like uh, i just you know there's little kids out there on the ice Learn how to skate with masks on. Yeah, no, I, I was yeah. telling my girlfriend the other day, I was driving by and, you know, stop with the school bus comes forward. You let's out a kid and the, it's like got to be seven or eight years old, still has a mask on. It's 2023 20, and the kid's got a mask. I'm like, how many, you know, I try to look in the school bus and I was like, well, like mostly, I think they all were forced to have masks on because it looked like they all had masks on. And I went back and told my girlfriend, I'm like, what is it? Like, it's 2023. 20, no one else, no adults are really wearing masks. I go out to the stores. I don't really see that many. There are some. Pure, no yeah. But it's it's pretty, you know, even- You can I tell what channels of fear they watch. <laughs> exactly. But it's, you know, and at this point, one could easily hypothesize that the vaccine has caused uh, tremendous amounts more physical damage than the actual initial virus, both the alpha, delta strains, the Omicron, and all the various strains that came after it. <clears throat> so New York I mean, Post was different. just saying how the new strain is uh, worse for the people who are vaccinated. So I'm not sure how that works or if that's part of the plan. Yeah, I've heard that too, which is very fascinating. It also must be said that uh, right now um, there's much more circumstantial evidence on the side of 
the fact that COVID-19 originated in a lab. Whether it was released on purpose or not, or by accident, well, we may never know. But the fact is the preponderance of evidence is on the side of a lab leak. But what has to be considered that there is still a very small possibility came from zoonotic origin, origins, unlikely. And the evidence, there's almost no evidence to support that whatsoever. Uh, I've released some debates on that uh, in regards to, that was like over a year ago when I was really interested on the topic where different uh, epidemiologists and uh, and virologists argued this point. I think it was in Science Direct, one of like a science magazine in America, where they argued this saying that, you know, the, um, the Fuhrer and Cleavage site, for the most part, there are some bat species that do exhibit that, but it's very rare for it to be utilized as a function for this specific pathogen. And it doesn't but, have HIV spliced into it either. Right. That's, yeah, there's so many problems with- There's too many so, consequences, too I mean, many, uh, coincidences right. that start stacking up. Exactly. Right. That's the problem. That's exactly so, the problem. So that's why it's- and. Even those virologists were like, look, we have to remain open to the idea this really was lab created. And since then, more and more and more evidence has continued to come out. I think Chris Martinson's done a great job showing it doesn't just affect ACE too. It's like, imagine having six different locks on your door with six different keys, and it has a key for every fucking lock on the door. So multiple cell lines in your body, whether it's ACE2 or other types of cells, it can get into as though it was designed to get into. We've never seen another virus like that in history. Usually a virus can get into one or two different types of uh, cell groups. This can get into over six different types. We've never seen that. So there's just so many anomalies with this. Like you mentioned, the, the four amino acids part of GP120, glycoprotein 120 is part of the HIV pro, uh, or HIV glycoprotein 120 protein. So it's just uncanny, which, you know, you mentioned the redacted paper by those Indian researchers in what, January of 2020. So it just goes on and on. We could do the fear and cleavage site. Um it's just over and over again. We're seeing you know, the the CGG CDG sort of code on this the strains and stuff that, that wouldn't happen in nature, which is why they have BSL four labs. Exactly. That's that. Do I need to say more at this point? And then the so, fact that there was an actual intentional cover up, whereby which we yes, had email. early on, like they weren't even wondering or having meetings about it. They everyone was on the same sheet from the get go. They're like, look over there. There's a wet market. Those people eat crazy things over there, which is a racist idea in the first place. That's true. That's true. And a lot of them were referring to wet markets in like Bali or Southeast Asia, not necessarily in China itself, where some some unfortunate practices still go on, but not as much in China. Although wet markets certainly do exist in China. It's uh, common as China. Thing, people are just glad to have food over there. The thing Let's to start cons- there. The thing to consider is wet markets have been around for centuries oh, yeah. and centuries and centuries. You would expect a preponderance of pandemics to emerge from those types of areas or have been identified throughout history from various historians and court historians and all these sorts of ideas to to consider the possibility, especially as we moved into a scientific age, the modern age and the 18th century onwards to not have consider that as any potential evidence for emerging pathogenicity for, you know, from animals to humans or zoonotic transmission is very strange. But um, one last point I want to make is, this isn't just me saying this. You pointed this out. The Fauci emails themselves, I think Epoch Times and a couple other outlets um, covered the fact that I can't remember the names. Anderson, I think, was one, but there's a couple of ones. They're all the, all the Christian ones. Christian Anderson, apart. or maybe maybe he's named after Hans Christian Anderson, or maybe I'm thinking of books. There's a couple. And I remember covering the actual articles and going over the source material many almost a year ago now. What was fascinating is... Uh, all the He's grants. the one that thought it was a lab leak early on and then yeah, changed his tune 60, as soon 40. as he checked in with the paycheck masters. Yeah, 60-40, I think he said. And it looks yeah. as though it was part of a lab leak. 
And he says, you know, Fauci's sitting there saying, no, we have to. And this was just, I guess, some of the redacted lines have been removed. And this was covered a couple of weeks ago by us in some clips that we played just to show like this is how I think Chris Martinson, it was Chris Martinson who actually went over some of the redacted lines are part of those emails. And we got to see just how fervent Fauci was in making sure that these virologists make you know, go along with his tune, which his tune was, you know, I control the funding through the NIAID, which is why he turned down the appointment by Bush in like 2002, 2003, 2004, somewhere in there to be the head of the NIH, which Francis Collins at the time, he's now retired, they're stepped down very curiously as all this started to unfold uh, right before this all started to unfold. But he was supposed to be, Anthony Fauci's offered to be head of the NIH. He turned it down to be able to control the funding, the NIAID. Yeah. And then 2005, 2006, whatever, I forget his name. Why would you work Russell, as a capo when you're the godfather already? Right. And then you have the what Russell Brand was saying, like going back to the mid-2000s, Fauci has connections with patents for AIDS drugs or an, a specific AIDS drug. He has patents with a whole number of other sort of ther- therapeutics. Of course, when he when there's what do you say, thirty two billion that went out to fifty four thousand different. This is just about COVID. The fifty four thousand different sort of biotech, pharmaceutical development agencies. Like that's an insane amount of power, of which the NIH controls a large majority of that. But the NIH, the portion that controls that, is the NIAID. That's what Anthony Fauci was ahead of. He so just happens fact- to be in control of that. It just reminds me of what Gatto said. It's the science of leverage. He knew he had leverage and he could just, okay. He also sent Peter Daszak more money. He sent these virologists that said 60% on the side of a lab leak. Uh, bonus them out. He bonused them and all of a sudden they they write, what was that paper? What was that journal? Um, the Lancet published the Daszak. Yeah, the Lancet, yeah, yeah. Well, no, fe- no, no. Early February 2020, they published that paper. It said it's conspiracy theory to think it came from a lab and look over yeah. there at the wet market. Yes. And then later the FOIA came out U.S. Right to Know organization published Dazak's emails. And in there, you saw that he's the one that authored the paper and then got all these other people who depend on him for funding to sign it. Exactly. And then it was presented as science through the Lancet. People made policy. People were fired. People lost their jobs, opportunity because of what it said in there. And it was just as bullshit as when 50 former central intelligence directors and you know intelligence community heads say xyz about hunter biden's laptop it's nothing to it right russia 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 right when really it's darpa 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 and moderna 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 working with darpa 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 and darpa 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 working with eco health alliance and there's a whole lot of connectivity in the actual and factual documents that people should have would have could have looked at three years ago and reported on and those of us who were doing that you're getting censored. You're persona non grata. Oh, sorry. You got your blacklisted, your shadow banned. Actually, I got to cut to uh, this. We have a live in live picture from Davos. There's Klaus initiating <laughs> the gang. Just wanted to cut to that real quick. So you guys didn't miss that because life moves pretty fast. And if you it's don't like stop that and look around, you just could get fucked up the ass by Klaus. What is it That's Leslie it Nielsen? Like. like that scene from Airplane where all they're lining up to get with the girl when they think the airplane's yes. going to go down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sally Mayweather, for making us laugh on the Twitter. See, sometimes it's just about the memes. All right, now back so, so to the serious quick, topic. Go, go ahead, go like, ahead. Yeah, yeah, right here. I just wanted to give some context. Christian G. Anderson, so you're right. Christian Anderson was one of them. Yeah. I forget it. I think Gary, Robert F. Gary, I think was another one that received funding after the fact, after they came out and said, I don't know, this looks very suspicious. All of a sudden, they get nice grants from. Anthony Fauci, alongside also Peter Daszak, his buddy, making sure he gets paid out because he's going to be in a lot of hot water. This was the the famous paper back published March 17th, 2020, the proximal origins of SARS-CoV-2 that they all co-authored after sharing private emails together, stating that 
I don't know. This looks very suspicious, and we need to consider the hypothesis that, in fact, it did emerge from a laboratory and not from zoonotic origin. And Anthony Fauci, he couldn't have that. So they're like, this looks like just just like the things on the shelf that we're working on, and now it's out there. Is that ours? Oh, you're not allowed to talk about that. Okay. And then everyone shut up about it, and then they all got bonused a lot of money. And then the the media was in lockstep, just like the Rockefeller document from 2010. Like they are just in lockstep together. That's right. So you've and, got, and then let's go not ahead. forget about Moderna. Moderna in 2017, 2018, I think had the patented um, genetic, uh, genetic sequence. Yes. 2016. To go back, 2016. I always get the dates screwed up on that. But 26. That's even more ominous. 2016. That's three years after they start working with the DARPA grant. Yeah. You can just type in DARPA Moderna. 2013 you'll find it it's like it's not secret everybody they just and want you to be dumb and was not the look. moratorium if i remember correctly it's 2016 2014? they start working right. then, with the darpa grant the 2017 moratoriums lifted but by then uh, by a minute through santa they fe gained, has already set up the to, the yes. french are in, involved in this too because they set yeah. up the entire Wuhan institute of virology in the Bio first place milieu and that's where you see um who is it the rothschild banker uh the the macron macron is with yes. uh Klaus Schwab, he's with Xi Jinping. You can see him receiving these like medals together. We we yeah. we showed these uh, pictures. They got medals. Times. They look just like this. Oh, and the head of Santa Fe or the head of Biomir ceremony. <laughs> this is the medal ceremony, right? You there. can just—it's an incestuous. There's Macron. He's club. actually bending over on the left. I think that's him bending over. He just got his medal. Yeah, yeah he just. <laughs> he's like full metal jacket right there. All right. <laughs> Seriously, though, on this topic of bio warfare and DARPA. This has been a project of the defense establishment, of the Anglo-American establishment for a long time. Well, before Diffuse was USAID's PREDICT program. So it goes like this. If we went in a timeline, uh, around the turn of the century, 2000, 2001, Andrew Carnegie's uh, Medal of Honor for people who are the philanthropic eugenicists of the world. Ted Turner's there. Bill Gates is there. David Rockefeller's there. Tony Fauci's there. Tony Fauci still around today. Two people from that picture, Bill Gates and Tony Fauci in 2010, create the decade of the vaccine. Now, that sounds like they're prescient. They got a crystal ball. They know the next 10 years is going to be really important for vaccines. So if you go to the Gates Foundation website and you search up that press release, you can read all about it. So now here's Tony Fauci, Bill Gates working together, Bill Gates working with CDC and WHO and all these other groups. Tony Fauci out there organizing gain of function. And it goes on with uh, they what they had was there was a pandemic planning document just in case it happened. Here's what would what the United States would do. 2009, it's very nebulous, very ambiguous. By 2017, it's that comes it's just bullseye specific. In order to shut down the world, it's no longer ambiguous. It is you need a novel respiratory coronavirus that would have such and such characteristics, and then. At the same time of that planning document, 2017, they have on the shelf between Moderna, DARPA, Pfizer, they have on a shelf a coronavirus that would not attach to humans until they did gain a function and humanized mice putting ACE2 receptors in there to make sure it would transmit to humans. And then Nature and these other articles come out with uh, new bat virus shows potential for human emergence, but that's only the chimera that they've messed with through gain of function. In other words, nature would not do these horrific things to shut down the world, but they, in their labs over years and lots of DARPA, millions of dollars going to eco health, created 
just something like that was out there. And then they come in swooping with only one solution to that. No early treatments, no other drugs. We have to take this, this vaccine. And there's a couple of varieties. We're going to test it out. There's going to be the adenovirus over here. We'll do the MRNA over here. And they split up the test groups. Now there's also the control group of which people in this podcast audience, yay, freedom. We made it this far. We resisted a billion dollars in advertising. So we get to this point where we have the pandemic gets out, whether it's purposeful or accidental, we don't know. We don't have that evidence, so we can't make a claim there. However, I can notice that the thing that got out and the thing that they solved with their gene therapy is identical custom fit to all these other agendas and goals that they had on the table at that point. And so for a pandemic to come along as a surprise that Fauci knew about beforehand, it could call his shot like Babe Ruth and say, there will be a surprise pandemic. That's like, there will be a surprise party. It's like, you're blowing the whole idea of what surprise means, bro. Right. This, this whole thing that they had a reason. So they had means motive opportunity. We don't have a smoking gun yet. And Tony's right. Some of this evidence is circumstantial, but you don't get an accidental nature created pandemic upheaval and also be perfectly prepared to profit from it a thousand ways from Sunday without missing a beat while simultaneously censoring all dissent, firing doctors, creating joblessness, shutting down mom and pop shops so Jeff Bezos and other big brand World Economic Forum participants can stay open and reap the benefits So it sounds like a cartel with a plan who has conspired against me, you, and everyone else we've ever met in our lives. And maybe our guest will be able to illustrate some of this for us tonight. Go ahead, Tony. No, as I said, well said. Um, I'll just leave with this because uh, I can't find the actual pictures themselves, but this will speak for itself. China Reform Friendship Medal recipient, Elaine Meriu, French uh, medical entrepreneur. um, Who helped to create the Wuhan lab. Yes, that's, that's where you're, Yeah, go ahead. That's please. French entrepreneur Alain Meriu was awarded the China Reform Friendship Medal for his support. Sorry, I went a little bit. For his support of China's reform and opening up program at the conference celebrating its 40th anniversary on Tuesday, Meriu's family has a history of funding medical business and research. Forbes put net worth at uh, 2.7 billion US dollars at December 17th. He is currently the chairman of the Institute de Milieu, which was founded by his grandfather, Marcel Milieu, in 19, 1897. About 40 years ago, Alain Milieu knocked on China's knocked that China's door when the country decided to open up. 40 years ago, 40 years ago. Huh. What was going That's on back curious. then? That was kind of like near the time of the Trilateral Commission. Yeah, crazy. opening up uh, Asia. Huh. To Western okay. gangster cartels, knock, sure knock, knock, knocking on China's hey, listen door. To this. H- listen. H- H- H.W. Bush was the ambassador to China back then. He actually opened China's door, so to speak. China <laughs> didn't mind; they allowed him to do it. He opened the door just like Klaus is opening Trudeau's door. That's right. Um, That's right. That's where I was so going. Here, here, <laughs> he led Cheap the jokes. <laughs> he led the institute in building firm cooperation of China fighting tuberculosis and other infectious diseases. Here's the important line. He helped to build China's first biological lab of the top biosafety level P4 in the city of Wuhan. And that wouldn't be the infamous now Wuhan Institute of Virology. And so he, you can actually find pictures. We People have shared them many times on the Discord server. And now we're over on was the Circle, whatever the community is called, on the new platform. Um, we have them preserved. I just can't quite find them right now. Maybe after we come back from the interview, I'll come and I'll, I'll find those pictures. But you can see him re- receiving the medals. 
And you can see Klaus Schwab, you can see Xi Jinping, you can see, uh, I guess it's at Emilio and a couple of other key figures uh, within that very powerful um, political figures around the world that all seem to have been sort of ingratiated themselves with Xi, his regime. And, uh, you know, in support of the continued Western development over there, particularly, obviously, in Alan Mediu's case with um, biomedical development, bioresearch development. What was I going to say? Uh, uh, There was a phrase I came up with earlier this week for this. And I was like, we need a phrase for for what they're doing. And I think it was... uh, Oh man, did I not put the card in the stack? Oh, cyberbiology, right? We're going to have to deal with cyberbiology. That's a story we can cover later. But these people are definitely working with technology, not in our best interest or for the betterment of humankind. Like trying to head off the virus at the past by making a virus super virulent and then trying to control something that you created that's outside of your control sounds stupid. And DARPA shouldn't have been giving tens and tens of millions of dollars of funding to such things, nor should Fauci have been lying about such activities and helped us get to the uh you know get to the culprits who robbed the bank a little bit sooner but he is fully on board with helping their getaway if he's not one of them we'll have to let the the courts adjudicate such things but let's crack open this book because the truth about wuhan is going to go with uh, another book that's being released this week uh robert f kennedy has a book not on fauci he has one also coming out about the pandemic situation and this book is titled uh, by andrew huff dr andrew huff how i uncovered the biggest lie in history and if we take a look inside it's the shocking new insider information that shows what really happened in wuhan now this is published by skyhorse publishing they also publish uh if i move out this way that alex alex jones book over there on the great reset you guys might want to check that out skyhorse publishing pretty ballsy to do this And here's the relevant parts. First part of the book reads like a whistleblower who wrote a story. I've been there and done that. If you go listen to Project Constellation, that's like the first eight chapters of his book. But then we get to the good stuff, and I got good stuff in mind, too. So it was a a really good opportunity to read this book, Understanding the Risk of Working at EcoHealth. So Peter Daszak is this character who runs EcoHealth Alliance, and his name's all over these documents we've looked at for the past couple years, Fauci funding, DARPA funding, these sort of things. Well, Dr. Huff worked directly for Peter Daszak for two years, 2014 to 2016, and being there and helping them to fundraise and interact really gave him like a behind the scenes look at what's really going on. And it's like a big magic show over there where Daszak's promising that they can predict pandemics and uh, prevent them, which is really good for the fundraising, but not so good for the thing that just ruined everyone's lives for the past three years. He gets into the gain of function. He gets into USAID, which is really CIA. There's a shorter way to spell that. The real COVID timeline, the truth about Wuhan, uh, and the biggest intelligence failure since September 11th. And that's a bold claim, but he's right. He's right. And I've looked at the intelligence failures around 9-11. They also are like custom fit. Oh, sorry about that. But no one got fired. Everyone got promoted and all their agendas moved forward and everything got funding for the next 20 years. But it's not on purpose, everybody. (laughs) That's true. Uh, the biggest cover up. It's a good analogy, yeah. actually, to 9 11. If you really think about it. Yeah. It draws yeah, some really sure. interesting parallels. Yeah. All right. So I've got lots of tabs in this book. Let's just dig in real quick before we bring them on and let's get a gander. Uh, zoonotic, not interesting enough. Let's go to some of these red tab pages here where he's making point after point after point. Uh, his experience with Barrick. He's worked with Barrick. He's worked with the Bat Lady 
He's worked with the Batman. He hasn't been to the Bat Caves, thankfully. But Barrick and the no see technique, like this, he's got all this good stuff in here. Oh, we've talked about oh, for so the Barrick that Nick, let's go back real quick. Yeah. Just curious the first highlight you have there. Um, single biggest show of the predict program, which, which resulted in the development of SARS CoV 2 is the introduction of Dr. Jeezing Lee to Dr. Ralph Barrick by Peter. Oh, Peter. So Peter Dazak is yes. the one to introduce the two. Dr. Barrick. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Very fascinating. So and UNC point. is right. a problematic. See, so obviously, University of North Carolina. There's a shared campus with Duke. Obviously, they're very close. Uh-huh. And Duke is where, if I remember correctly, Dr. Robert Califf, who's a member of the World Economic Forum, supportive of Klaus Schwab's initiative, is the one who came with real world data, real world evidence, removing of RCTs or traditional science, randomized controlled trials. So there's so many, so much overlap with individuals around that those shared campuses very troubling in regards to shared ideology and uh, also, you know, biomedical sort of uh, scientific research going on. So from our end of research, reading through this book, Tony Humanized hasn't seen it, but yeah, you know, all the, all the usual all the stuff, stuff we that said. we've looked at yeah. for the past couple of years, but he's mixing in his experience with Dr. Xi Jing Li. I think the big USAID. thing we had to talk about, yeah, USAID predict, we talked about it, but not, that's probably the thing we didn't talk about as much as some of the other pieces of evidence and that's where he really starts so i'm curious about that that element cia approaches peter dazak dazak says he wants to work with the cia and that's about the time that uh huff starts encountering resistance and thinks about maybe i shouldn't be working at this place now luckily for huff he gets to be a whistleblower after the fact he didn't have to lose his career he looks back you know the he he leaves in 2016. He gets, uh, you know, professorship. 2019 pandemic goes out. He's like, that's awful coincidental. Digs in. Sure enough, there's there's more smoke, and uh, it's not it's not uh, something to dismiss as arbitrary. Also, in 2009, the Wuhan Institute of Virology in Wuhan, China, began collaborating with EcoHealth Alliance on the USAID Emerging Pandemic Threat Program on a project titled PREDICT. The PREDICT partners were USAID, UC Davis, Wildlife Conservation Society, you got to get the eco movements in there, EcoHealth Alliance, Metabiota, which is Hunter Biden's uh, funded from Rosemont, Seneca. Then we go over the audio. Yeah, we covered that a couple weeks ago. We've covered that several different times by identifying unknown viruses before they spilled over into humans to find them before they find us. Xi Jingli put it right. So the predict project was before we are, we're all familiar on the show with the DARPA preempt dumps from the past year and the drastic research group that went in and found all these DARPA documents related to eco health, related to Tony Fauci, showing that Fauci is lying under oath to Congress about this gain of function that he's been part and parcel of and knowing of and tries to use his, uh, his Jesuitical phrases to get around, but up against a doctor who worked at EcoHealth, who's very familiar with all this Moderna, DARPA ongoings, it's hard. And so I can I can see why he got uh, he encountered serious resistance because they really don't want a book like this out there. So again, kudos to the publisher and props to the whistleblower who you are about to meet in a few seconds. I just wanted to show a couple more of these hot pages on screen so people might know why they want to. Get a book, prioritize it, internalize it, and share it with your friends and family. Now, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and bring on our guest. Let me go ahead and get things tidied up. We will be right back with Dr. Andrew Huff. Again, he worked for Dr. Peter Dazak at EcoHealth Alliance 2014 to 2016. And with that knowledge of what their fundraising was, what the grant proposals were, like he helped to create the pitch deck 
to help InQtel fund, you know, these sort of, so there's a lot of information that you guys are about to get to expose to, but of the, of all the audiences out there, you guys are the best educated and most well-prepared to internalize what the whistleblower, Dr. Andrew Huff has to share with us. So let's go to it and uh, let's press some buttons and make that happen. Welcome back to the Grand Theft World podcast. Tonight's guest, Dr. Andrew Huff. He's a uh, former vice president of EcoHealth Alliance. You might have heard about them over the past couple of years with that pandemic thing that was going on. He's also since become a whistleblower, and he is the author of this great book, which I have read, The Truth About Wuhan, How I Discovered the Biggest Lie in History. Dr. Andrew Huff, welcome to Grand Theft World. How are you doing today? Oh, well, I'm doing better. I'm getting over multiple illnesses. We need to come up with a new definition for the illness that circulates with people who have had the jab. It causes some kind of bacterial and multiple viral infections all at the same time, and I'm getting over it. And I think this could be what's contributing to the sudden deaths. But anyways, I'm doing better. Thank you for having me. Well, reading through your book as a whistleblower, I related to a lot of the experiences, especially once you encountered some resistance. I never had anyone fly drones over my hot tub or anything, but I did have break-ins. I did have people make threats against me and my my wife. Um, where did you start to, you know, amongst your corporate work? Did it ever occur to you that you would become a whistleblower? Had you ever seen any of the famous movies about whistleblowers? Because I, I just imagine you going about your work, doing a great job. You're, you're helping the right grants with InQtel and these sort of things for EcoHealth. You have a good time back about 10 years ago. But then you started to come across some things that you felt were unethical, a little untoward. And it drew your attention. And then later down that road, I'm sure you took some steps to alert people to this. But can you explain the transition? This is what gets people the transition between normal everyday work. And what was that splinter in the mind that got you thinking like, I don't know if that's right. And should I be participating in this sort of activity? Yeah, well, I actually have a history of always doing things by the book. Every place I've worked, whether it was in the military or as a civil servant, um, and actually, I see if I can grab. I have a good prop here on my desk. It actually, uh, so this was given to me as an award at Sandia National Laboratory. So this actually is a mallet that built uh, the first atom bomb. And they handed this, this down to different scientists for kicking management's butt. And I was given this honor by a person who retired. So I've had this kind of mentality my entire career of always standing up for right, what's right, and doing it. And I got into some some tips at every one of my employers, but I always made the best of it, made the situation better and got out of it. The, the pivotal point at Equal Health Alliance is that once, I, once I, I'm promoted to vice president, I start, start to see under the hood in detail of everything that's going on at the organization and none of it's adding up. And, and I, I have seen some of the other movies that you referred to. So I've seen like uh, The Informant, I think was a whistleblower movie. I'm trying to think which other ones. Maybe Aaron Brockovich kind of. Uh, maybe sure, not sure. That, that's a good one. And a couple other classics that whistleblowers usually pick up on. The Insider, Parallax View, The Constant Gardener, Three Days of the Condor. And then you start to get the gist of, oh, I'm doing something that's kind of unwelcome at the at the top. I thought I was doing the right thing. But then you start to find out there's people who are doing the wrong thing professionally. Yeah, absolutely. And that became the case at EcoHealth Alliance. So once I start to see under the hood and I actually read the technical manual, so the, the big revealing moment for me is that we have this big project or had this big project at EcoHealth Alliance called PREDICT. PREDICT was funded by the United States uh, 
United States Agency for International Development, USAID, and we were being paid to go collect coronavirus samples globally. And my boss, Dr. Peter Dasik, was running around telling the world that we were going to predict and prevent the next pandemic with this work that we were doing. But once I was actually brought onto the project and I read all the technical manuals, I realized like this is this is all a bunch of BS. This is pseudoscience. There's no way that we can actually accomplish the things that we're telling everybody to the tunes of, a tune of millions of dollars. And I even privately approached my boss. I'm like, you know, this, this sort of looks like pseudoscience. I don't know what the heck you're telling everyone here. And, and I did it very professionally and away from everyone else. And I'm, I was just trying to get a sense of what was going on. But the more and the more of the meetings and benefits and, and fundraisers that I went to, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really believe that they were getting people to pay for this. And this combined with um, my boss just being sort of a, um, a psychopath, I, I determined that towards my end of my employment at Equal Health Alliance, I decided to leave and I look back and it's the happiest day of my life. I, I never thought Equal Health Alliance would ever become anything because I left Equal Health Alliance in 2016. The pandemic doesn't happen until 2019. I went on to go be a professor and, and I was, that was fine there. And then I went off to be a tech executive in uh, Silicon Valley. And I, I did find it both those places and never thought anything about Equal Alliance. I'm like, oh, those people are just going to keep selling those people their snake oil. And, that, you know, they're going to be going down that path and it's never going to amount to anything. Well, boy, I was wrong. <laughs> Public school didn't, uh, didn't prepare you for such, a, for such a calculation? You got it wrong? How did you bet wrong on yourself in that case? Well, I bet, I bet right on myself by getting the heck out of there because otherwise I would have been like uh, any one of my colleagues that are still working there. And I'm surprised that that my colleagues, because there's only, unless they've changed the structure, there's only three or four other vice presidents and Dr. Dasik, and they still work there. And I can't believe none of them have spoken out. I know that most of the people all involved with this at Equal Health Alliance or the University of North Carolina and Columbia University, the first inner ring circle of this gain of function work, they've all lawyered up and they're not talking to anyone. So that, that tells you a lot. Yeah. Well, it also tells you a lot that nowhere along the line was EcoHealth Alliance uh, a suspect. That Dazak, he's the guy that gets to go in with the Chinese and say there's nothing to see here. He got to write that that snappy Lancet article saying any any questions will be conspiracy theory out of the gates. So I've become a fan of his for not good reasons, right? I've followed his, you know, I'm like, who is this guy who's like Johnny on the spot? Who's this guy who's talking about making chimeric gain of function? On, you know, he's so calm and casual. I, I, I'm not going to pathologize him, but sociopath, psychopath, somewhere in that realm is the people mm -hmm. who don't care about the lives of other people and the causality of their actions, right? And this gain of function thing where they hope to prevent another pandemic by making something super virulent so they can like head it off at the pass. That doesn't make any sense, but it does make sense for bioweapons. And it does make sense because there's these treaties over the years that you can't do the bioweapons that they would rebrand it and go over here and try to do it under USAID, which is the CIA. Or later, it's just DARPA, DARPA, DARPA all through and through with all the mRNA stuff, right? And then you you left in 2016. So you had a couple years there where, work, where you're working directly under Dr. Dazak, right? And you see, and you're participating in fundraising uh, you know, hobnobbing with people in tuxedos and, you know, giving them the, this is what we can do and give us money. And then writing grant requests for NQTEL, which is the CIA DOD kind of funding arm, right? So you're right in the middle of their pitch deck. When you were talking about your pitch deck, I'm like, you got me at hello. I'm a, I'm a former Silicon Valley, Wall Street salesman. Talk, talk to me about your pitch deck. You're helping these guys 
actually put money in the bank so they can send the bat lady and the batman out to the bat cave and make some aerosolized mrna vaccines and stuff so that's a pretty crazy work payload i'm glad you got into academia where i'm sure it's a lot slower pace and you know so you you had that stint but you're no longer working there when they finish all these things and put them to work so you see the pandemic come out and then you see your former employer involved and then what starts your gears going there and when did that happen well my gears start going in late december of 2019 because that's when i find out about the pandemic and it's yeah. it's not even on a blip on the national news yet so i, no, I find out through like yeah. a online forum you see this uh, thing going on in china and yeah. we did too. I work with like I read Whitney Webb's DARPA document in uh, January 2020 before the, the states has even known about COVID, and we're already watching this thing in China. And then we're looking at this thing that DARPA's doing. I'm like, does, does this have anything to do with each other? And sure enough, like a week later, it's like, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. So go ahead, please continue. Well, heck, you were more on top of it than I was because I couldn't believe it. I mean, so the so I found out about the virus in Wuhan, China, this emerging infectious disease event, and. Initially, I'm like, yeah, it's probably naturally emerging. But then in the back of my mind, I know that Equal Health Alliance had the Wuhan Institute of Virology as a subcontractor for all this gain of function work. And I'm like, you know, this seems weirder and weirder and weirder. And then by the time, you know, I'm into January or February of 2020, I'm I'm firmly camp lab leak. And I'm trying to convince everyone that it's a lab leak just based on the circumstantial evidence alone and how the U.S. government is lying to us. I mean, that was the thing that I found most concerning or strange was that from Late, late. So if I find out about it in, in mid to late December 2019 and the U.S. government and the other epidemiologists in the circle are not talking about this, they're not communicating out to the public, they're not fulfilling their mission as, as the CDC, for example, what the heck is going on? And I thought I was in the twilight zone. I didn't know whether this was really a political thing. So I didn't know, know whether I could trust Republicans. I didn't know whether I could trust Democrats. Nothing made sense about it. And I was watching, trying to see, like, take cues from the administration. With, well, so eventually to the point where we have Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci coming out, they're giving us bad information and then they're flip-flopping continually. They're, they're not, the U.S. government's ignoring the National Pandemic Preparedness Plan, which I had helped work on a couple different versions of that for different government agencies. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? I'm like, this just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And I didn't know if it was a big cover-up operation. And then we get to get eventually to the point where, as you mentioned earlier, that Dr. Daskin is appointed to the WHO's investigation of the origin. And I'm just, I'm like, none of this makes sense. I'm like, I cannot believe. So the guy who's running the laboratory or subcontracting the laboratory with this probably leak from is put in charge. And then the Lancet letter and all these other things. Yes. And we all, all know the history of how this plays out. But I mean, it, it's just, it was so fantastic for me. So f fantastical that I couldn't believe it myself. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You should be highly incredulous and keep having to find more and more facts until they stack up beyond reasonable doubt. Right. So I did not believe I didn't I didn't come to a conclusion that early on in January, February. But I was definitely like once I put together that there's a thing going on and that there is a lab there because I thought the lab thing, I thought it was conspiracy theory. I was incredulous. I was like, there's no lab right near. The, oh, oh, geez. And they do, they do work on this stuff. And then yeah, I looked up. And like two and, labs, yeah. right? Right, right. <laughs> two, there, two there, are two, there are two labs. There are two <laughs> labs technically. And then you see when they're built and who works there and what they're doing and what EcoHealth is doing there. And then you see uh, Dr. Xi Zheng Li, who's working with Barrick at UNC and the no CM technique and all this stuff just added up way too quick. So then 
Francis Boyle, who wrote the uh, anti-terror bio, the anti-bio weapons terror, anti-terrorism act, 1989. He came on the scene. He's a constitutional law professor. And he's like, here's the papers. And he pointed out the 2013 nature article, the 2014 ban of gain of function, the continue continuation of all that in 2016, 2017. And I said, well, there's definitely something here. So then I went back and I looked at the 2009 Pentagon pandemic planning document. And I've, I've familiarized myself with that. And I went through and I said, okay, it's very vanilla. It's very general. But by the time you get to the 2018 Pentagon pandemic planning document, they're very specific that the only thing that, the, that can shut down the world is a pandemic. And what kind of pandemic? It has to be a novel respiratory coronavirus pandemic that would trigger this event. Now, at the same time I see that document, there's other groups like uh, Fauci and Barta and uh, talking at Milken Institute on October 2019. And they're like, hey, uh, making vaccines and eggs, that's the old style. We want to do that new mRNA technology, but there's too much bureaucracy. And if we could just make this thing happen, if we could just cause an event, and they're just wishing on stage. And at that very time, it's out there, where it came from, how it got out there. We'll talk about that in a second. But at that same moment in October, you got event 201. You have all these things stacking up. You got the closure of Wuhan lab over there because something happened. They got ordering of new air systems for that place. There's a whole ton of stuff. And nobody in our side from the authority side is, is curious, worried, concerned. They're all just like, everybody shut down. We're going to do this two weeks, but it's really going to be three years thing. And they were all in lockstep. And then you find out oh, that's a huge, that's lockstep. A, yeah, that's ahead, a huge, that, I got to jump in. That's yeah. a huge time a time gap and difference too. So from the time that where the, the Chinese laboratory starts shutting down to, until the time where they're saying two weeks in the United States, that's a period of about five months. Six months. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. So whether it was accidental, but then the other thing was, there's one more piece of information that no one really talks about. There's a August 28th new uh, Washington Post article, I think it is. And it talks about Fort Detrick having to be shut down. And at the bottom of the article, it doesn't tell you why it was shut down in August 2019, right before the pandemic. But it does say when it had to be shut down in the past like this, it's because they are working on viruses off the database, black projects. And if they got caught in August with a black project and they didn't want to scuttle it, they might move it over to a new place where they're already doing contract work. And that would take a series of hours or days to make that transition. And if the new BSL-4 lab over in Wuhan got something they're not prepared to handle, it could readily leak, but that could also just be plausible cover for how it gets out in the first place. So the, I don't know whether it's accidental or on purpose, but they're definitely working on the thing that came out and they definitely had the antidote ahead of time that they wanted to use. And they definitely didn't panic and they they benefited at every step of the way and no one got fired. So I can only assume that it rolled out exactly how they wanted it. And now people like you are putting up resistance and, and pointing out inconvenient truths. Yeah, I don't think it, it rolled out quite exactly the way that they intended it to. Agreed, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at, at least for the Chinese Communist Party, I do firmly believe it's a leak. I don't think it was intentional. They could have maybe bribed someone to get to leak. If the U.S. military was moving something from Usamrid um, to Wuhan, the easiest way to do it would be like standard mail. You just put it in a, a secure shipping package and you set it. And yeah, that's typically how they move these agents around. They're not supposed to do that in some cases, but oftentimes they're just shipped. And I think um, actually Ralph Barrick, there's a recorded interview of him talking about him sh uh, shipping chimerics uh, in standard mail. So 
Um, you know, who knows how, where it was actually the, the final agent was engineered. I, I don't really think that matters. It only matters where it escapes, escapes in Wuhan. And the reason why I don't think this was quite lock and step for China and what the Chinese Communist Party want is look where they are today. So they're having a lot of domestic upheaval. The Communist Party is arguably weaker today than it was before the pandemic. They've actually lost GDP um, since the pandemic. It's decreased. Um, they haven't hit their party recruitment goals for new members coming into the party. So I think, and then also you, you said, I want to pick up on something else. You also said that they had the antidote. Well, they had a new experimental drug or platform that they wanted to use, and that's the mRNA. The Chinese are not using it. We're using it to our own detriment. And it would be suicide to intentionally release this on your own soil not knowing exactly how it would behave or play out in the population. And this is why I'm still in camp leak, not intentional. Uh, people sure. are, a lot of people have been saying it's intentional, it's intentional. You know, Obama, Obama did this. I haven't seen the evidence yet. I mean, I, I, I'm the kind of guy that I will change my opinion when the evidence comes out to demonstrate that. I just haven't yeah. seen anything to support that yet. All right, good, good, good. And I'm not going to try to influence you on that because I don't have a decision either. I don't think it matters. It's already happened. It's what we do from here on out. However, if there was a, a, a group of people who were internationalists, and it's not a Republican Democratic thing, right? It's about creating a global government. If it was about globalism and depopulation and bringing in uh, a new social credit system and a great reset for the planet, then you don't need the Communist Party and you don't need the American pol political system. You don't need the American dollar anymore. All these things are in flux and changing right now. And there is a lot of evidence to all that I just pointed to. So it's a supranational group of people that are acting as uh, people who openly declare that they want a world government and that the time of nation states and individual rights is past. So they want communism. They want you to own nothing and like it. You've heard those rumors, but what people see with uh, like the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab, they don't take it too seriously because they're not meant to. But that's the world's biggest corporations. And they were made as a working group from the Club of Rome in 1970, who said, we need a World Economic Forum to do this thing. And the Club of Rome was about depopulation. And over, you know, they say overpopulation. So now we have to get to uh, like the green agenda and net zero and all these things, ESG, all these things that are coming in. There's a connection between all of them. There's a narrative that has evolved over the past hundred years on all this stuff. So you're not supposed to know any of that stuff because you're just out there living life, right? But then you bump into, why is DASAC untouchable? And does the CIA or MI6 or other nation state intelligence agencies have anything to gain from exactly what's going on? Yeah, that's a great question. So the the WEF, uh, the, so I'm well aware of the WEF, the globalist agenda. Mm -hmm. And, it, and the, you know, the wealthy large corporations or multinational corporations that are part of the ESG scores, sometimes I look at it this way. You never let a good disaster go to waste. So sure, for that's, all these, that's Rahm Emanuel. That's, that's, that's good for political uh, upheaval. They use that all the time. Absolutely. And I think that's, to a large extent, what happens here. Now, it depends who you ask, though, because there's so many different. So when you say globalists or the World yeah. Economic Foundation types, there's so many different entities that are actually a part of that in individuals. So I think if you ask um, an Exxon Mobil versus asking a Bill Gates, they might have the, each, each one group versus the man might have very different answers or responses to, you know, what would be your intent behind certain decisions or actions 
that you make mm-hmm. it. And so it's, it's, I think it's, I have a difficult time lumping them all together. So I, I do think like the, the Bill and Melinda Gates types, they, they don't care about people or humanity and they sure. will do anything to, to further their wealth. I do think there are some members, corporations are, that are part of the, the World Economic Foundation because it suits their better line, but they probably don't even agree with their own ESG scores that they're trying to push on everybody else. Um, and there's been a lot of pushback actually recently against ESG scores. They, they might might not be sticking around, but the weird overlaps then you get between um, the world economic the World Economic Foundation and then the communist social socialist yeah. agenda is very strange. All right, and, so this this is a good point for you to be at, man, because part of the interview is for me to help you grow a little bit, right? So I've been doing this for 20 years. I've asked these questions. So like you're seeing communist China. But the people I'm talking about, they ran the communist experiments in Soviet Union and uh, communist China, all from Wall Street, right? So it's Anglo-American bankers. It's the city of London bankers. It's Wall Street bankers and the people that they represent, more importantly. Bill Gates and those guys, those foundations, they're the bottom Recording part in of progress. our population that does see us as cattle, as animals to be dealt with, to be, I blame the FBI. To be tracked to be harnessed for their purposes. They have a might makes right mentality. They believe he who has the gold makes the rules, right? So there's a, there's grow a little bit, right? So I've been doing this for 20 years. I've asked these questions. So like you're seeing communist China, but the people I'm talking about, they ran the communist experiments in Soviet Union and uh, communist China, all from Wall Street. Right. So it's Anglo-American bankers. It's the city of London bankers. It's Wall Street bankers and the people that they represent. More importantly, Bill Gates and those guys, those foundations, they're the bottom part of a population that does see us as cattle, as animals to be dealt with, to be chipped, to be tracked, to be harnessed for their purposes. They have a, a might makes right mentality. They believe he who has the gold makes the rules. Right. So there's a there's a super state out there. Now, there's a lot of credible information. I have David uh, Rockefeller's memoirs on page 408. He says he's a proud internationalist. And, you know, this is this is their goal for the past hundred years. The people that made their money, family money from the opium trade with the British Empire, they never stopped, even though America separated. There's always been a group of uh, Anglo-American, call them the Boston Brahmins or the Eastern establishment families that have been loyal to the crown. Because they they're into the narco terrorism, human trafficking, drug money market, unlimited money and power for that. And a lot of our universities and intelligence agencies represent that system, not something that's keeping America safe. So from an internationalist perspective, there's uh, like a book called The Superclass, 5000 individuals who are non-elected who control control the world. And it's written by someone who's a council on foreign relations member, Carnegie member, Kissinger Associates partner, David Rothkopf. So there's a lot of credible books. The 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 number two in Canada, Christia Freeland, who works for Trudeau, World mm-hmm. Economic Forum Young Leader, she wrote a book called The Plutocrats. She's very happy to tell you that there's a group of people, they're separating from us, and that they do have these agendas of depopulation, call it eugenics, because they had to rebrand after their Hitler project that they funded. So all these sort of things, these contradictions come into place. And if you see like Wuhan and the medical establishment in China today, you can go back to the 1920s when the Rockefeller Foundation set all of it up. And the the source for that, by the way, is Raymond Fosdick, who was the president of the Rockefeller Foundation. He says how the allopathic Rockefeller medical establishment set in China, like they, the robber barons from the Western countries set up China's industrial nature so they could be communist in the first place. And then they funded Mao. 
David Rockefeller's proudest project? Well, my response to that is simple. I, I used to pal around with all these people and they were grooming them to be one of them, but I didn't have, you know, I would never have the capital to be one of them. And these, these notions of how humans are the riffraff and they're to be dealt with, it, it, it's in, by American politics, you could call it the uniparty at its best. And it, it, it is very real. Now, Rockefeller funding the Mao to, to run or basically gain power in China, uh, it would be a brilliant strategic move for him to get the resources out of the country for him to amass more wealth. And that, that, that is nothing new. I mean, that, that actually takes place through um, American Western expansion from different exactly. types of resource, resource extraction, whether it's the timber or uh, petroleum industry, sort of during our, the golden age. And, so and gold so and take that metals. point, you're absolutely right. And when the robber barons were done harnessing the wealth of America, they sent the, their, their parties over to Russia and China to set up for the Cold War in the whole 20th century. Um, you can't have all the 20th century war with all, without railways and roads and industry to help them along to produce planes and trains and automobiles. That's true. So with a bigger picture and no longer seeing it as Republican and Democrat, let's look at some of the first people you went to when you blew the whistle. Because I've been right there. I didn't know the political angles when I went and started trying to tell people what was going on. So did you go, uh, I think you went to a, a Democratic congressman or representative? And Well, yeah, a n- number of people. So first of all, I start telling secretly journalists, mainstream media journalists, w- what are going on. And t- ones who tend to probably be more Republican leaning. And then some independent scientists and critical thinker types. Uh, Brett Weinstein, Brett Weinstein, and uh, Jan Yeklik. And anyways, this is when my phones get tapped. <laughs> so my phone, my phones are being tapped by the FBI when this is happening. Or NSA. So when you start, when you start reaching out, you notice that you're under uh, signals intelligence. Well, no, I don't. So oh, okay, this is in retrospect. So okay, right it's on. immediately after having these conversations, and then me starting to talk to to speak with foreign journalists that the harassment and then heavy surveillance and intelligence gathering happens around my house and in my life. The first people that I decided to go to, though, are uh, elected representatives in the House, in the House Intelligence Committee, that are Republican, because the Democrats won't hear me. And then in my state, though, I actually go to Senator uh, Gary Peters' office, to file a whistleblower com- complaint. And then he actually threatens my communications executive on the phone, which he, I couldn't believe. Um, and then by pointing to the newly minted DHS bulletin on COVID misinformation. So the whole wow. ministry of truth thing that yeah. came out the, the day after I contacted Gary Peters office, I think they actually crafted it just for me specifically to threaten me. And then I just kept doing my thing anyways. And um, I think the FBI got back to my attorney related to that too. That, that may or may not be true because uh, there's a lot happening right then. But the whole thing, I mean, it, it's its so surreal. You just, you can't believe that it happened, and but it actually did. Yeah, it's difficult to communicate to other people. So in my case, uh, when I blew the whistle, I first called the SEC who was investigating my company already. I called the attorney who's investigating. I, I worked for a company that's now Dell EMC. So it's a pretty big company. And the guy who's investigating 
threatens me with prison. He says, you know, we can send you for send you to prison. And I have a recording of the call. I played it in court because I was so blown back. Like, this is not what I expected to happen in this call. So when you start getting the opposite of the response, like you do something and you expect a certain causality and you start getting irrational causalities, you're like, what's going on? And I wasn't political back then. I don't know how political you were when you're reaching out, but I didn't know right from left. And so you went to the right who would hear you. Did they do anything? No, they didn't. And they still haven't done anything until this moment. And we actually went back with more evidence and basically a shortened a bridge version of my book with only the scientific facts and uh, facts of fact pattern of what happened mm-hmm. to, to Senate. And they, they didn't want to investigate. So we'll see if they actually investigate today. And then my next course of actions, I actually filed whistleblower complaints with all the different three letter agencies involved, which is damn near all of, D, uh, all of DC, which yeah. people don't realize. I mean, every three letter agency is involved with this debacle. And I filed whistleblower complaints with all the agencies. And then when they, of the two agencies that actually got back to me, they only were interested in, in investigating Equal Health Alliance's financial crimes, mm. which were a slap on the wrist. And I even said that before I brought these up. I'm like, well, you know, there's this minor time card fraud thing and there's this. But they only wanted to talk about that and none of yeah. the gain of function work things. Yeah, it's outside their jurisdiction. It's outside their purview. They they have a budget to go after some money, but they don't, they're not trying to like get in the way of national security. That's not their job. Yeah, so, national security. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much of this is national security. I mean, it's a big intelligence community screw up. Back to your earlier point, point or statement on, you know, what would the CIA's interest be here? Well, I don't know what the CIA's interest here is, and I, I try to figure that out, but they're definitely, we're, we're probably pivotal in orchestrating the relationship of, or the the establishment of the relationship between key individuals in the United States and abroad. That that part is, is key, to, is clear to me. And then how much more behind that? I don't know. Have you ever looked into the origin and evolutions of the CIA? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite familiar. All right. So and, and I've worked with these people. Like I talk about the book yeah, yeah, I've absolutely, yeah. over the years. Right. I got interested yeah. after I worked amongst these people too. So uh Wall Street bankers, but British intelligence comes from City of London uh bankers. So it's Wall Street lawyers here, it's City of London bankers over there. Our intelligence agencies, CIA, OSS, how they started, uh GCHQ created NH uh, NSA, they're they're not, they're not ours. They're part of the Anglo-American establishment. That's why they're part of the Five Eyes British Empire intelligence system. And it's been deep capture since Kennedy was killed. And so there was a time when American intelligence was just about preserving American ideas, values, our lifestyle. But in my lifetime, CIA has never been doing the work of American citizens. It's always been doing the work of property management for the empire that created it. And that starts back before 20 years before CIA with the CFR, the Council on Foreign Relations, an injection of the Anglo-American communist system, because the council is a Soviet, the Council on Foreign Relations. They couldn't call it Soviet on foreign relations here in America because of, you know, the Russian experiment. But it's the same thing. So we're being colonized. And what you are is coming in on the bottom of seeing that colonization. But until you get the contextual history of what the game's being played, you're probably going to continue to run into some healthy resistance, which is good because you're over the target, man. That's why I was excited to talk to you. I'm like, oh, I'm talking to somebody who's right there over the target and talking about the chimeric gain of functions that Fauci denies all through and through. So, <laughs> let, so let's take a look at why would they need to put 
Why would they need to humanize mice? What's the ACE2 receptor in this whole this whole game of mRNA and getting this coronavirus to bond with human beings? Because it wasn't doing a good job. And then they did some function experiments, 2013, these sort of things. And then they all of a sudden they had a thing that would attach to humans. And then all of a sudden there was a plan to shut down the world if this thing were to happen. And, you know, there's a lot more congruency there to be uh, to be had. So this uh, humanizing of mice, why would they do that? Well, don't forget the humanizing of bats, too. Yes, the batify. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we have humanized bats and human vampire mice. bats, too, were in there. If you read the drastic papers, you know, uh, fr from the leak, from uh, the summary side, he made these claims. I was like, what? And then I got into the source documents. So I've gone through all these documents just like you and and Renz and other people that are really interested and have the capacity and the curiosity to be like, what are they doing here? Because you took away my career with this. So I got nothing better to do than to look into you now, right? So what have you discovered? What did you know when you worked there? What did you think they were doing? And what do you know now? Well, when I worked there, I actually was asked to review the Understanding the risk of bat coronavirus emergence proposal. I was a brand new, I was hired as a senior scientist. And when I went to go review this thing, I, I didn't really think anything of it because it's very common for scientists to peer review your organization or your peers, they, you know, the people in your office, their work to, to help them get the funding. So I reviewed this proposal, it's highly polished um, and it's clearly gain of function work. And Without a doubt, and noticing a number of you know sort of inconsistencies toward the back, but my boss tell, tells me that he's got it taken care of and not to worry worried about it. those inconsistencies being with direct violations of biosafety and uh, biosafety protocol according to NIH on the select agent form. So even though you notice it, they tell you don't worry about it. Yeah, my yeah, boss tells patterns, me that he's got patterns here. Yeah, <laughs> but my boss tells me that he, he's basically got it taken care of. Don't worry about it. And I believe him. You know, like yeah. what the heck? I, and I've got my own plate of work to do. <laughs> yeah. For me, I look at it this way: it's a regulatory checkbox, and if he can't get it past the regulators, it I've notified him. It's on him if it fails, because it would be something to disqualify you if you got caught. So I had done my my due diligence. Um, we discussed gain of function. If you know. A number of times while I worked at Equal Alliance, because guess what? We're infectious disease scientists, researchers, epidemiologists, veterinarians, people working in this field. Of course, we're discussing gain of function work. It's the most hot topic, <laughs> controversial hot topic in, in, in the space. Um, with this project, I was happy when we got the award. It, it helped uh, uh, Peter and Kevin expand the company, nice chunk of money. Um, an interesting side note is that we actually get an email back from NIH, and I think it's late. Uh, or early 2016 or late 2015, that they suspect that this is a dangerous gain of function work that's under the ban, the mor mor uh, moratorium. And then they allow Dr. Dasik to write the rules of how this is not gain of function, how he's not going to break the rules. Sort of unbelievable. Sophism but, at its best. Yeah. And then so back to, you, to your question of, of how this, you know, why do this work? So the, the argument is that we do where scientists perform gain of function work so that we can get ahead of the next pandemic threat or the next bioterror threat or the next uh, bioweapon threat. So if you take an agent and you engineer to be one or two steps ahead, uh, evolutionary time speaking, you can make modifications to a drug or a vaccine to treat that, that, that critter or that bug or that pathogen that might come out in the future. The only problem is <clears throat> with what actually happens is that they engineer these bugs to have um, genetic characteristics which are unlikely or not probable. For example, the SARS-CoV-2 agent has 
HIV inserts in it. And you, you have to ask yourself, well, how would a bat coronavirus get HIV, which is a human reservoir disease, or maybe you could even argue, argue chimps in some rare cases. Now, how do we know that? Because that paper was withdrawn after it was published that claimed that. Remember the Indian scientists in February 2020, they published on Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, and they're like, it, it includes uh, <clears throat> HIV glycoprotein insert. And then all of a sudden, a couple of days later, somebody made a call and all of a sudden it's withdrawn. I have the oh. paper here. Yeah. yeah. So there's a there's a there's a secondary so there's source. Two, there's there's two da da databases. One's called GenBank, mm -hmm. and that is a, a, a genetic sequence database. And then there's a tool called Blast. Blast is a, a way to go search for uh, sequence uh, pairs in, in a this database. So it's very clearly if you go look at the genetic sequence of SARS-CoV-2, the strain it has these HIV inserts in it, and most alarmingly, some of these. Uh, inserts or not inserts but uh, sequences were patented by moderna it in 2013 through 2016 on genetic material which would have been collected at EcoHealth alliance from the predict program in the 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 manufacture and testing of the mrna sars-cov-2 jab before the pandemic even happened all right now let's pause there for a second a hot second because at that time 2013 2014 moderna is being funded and given technological help from darpa and so is EcoHealth Alliance. EcoHealth Alliance got a lot more from DARPA than they did from Tony Fauci's NIH, which tells you what, what's the Defense Department do? They're the Department of War. They're, they're not making peace agents with their budgets, right? So there's a heavy overlap between DARPA and EcoHealth Alliance. Well, not so much just DARPA, but yeah. I would say national security. So For sure. the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Defense, generally speaking, I received most of my funding from from the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, which is a sub agency of DoD. Which but Malone also worked works for or worked for. I don't know if he still contracts there, but he worked for DTRA as well. Who did? Uh, Robert Malone. Oh yes. Well, that's how. Well, when Robert Malone and I first meet, um, the, the, it was through Trial Site News, actually his website. But they they recorded it, and we had a very high level discussion about what the other person knew. Yeah. Uh, which is very interesting because he's been working on the countermeasure and I had been developing signals intelligence basically mm -hmm. for DOD. And we had sort of operated at the same level, but in two different silos. So you know, <laughs> I was just going to say that those silos were put in by the Dulles brothers right before Kennedy was killed. <laughs> the, the compartmentalization and Angleton, that, that was all part of uh, the British invasion. All right, let's get back to the topic at hand. So when you're there, what specific unethical things did you see outside of like the fundraising? Did you see a misrepresentation of what they were actually doing to what they were telling investors? Oh, absolutely. And, and it made me sick to my stomach. So the first year that I worked there, well, well I'm a senior scientist. I, I hear about all the other things that, that the other people in the company are allegedly doing. And this being the predict program and some of the other modeling or other, other things that they're just telling, they're telling everyone that we're doing conservation work. And, they were, we would bring these cute fur furry animals. We go, we'd, we'd get animals from like the Bronx Zoo or something. We'd bring them into benefits and we have the, these, uh, these big, huge parties. Like we had an, an annual event at Guastavinos in New York city, a very fancy uh, uh, banquet place, mm -hmm. bring the billionaires in, have all the cute animals there, you know, and we tell everyone that we're saving these animals. And the first time that I saw this, I'm like, I can't believe that they're telling everyone this. I mean, we do scientific, hard, pretty hard scientific research modeling and forecasting, and none of it involves any of these animals. And 
Spreadsheets aren't sexy. And everyone, everyone believed it though. Like everyone believed it because we set it up. We told everyone that we do that we're doing. They believe that was real. They believed that we could predict pandemics. And I was probably the most hardcore infectious disease forecaster and modeler at the organization. I joke I was the only person at Equal Alliance to ever predict anything, which is true. Um, but you know, they're telling you we're going to pre- predict pandemics, and to think about the hubris you have to have to think that you could do this. It, it means he just, Peter Daskin would just fundamentally didn't understand what he was dealing with. It's like you have a thousand different, 10,000 different variables on something the size, a spatial map the size of the planet. Any one little thing could go wrong. You don't know the parameter space for any of these things. The most complicated statistics and, and modeling and simulation in the world. And yet we're going to do it. And, and um, yeah, it just, once it all clicked, that's, that's like I said before, I, I told Peter, like some of this sounds like pseudoscience. And then you see people, you know, forking out, you know, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars. Then simultaneously asking, you know, we would ask different parties to fund the same thing. So we get one party to fund it, and then we go to a different party and ask them to fund the same thing, and they'd fund it. And not exactly legal if it's coming from private donors, but definitely shady. And I wanted nothing to do with it. The more that I saw this, I started distancing myself from it. So I just started going to. Uh, I tried to not go to as many of the fundraisers. As many of the events, one of the, the when it really hit me the hardest, I was actually asked to go uh, present to the Google Foundation and Google headquarters, and then with some of the the co-founders of Google, probably a couple steps down from the actual founders, and we're having a private you know private party in this fancy house in downtown San Francisco, and I'm giving a presentation on my work, and it is all very national security focused. So I'm talking about how I'm detecting diseases and mm-hmm. how this pr- protects the military and helps protect civilians and all this other stuff. Yeah. And then finally, you know, some, a woman stops me and raises her hand about three quarters through my presentation says, this all sounds a lot like defense. And I was so shocked. I'm like, in my mind, I'm sitting here thinking, like, what did you think this was? <laughs> like, I didn't know what to say. I, I, like she caught me speech, made me speechless. I didn't know how to respond to this. And I called on Dr. Kevin Oliveau like, hey, Kevin, do you think you can help me respond to this question? And because my next 15 slides were coming back, we're just going to go deeper down the rabbit hole with surveillance yeah. and defense and disease detection and, and, and artificial intelligence. And I think, thought, you know, I was focusing my conversation on being, well, you are all tech people, so you'll understand the tech application of me building, building artificial intelligence platforms yeah. for d- disease detection. And I thought they would all get a kick out of that. But all of a sudden, you know, it was like this big red flag went off. Like, this is all defense. I'm like, um, <laughs> I'm sorry it is. And then so you start having moments like this and then, you know, it, you have something like this similar that would happen at, at a cocktail party or, um, and it, it's always with the people actually outside the sphere of the other executives that you're working with too. It's, it's when you have to then lie to people outside the organization about what you think is going on. You know, when the board of directors would stop by my office and Hey, how are things going here? Well, I'm not going to throw my boss under the bus, but I don't want to tell this person either that, Oh God, everything's great. And we're going to change the world. It, it, and people can pick up on that though too. And they changed the world, all right. Yeah, they changed the world, but not in the way that they're anticipating. But the board of directors have a lot of uh, at Equal Alliance have a lot of sort of strange connections as well. Many yeah. into petrochemical and uh, pharmaceutical. Yeah, they're they're people's Renfields who hold those positions of power in the public, right? They're not the actual people behind the scenes. They're the people that can go out in the daylight. I'm speaking metaphorically, not because it can get confusing in the truth community, whether I'm being metaphorical. I think that um, 
If Daszak writes an autobiography, it should be called Hubris. <laughs> and maybe if we get our way, it could be Hubris and Humiliation, because he needs to be, I think, well, I'm not saying anything to him, but I'm just saying for someone to have the influence and power during a pandemic emergency situation, to write a fake paper for the British, uh, the Lancet. Lancet's a British medical journal, isn't it? Is it is or is it the, Lan the American one? Lancet's American. Uh, but Lancet's the American. British medical journal has BNJ. Yeah, yeah. So the Lancet has uh, a very uh, well-established ethos in the community and very well-trusted. And at a time when things are pretty dicey, they let this one guy, you know, because we know through uh, the the foia request from right to know foundation we have to ask emails in november of 2020 we saw what he typed in february and how he made up the whole lancet thing and signed these other people's names to it like if that's not cause right there for suspicion and investigation i don't know what is but he's got 10 of these things where he's walked away clean so he's somebody's untouchable player on the field he's like a quarter he's like you know he's like tom brady you can't touch him you know, you well, know. well, I know for a fact, I mean, if, if he wasn't lying when he told me that he was working with, so for your audience, Peter Desk asked me whether or not he should work with the CIA. And then he shortly after he asked me that question, he then confirmed that he was working with them. And I have no reason to believe that he's lying. Uh, back to Peter's uh, memoir or autobiography. He's actually an excellent writer. So it, it'd be interesting to see, watch him. It'd probably be interesting to, to read and see how mm. much uh, psychopathology comes out of, comes out of that book. Now him being in, uh, untouchable, you know, I, I don't understand why in, in this tact that, that he does take with the Lancet and the other uh, peer, the other scientists in the, the sphere. So one thing is those other scientists all had something to lose by this being a lab leak. They would either lose funding, they could risk uh, losing, uh, in business terms, market access. So mm -hmm. if virology gain-of-function work is dangerous, it, a lot of it dries up overnight. I mean, there's not a whole lot for virologists to do without gain-of-function work. So basically the whole job market drops off for vi virologists. Um, and the fact pattern is Dr. Dasik actually did this all the time when I worked at Equal Alliance, and I knew how to do it too, unfortunately. I guess this has made a darker side of my own personality is that I was really good at hurting the cats and looking at the rhetorical strategy of how to get all the other scientists on, like the house whip or something, how to get all the other players on board mm -hmm. so that we could submit a letter to make this rock solid. How do we build scientific consensus? How do, and, the, and when I say that, I mean consensus. It doesn't mean consensus, it just means we have a bunch of powerful people who all agree to this because. Where, well, peer review is supposed to be this objective system where uh, there's no bias inherent. And actually, it's been created to have nothing but bias in it. And that's something I figured out as a graduate student is that the entire peer review process is um, nothing but bias. And it's all regression to the mean. So it's biased because it's blind. And if someone wants to spear somebody and, and do a lousy job in the review, and this actually comes out with all the different scientists tied into this over the past year, you can spear somebody and then nobody can come back after you and say, that was a crappy review, you're wrong or challenge you. You can't be challenged. Then the, the journal editors are all in, in bed together and in bed with NIH in terms of funding and their appointments. So it's really a hierarchical system of, of you know, what they think of group think or in group speak and, and what is uh, acceptable to be published in the, and I've actually accused the Lancet of being that ever since probably 2012. When I figured it out, my advisor thought I was crazy. And I go, no, it looks like they're only publishing certain drug studies in this, which are favorable over compared to some of the other things that I, that I know are happening. I've been talking to some other scientists working on things where the Lancet refused to publish their work. So it, it's very much, um, it's very much a club. 
academia is a club just like um just like uh being the elites are a club it's you know one of the, the sub factions of the elite and and this is a little personal story so i went to a when i lived in new york city i went to a industry night party so for people who live in manhattan all the plebes supposed to supposedly go party and come into town on friday through sunday all the locals go out on monday yeah and where do you live by the way in new york city uh 45th and 10th in hell's kitchen um oh, right on. It was, and then it was flipping over becoming super trendy yeah yeah i, well, I was I at 87th there. and riverside Hell's okay. Kitchen's, that's a good area they built that up a lot in the last 20 years yeah so i, I went out on an industry night and uh went dancing in a nightclub or something and i met some some young women and they're like you should come to their artsy type and they're like you should come to a party with us on thursday so I go to the after work, I go from Eco Alliance and I go to this after work get together and it's a very, it's in Soho and it's a very curated club of people, I would say, mm-hmm. all very wealthy. And I realized, you know, I start talking to everyone, I'm making small talk and I realized that I'm the only person like me there. There are no other scientists there, no other academic types. And then, but I'm seeing that there's just certain types of people there. And the reason why it clicks for, for me, I had been asked to go there because I was the token scientist that they wanted to be a part of their club. And so these kind of things, you know, it's, it's not so far fetched to think that I, this is one time I've experienced in my life. Yeah. These things go on and you bump into them. So what you described as far as academia and it being controlled and peer review, that's a function of what they call the Prussian education system that they brought here to take individuality, individuality out of education and to make it into indoctrination. So that whole system you pointed at is a function of that. And then the other part about how they it's controlled, that's just a microcosm of how our mainstream media works for the past hundred years. Like there's only so many newspapers that they have to control the editors and then they can control what's printed in the paper. And if it goes against the narrative, then the public never finds out about it. Now, 20 years ago, I went to Lowell Bergman because he was played by Al Pacino in that movie, The Insider. And I was like, here's a guy from PBS Frontline. He'll he'll look at my stuff. And he did with his team of people for about a year. And then he came back and said, this might be going on, but we can't touch it. Conflicts of interest. <laughs> Conflict of interest I learned about. I was like, what do you mean? And then lawyers also. I had to represent myself pro se because no lawyer would go up against, you know, Richard Egan's company. He was an ambassador to Ireland at the time, and he was Cheney's biggest fundraiser. So you you learn, they don't tell us this in school, that you can't go check people in power with these laws that they broke. I thought that was a thing, like the whistleblower has protection, but they ordered my termination the same day. So there's no protection in reality. And you saw with the retaliation as it escalated, they weren't looking to, oh, let's investigate your claims and see if you're telling the truth. They know you're telling the truth. They don't want you to tell other people and they're going to keep trying to discourage you. I think at this point, it's three years out the gate that you should be pretty safe from here. I mean, you wrote a book, you've told your story. This is not something that's going to overturn their paradigm overnight. You're not Julian Assange, but you bring a very important piece of history from a very, very nefarious company at the time of this big thing happening and thankfully you weren't there when they were cooking and finishing this whole thing you were just there for a slice back in you know 2014 2016 so you had enough context to be able to say hey there's something rotten in denmark but you also don't have to be confused with the people who did the thing because you weren't there you didn't do it you pointed out these people were doing wrong before they even did the bigger thing accidentally or on purpose we don't know what he was ordered to do well yeah and it I look at it this way: the whole thing is a, just a, from the United States perspective is, is a big, big disaster. I mean, let's just talk about the financial and economic impact of this. So, the U.S. government funded Equal Alliance to outsource this work, 
it, what stupid program manager didn't think how this could go wrong? Like the NIH person that contacted uh, Equal Health Alliance and said, this looks like this could be subject to the domestic gain of function ban. Maybe they should have just said, wanted to do some of that work that day and said, you know, we're going to stop this project. We're going to bring an end to this. Or it, um, one of a million people along the line who worked in the government could have said no. And that's what blows my mind here is that it seems that the bureaucrats and technocrats have gotten so lazy that it's just easier to say yes to everything and not rock the boat. And then these kind of these, these, these complex situations arise just because of this yes man mentality. And then it gets to another point where, well, geez, we just essentially created an atom bomb here on accident. And we gave an enemy of the United States the materials to make it. Oh, crap, it detonates. And then let's cover this up instead of saying, oh, we made some, some mistakes here. I think we need to correct this because this whole system and all these people are going to be wrapped up into this all again unless we take action to prevent this from happening again. Yeah. And that's my, my number one goal is that I don't, I don't want to see this happen again. And it's such a low bar. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, there's a million other things I could ask for. I mean, really, I'd like to see a, a new international treaty or bioweapons on bioweapons. I don't think that's easily obtainable by any, any means. Well, if you but, had it, who would enforce it? The people who just did the thing? See, that's the danger we're in. It's kind of like this catch 22. You, um, the way you're describing it reminds me of 20 years ago with 9-11. People were like, oh, they let it happen on purpose or they made it happen on purpose. My hop or lie hop. Well, in this case, let's say it was accidental. Well, then they would have gone through real measures to protect us and not denied us early treatment and not censored everybody. Like they have a custom made solution for something they're looking for. And at every step of the way, they tried to make it worse exaggerate the deaths, deny treatment, send it to the nursing home, deny, you know, all this sort of stuff. I, I'm not a, I'm not a jury. I'm not trying to adjudicate this, but I am saying maybe grand jury should look at this type of stuff. There's something, there's not just smoke here, there's fire. And you're in the midst of not only knowing the individual parts, how they fit together and where the contradictions are that people should be like, Hey, check this part of it out because this looks really fishy. This looks like it couldn't come from a pangolin banging a bat at the wet market or whatever the official story was, right? DNA doesn't match up. There's HIV in there. There's patents from Moderna and DARPA going around in these types of things. There's a reason to look more seriously at these things. And I don't think that people can just do that from interviews. I think they need to do it by reading books and Bobby Kennedy's books coming out in a couple this week or next week, right? It's got a red cover too. read all the red cover Wuhan books. Yeah. He must've still an idea from him. I had a conversation with him. I said, you know, you should really use a bright co cover instead of black on your books, but he sold like over a million copies of that book. And by use a bright color, it attracts the human eye and they're more likely to buy it. Well, I'm glad you <laughs> left. I'm glad you left margins in your book. Cause as I went through it, I took a lot of notes throughout and in Kennedy's uh, Fauci book, there is no margin. Like every bit of page was used for print all throughout that book. My only, my only question is there's no index in here, right? There's yeah. no index in the back. Was that a conscious decision or was it a function of it's your first book or how'd that work? Um, it was a function of this book getting hacked probably about four times during the, right. the, the during the process. So mm. when I was sending this book back and forth between Skyhorse is getting man in the middle attacked yeah. and they were screwing with it. And it, it had de delayed the release of the book probably by about three months or four months, which was their intent. So finally, it got to the point where Tony, uh, and he's the, the owner, I guess, manager at Skyhorse, 
Tony and I had a conversation like, let's just get this thing out as fast as we can. We just got to get it out to people. <laughs> you just have to just have to get it out. We're like, screw it. Yeah. And uh, I'm a big fan of Tony's because he was the guy who had the cojones to publish Alex Jones's book, The Great Reset. So I was like, whoever's bringing that to market has a big opportunity here. There are people like yourself with stories to tell, and they need a publishing company that's not going to wimp out or come in at the last minute and say, oh, uh, this conflicts with the interest of our investors. Sorry, we can't do that. I'm really glad that you were able to get it out to market and that it's a, it's very readable. It's like about 300 pages and uh, you do a good job of doing the, uh, the, I recognize the whistleblower's narrative. I'm like, oh, he's got a little bit of an extra grind here. Yes, you because you, you, you know it not only stuff that happened to you, but the function of what they did killed millions of people around the world. So I remember, you know, describing my own story. People were like, "Hey, do you have an accident?" Yeah, yeah, I lost a multi-million dollar career because these people get away with what well, wasn't grand theft world back then, but they've upped their game. This would just be grand theft country now it's grand theft world so um going forward uh what are the other big activities on your schedule for the rest of 2023 are you doing speaking engagements are you being filmed for documentaries what other activities are you doing to get the word out there and how well, I, have a help? I have a feature film which is a negotiation with a major hollywood studio all right so there's that, that. that's good that's good um next week i've got i'm doing sort of like all the people who are in austin texas excluding Joe Rogan, but hopefully I get to meet him while I'm there. Yeah, for sure. And then um, speaking engagements, more and more, more of those keep popping up. So the, I was getting hit so frequently, I was doing like eight interviews a day and that's dying down finally. So as those die down, now I'm going to get back to doing more writing and more focused uh, interviews and speaking. So that, that'll be picking up probably over the next six months. Now this, uh, this, this film project, you don't have to tell me who it is and the details, but um do you still own your life rights? Have you negotiated? Yes. That sort yeah. Of thing? So okay, I, I hired, I hired one of the best. So this is my, my second movie offer. I, I turned down the first one. We, we couldn't come to, to terms, but I hired a, a really good Hollywood attorney and uh, she, she's like, you want rights to this. You want rights to this. You want licensing rights to this. We're only licensing this to them. They actually own nothing. Good. And, and um, yeah, so basically I went through that with the first filmmaker, this filmmaker, um, I already had a better relationship with this filmmaker and this one, this person's very well known and has done bigger budget films. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I had to do at this point then was change the amount of money I was asking. So I increased it based on my book coming out now and delivering because the previous movie, when, when I received the previous movie offer, the book wasn't finished yet. So the person was sort of going on my word that I would get it done. And is it a, uh... Is it like a documentary or is it a, like a bio feature, feature film, feature, feature you know, film. So that, All right. that gun, that gunfight that goes on with the feds at my house will be in it. That's good. Uh, I've worked with several different whistleblowers who have eventually gotten their things out on, you know, major either Amazon or Netflix or Oliver Stone's made a movie or, or it's things like this. So it's not easy. And a lot of people have a couple falls in the way to getting that deal done. And along the way they get all banged up and jaded from that process. And I was trying to make sure that you had from story to distribution to the public, you've got it figured out. You got your attorney, you know, what your rights are going to be and what you want to hold on to. Uh, that sounds great. What's the, do you have a title? No. And well, even if I did, I went Wuhan. <laughs> well, probably that's probably the title, but they might come up with something else. You know, they'll do some market testing with, you know, yeah. 30 people in there to see how it sells. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. So uh, this is all well and good for a, a first interview. I didn't get to talk to you about uh, DARPA drastic and def, uh, preempt 
Because you guys had predict at USAID, there was also the preempt DARPA grant documents that allegedly got turned down, but looks like what, you know, they were looking for an aerosolized mRNA vaccine. I think that's, you know, with the, uh, with the spread and the leakiness, I mean, I think, did you use the word leaky in here often? Leaky? Sure. Yeah, I thought a leaky vaccine. Oh, yeah, leaky vaccine. Yeah, leaky, yeah, leaky vaccine yeah, leak. meaning that, that um, it, it, it doesn't stop transmission. Well, Simple. okay, so leaky vaccine in the, in the, like the PubMed literature, I looked to see if there was an aerosolized mRNA delivery, and there was research on that. But there was also aerosolized mRNA in between people who, like, I get it. And somebody else doesn't have it, but they I shed to them through aerosol, through coughing, sneezing, what have you. There's a lot of research on that, too. And so I wanted to disambiguate that to see if that was something that they had actually achieved or if it was just something that they said they wanted and were working on and were funding. Because it seems oh, so. Similar. Yeah. So aerosolized deliver. So aerosolized delivery of medications and drugs is a hot field. Mm. And so that's going to be an emerging biotechnology over the next five to 10 years. I can't tell you more. I can just leave it at that. And the reason why it is, though, it's a fast, it gets, it gets into your, your lungs, it gets into your body, it gets in your bloodstream fast. Um, and it can be cheap and efficient to, um, to get it into someone's body via that, that route. So that's where the interest lies. Now, there's also the craziness with the the DARPA proposal where you would take nozzles and then aerosolize a virus into a cave or or aerosolize the treatment into the cave. And the reason why the Department of Defense would want that is because it's efficient for something like a drone Mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. And, you know, their ultimate, their ultimate, um, you know, crazy attack technology would be something like this. They fly a tiny little bug-like drone into your house. The bug-like drone comes into your house. It releases the agent right in front of your face, flies away. You get the agent, you get sick and you die. Then it comes in here and then it can give you other people antidotes if it needs to, and then it flies away and nobody knows what happened. I mean, that's, that's as crazy as it could get, but that, that'd be one type of use or application of that technology. And the other thing is that DARPA likes to see, it, so from a, from a program perspective, DARPA likes to see sort of these wild, crazy ideas and wants to fund those type of ideas. So yeah. if you come in there with something vanilla, you've already put yourself at a disadvantage. So there's that too. Yeah. They're not looking for normal. They're looking for technological advances that avail them control uh, past, present, and future. That's well, they, they're they talking about the book. They wanted me to, to be their biologics program officer when, you know, so while, while event 201 and that kind of thing is kicking off, I'm, I'm actually contacted by Dr. Amy Jenkins to go be the biologics program manager or director at, at DARPA. And I turned the position down. I think she was shocked that I did it. Um, I think the reason why they recruited me for that position was because of my national security experience and in, in that space. But they're trying to silence me from talking about anything related to uh, SARS-CoV-2's origin. So I, I think it was their idea to give me my dream offer at one time, get me back there, give me a top secret clearance uh, with a, compar- a specialized compartmentalized compar- information, yeah. uh, 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 access designation, and then basically shut me up. You know, so like read me into the program and then I could talk about it. And then I never would have been able to write the book. Well, have, uh, my last question, are you familiar with the author known as Annie Jacobson? Yes. 
All right, so she's written on MK Ultra and DARPA and the, the you know Pentagon, all these sort of things. This might be the next thing on her radar. I could see her having a big, thick book of all these sort of things written from her perspective, talking to people like you, because I think your vernacular and experience would fit in a lot very well with the research. So I don't know. You focus on your movie, but I'll I'll hope later that it also continues and that uh, that you have a nice transition from your former lines of work. Maybe you're still invited back to be, you know, professor and 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 these sort of things in the future, and you're not uh, canceled, right? I want to make sure that you as a whistleblower find your path and you have an offer out there and you don't get canceled from all this because you did. You risked a lot. This is not something that people every day do. It takes a special kind of courage and integrity and probably your upbringing and the people who you know raised you in this world taught you better than to let these people win by cheating. So I want to thank you for your service. I want to thank you for bringing this wonderful book to the public. I want everybody to read it. Everybody on this podcast every in this audience knows all about everything you're talking about. So you've got them at hello, but now they have a tool they can hand to their friends and family. And uh, I think the world's a better place because of this. And I think uh, it's also a better place because you took an hour out of your day today and invested it here with Grand Theft World audience. Thank you, Dr. Huff. Where can we find you online? Um, I'm predominantly on Twitter and Getter. Handle is A G Huff, A G H U F F. And other than that, I'm out trying to make appearances now and get out of the world and tell my story. Right on. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Sometimes things work better in concept than actuality. Real quick, I want to show you guys what's going on at Davos over here on the Twitter. We got uh, Spiro. And he says, World Economic Forum's 2023 annual meeting list of public figures. Do you think there's a list of people that uh, attend that they don't publish? Well, it's always interesting just to show people, hey, World Economic Forum, it's a real thing. Here's a letterhead. They do have an official agenda. Of course, all the people that are going to be there aren't going to be on the agenda. But, you know, it was just 10 years ago. People were like, does the Bilderberg Group really have a meeting? And then the agenda started leaking and they get more coverage. So as individuals... Researchers, muckrakers like Spiro are out there looking at these events as they go on, perusing through the documents. Uh, they bring useful tidbits to us. And um, yeah, this is where you can find them over here on the Twitter. Be sure to follow him. Also, I wanted to just real quick. There's the Martin Luther King statue. Definitely doesn't look. So, I don't know. I don't know what that is. All right. So let's let's talk about uh, Dr. Andrew Huff the whistleblower who wrote this book right here, The Truth About Wuhan. We just had uh, a special ability. Of course, I pre-taped it earlier. You know, sorry we couldn't get him to stay up late on a, on a Sunday night like this. And we had a couple glitches. Otherwise, it was going pretty well. But now that uh, now that Dr. Huff has graced us with his presence, he has elaborated upon his exemplary experiences, and uh, we've dug in a little bit to this book. How much synergy did you notice between what he has experienced in his own individual path and that which we have talked about here on this show for the past two years? What do you think, Tony? <clears throat> Sorry, repeat the question real quick. I finally got those pictures. Um, oh, good, good, we were good. Talking good. About earlier. Good. I'll, 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 it's always good to multitask. Um, yep. Huff, he, mm -hmm. he just can't. I've never talked to him before. He just articulated all this sort of stuff. That kind oh, of echoes sure. everything we've covered for the past few years, but he doesn't watch this show. He's, you know, so like we just had an intersection of a couple years of research with an, an eco health whistleblower who was on the scene and used to work for Dazak and he called him a psychopath. I don't know. <laughs> I was like right out the gate and like, well, 
That's well, how he a, has direct experience with him. So I'll yeah. defer potentially to some of his experiences and and give him the benefit of the doubt. Look, uh, one of the things I found interesting was, well, obviously, I'm not surprised by his nescience in regards to the larger geopolitical aims of those people in power that you mentioned, yeah. the sort of Anglo-American right. establishment. Totally understandable there. But I also see, can't say young Richard Grove, it seems to be maybe similar age, but someone who's just waking oh, up 40. himself. So he's 40? like 10 okay. years older than when I blew the whistle. Okay. Okay. But not, you know, he's eight years younger than you, nine years, something like that. So he's, but it reminds me is a little bit of like your process a little bit in regards to like him waking up to the fact that he's being surveilled. You know, a lot of people he's trying to talk to seem to not be interested, although the climate is a little different. You know, when you approach Lou Bergman, the fact that he has a major movie studio uh, and a major producer interested, that's that's potentially good. Well, to yeah, see and he's got social media. Plus, he gets he hooked up. Right. With if you think interviews, of you social media, documentary films like there was none of that 20 years ago. So a whistleblower today, even though the laws don't protect you, you right. do have a better chance of protecting yourself in the environment because there are people out there with platforms and audiences who are interested in truth. When I did it, it was just Infowars and they were impossible to get a hold of for a long time. <laughs> That's very true. And there's multiple avenues by which modern day whistleblowers can achieve escape velocity, whether that means earning enough money or just having a, being able to go into a different line of work that's outside sort of the normal expertise because they blew the whistle and now they're sort of persona non grata in those in, uh, institutions and industries. So there's just more opportunity for those types. So I'm glad to see he sort of land, land on his feet. He reminds me a bit of a sort of the nerdy scientist type. He's very much focused on the facts, which I appreciate because what's ironic is everything we discovered completely by our own research, you know, well, uh, has, I mean, there's not a single thing I've seen him report on that is in contradiction to anything we've discovered. Um, so it's pretty much all, you know, just consistent with the evidence we've been able to uncover. I've known about him actually for well over a year now, but I sort of helped bit my tongue on it because I didn't know he claimed to have been a uh, vice president for EcoHealth Alliance, but it didn't seem like there was good information as to is this person who he claims to be, you know, the ethos wasn't well established. Um, but then I came to later, it was about maybe six months ago, I heard some murmurings around the internet, the interwebs in regard to alternative circles that he's most likely one of the key witnesses for what's his name, Thomas Renz, the lawyer, mm -hmm. I believe his name is. Right. And he's obviously uh, been a part of Ron Johnson's, uh, I think the two panels he ran uh, in regards to with Robert Malone and Ryan Cole and Peter McCullough and all these various doctors talking about uh, the issues with the uh, the pathologies associated with the well, he worked with Malone at the Defense Research Threat Agency project, right. which told Malone right before the pandemic, like get your team and suit up. We got a hot spot, you know. And you picture that scene from Outbreak, where Dustin Hoffman has to figure out where to dump the dogs. <laughs> Because he's fighting with Rene Russo. All right. <clears throat> Hollywood movies aside, let's get back to reality. <laughs> this movie will be coming out. I don't know what it's going to be titled, <clears throat> but I look forward to a day to see, like, how are they going to depict Eco Health Alliance in this type of Hollywood feature film? Are they optioning this and giving them this money just so that they can kind of whitewash and soften certain edges before it gets out to public re release? I hope he gets to say exactly what he wants to communicate. But I also know there's probably a production studio and directors and executive producers and financiers and lawyers and all sorts of other things that get mucked up. So I think he's well prepared for success. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading Bobby Kennedy Jr.'s book that's coming out in a couple of days. I pre-ordered it because I need to have all the red cover Wuhan books in my collection 
for the future when people are like, what happened way back then? This is like being alive with like during World War II, but we're not in Nazi Germany. We're like in Vichy, France, while we're invaded and we're providing some resistance. And people are like, what was it like when the Nazis invaded with the Great Reset? We can say, well, people got canceled and people lost their jobs and people had to get experimental medical concoctions. And some brave people left us some evidence behind. And let's today, class, let's look at this from 2022. <laughs> I'm just glad he was. He finally got it out, and he sort of established his ethos as being someone. He has the credentials to back it up. He has some evidence to back it up. Um, you know his his relationships with the key people. Um, that that's that's nice. It's nice because, like, again, six months, eight months, almost a year ago, I had become aware of him, but I just couldn't use him as part of Grand Theft World at the time because he just at the time was being very quiet. Um, and then, according to him, you know, surveilled and you know being hacked and all these sorts of obstacles he had to overcome in order to make sure his message got out there. I also figured he probably didn't because he had sensitive information. He's probably being quiet about it on, on behalf of Thomas Renz's counsel to make right. sure that they can get to court, they can get to senators, they can get in front of people that might be able to be willing to bring up a, you know, a house or a senatorial sort of commission to investigate what's going on in regards to the gain of function, eco health, uh, department of defense, and, and DARPA projects and these sorts of uh, nefarious, uh, you know, ideas. And, Cover and up artists of the Grand Theft World variety. So kudos right. to him for getting the message out. And yeah. real quick, so for people, oh, God. Klaus Schwab, Xi Jinping, who are the 10 foreigners awarded reform friendship medals by China's president, sort of alluded to this earlier. There's Elaine Merliu. That's March 2014. That's the guy who paid for the Wuhan lab, the French dude. Yep. Uh, President Xi Jinping visited uh, the Milieu Science Research Center on his state visit to France. Elaine Milieu, together with his family members and the staff, the center extended a warm welcome, blah, blah, blah. They had a long relationship with China. His father-in-law, Paul Berlier, first introduced automotive industry technology to China, was the pioneer of Sino-French friendly cooperation. In 1978, Meliu visited China for the first time. That'd be about the time the Trilateral Commission just got and founded and started, and opened up extensive and lasting cooperation with Beijing in the fields of tuberculosis prevention, infection control, and prevention and control of new infectious diseases. For decades, he kept promoting the medical cooperation between China and France, having established production R&D bases and high-level biosafety laboratories in China. Uh, Biomilieu helped China improve its research in biomedicine, infectious disease prevention, and control. They're also the ones they reached out to... Uh, Ben Milieu, maybe it was the Sanofi, which uh, Didier Rayo was one of the individuals that's part of, uh, I think, the Sanofi branch of Biomilieu. I could be getting that confused. He's the one who came out and talked about chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, if I remember correctly. Um, here's another picture. You can see Klaus. That's not actually... Oh, yeah, and then Klaus and G there again. Let's see, here you got Elaine Milieu, Klaus Schwab, uh, a couple of major uh, J Japanese executives... So 10 foreigners who helped transform China is the name of the article. China reformed federal friendship medal, 1978 to 2018. Notice how it begins in 1978. Then we just go over here, trilateral commission. Founded in July, 1973, uh, David Rockefeller. Uh, in order, and that actually, before it was even founded, if I remember correctly, Kissinger made a secret trip over there. Um, when he was Nixon's mentor, 
and that caught a caught a lot of flack if I remember correctly, but that's going on some some old memory. Anyways, so it's about the time we're opening up a Western capital is flowing in and, and industrial technology is flowing into China. The nineteen seventy eight is not surprising in that regard. I'd have to research specifically other countries as they started to flow in their intellectual property and the capital. There, Carl Schwab, that did I email you? Can't tell, but anyways, you kind of get the point. G in the background and good buddies there. So, yeah, from far away, Jeff Bezos and Klaus Schwab look alike. So it's hard to tell. Oh, not to mention Stefan uh, Bancel, who was the CEO of Moderna until he very, very recently stepped down. He also worked for Milieu, Biomilieu. So it's, uh, and, you know, maybe Senna, Senna if you could actually, because you just reminded me of that. I forget if Moderna had a sort of a, a sort of connection. Um, Moderna sort of research for mRNA going back 10 years ago. There's some sort of connection, maybe you or Sanofi. I know we had talked about that probably six months ago, but you can just see how incestuous, the point is you can see how incestuous this network is and how international, to your point, Rich, this is. And that's maybe the most important point to understand in regards to um, the activity of these individuals. Yeah, their activities need to be tracked. Now, there were some other individual activities that went on the past week. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson, oh, he, he's out there. He's not just an oblate spheroid with his own gravitational mass. He's also a past guest of the Patrick Bet David podcast this past week. I'm not uh, body shaming him. I'm making fun of his oblate spheroid. See, what? look where the premise and the punchline go together. All right, so he was on the podcast. There were some things said about trust the science now on this show we've said for two years it's not about science it's all about compliance patrick bet david can't be fooled on this i think he knows a little too much about the situation neil degrasse tyson tone deaf, squirm, tone deaf. Squirm. He, yeah, he does not understand that the the agenda he's he's like hey pfizer can i get a biscuit can i get a biscuit i'm saying the thing pfizer's like dude that was three years ago everybody knows that's not a thing you get a biscuit for anymore so Blade spheroid aside, outside of the gravitational mass, let's take a look at this uh, situation that happened. And uh, there's any number of comments. It's a fascinating interview. I haven't seen the whole thing, but the clips, oh, they made me want to schedule time and sit down and get more of Neil deGrasse Tyson because apparently he's a sit-down comedian. Whereas on this show, I'm a stand-up, move-around comedian. There's a difference. And uh, so let's go ahead. We're going to go to Del Big Tree, and he has a monologue with the theme of he would like oh. to sit down and have a beer with Neil deGrasse Tyson and uh, talk about deGrasse Noel. So let's go to <laughs> the high wire from this past Thursday and let's see. Uh, let's see what color vest Del Big Tree is wearing this week. I went with uh, this herringbone gray. Let's see what he does. What's been said by a lot of people, you should never meet your heroes because you're bound to be disappointed. I kind of had that moment happen this week uh, because of a podcast that went out. There's a podcast with Patrick Bet David. It's gone viral because it has one of the world's favorite scientists, Neil deGrasse Tyson, being interviewed. And uh, he got into his opinion on vaccinations and mandated vaccinations and forced vaccinations and apparently our social responsibility. It looks something like this. If you want to get an abortion, get an abortion. If I want to get the vaccine, I get to choose. So you can't force. If, if I can't force you to get an abortion, you shouldn't be able to force because me to get Because it's the, not about you. It's about people you interact with. And that's the social contract 
of public but we health. Don't, we don't even know if the vaccine worked or not at the time. Yes, that's what the trials are, dude. That's why these trials, what, you, are you missing data out but, there? But let me ask you a question. Are we saying only one type of scientists are right? No, we're saying that the system in place. The 16,000 that signed that. No, no, no. The, the system in place to test vaccines. Yeah. There's an entire system that's in place that that with review boards and all of this, yeah, the average that's in place. Now, you can say you can what you can say is I, I have a better idea than all these review boards and all these agencies and the CDC. I have a better idea. Here's what you should do. And that would have made everything better. OK, you can put forth that idea. But what I'm saying is in a case where you can contaminate someone else, it's not about you. It's about the collective You're assuming. health. You're assuming. You're assuming because somebody can take the vaccine, uh, won't get COVID, which, by the way, I don't need to play the clips for you to see it where everybody said, hey, if you get it, you're not going to get If you take the vaccine, you're not going to get it. Rachel Maddow, Joe Biden. I can give you Fauci. I can give you fit. And you've seen these clips before. It's not like you've never seen it before. Yeah, yeah. What happened? They was, were wrong. Hold on. So, so, um, the strain evolved, okay, so that the vaccine that prevented you from catching COVID was tuned to the variant of COVID at the time the vaccine was denied, what was designed, okay? Over time, there were variants that arose. The vaccine provided partial protection against the new variants. Everyone witnessed what a straw man is. Dying statistically, and to basically keep you out of the hospital. All right. Well, first of all, I want to say I thought Patrick did a pretty good job in this interview. If you watch the whole thing, uh, he's a great interviewer. I have been on his show, uh, Valuetainment, and um, he does a great job. But this isn't his wheelhouse. It's not a specialty. He doesn't focus on it almost every week the way I do. And so I just wanted to throw in a couple thoughts. And first of all, I got to say, Neil, come on, Neil, 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 Neil. We're talking about science here and some of the statements you're making, I'm shocked. I mean, if I was watching this having been an interview that took place, you know, back in like early, you know, 2020, 2021, maybe. But it's amazing you're making these statements now. Uh, it really makes me wonder. But let's just deal with a couple of points you're making. Number one, he says, what about the windwash tested? And this is exactly because, I mean, Patrick makes the point like it doesn't stop transmission. Oh, of course it does. Of course it does. And so I want to point out, Neil, I think the most important thing is no matter what your belief is on what it is doing, the FDA got an emergency use authorization, bailed out of the trials early, just as Patrick pointed out, should have been five to ten years long. Instead, they just truncated that and you know unleashed this on the population but this is what the fda said when it was was it effective well when we were asked you know was it effective we knew this before anyone outside the trials got it data are limited this is vaccine effectiveness against transmission unknown benefits and data gaps this is the fda saying it themselves data are limited to assess the effect of the vaccine against transmission of sars-cov-2 from individuals who are infected despite vaccination they were incapable of having the trial it did it in that short period of time this nine months you seem really confident about 
was not long enough to determine, first of all, whether it's safe, and second of all, whether or not it even does the job a vaccine is supposed to do. Okay, now also, Patrick makes a good point. You're saying, well, look, I mean, this is what the body of science is saying. If we have a social contract, we're supposed to just hand our lives over to the body of science that understands this. But Patrick's pointing out, you have like 16,000 doctors that disagreed around the world, world-renowned scientists. And I'm talking about the Great Barrington Declaration. They were screaming from the mountaintops. Everybody stop, stop listening to Fauci, stop the lockdowns. You're gonna have suicides, alcoholism, all the different issues. Look at the amount of signatures, 953,000 total concerned citizens, 871,000 medical practitioners, now 47,379 jumping on and saying, whoa, everybody slow your roll. And so this other idea that now you want to make an excuse. Now it's clear, I guess, to you that the vaccine isn't stopping transmission, but it was when they released it. You're wrong, you said. You're telling Patrick as though, you know, you don't understand. It was variance. It was variance that was, you know, that changed everything, that it was perfectly effective when it was for the Wuhan virus, but it, you know, had variance and now it doesn't work as good. But the truth is, is that, and, and you pointed this out very early on, that this isn't your specialty. So let's talk about someone whose specialty it is that looks at variants. And I'm talking about Geert van den Bosch, who's been on the show multiple times. He started screaming from the rooftops, and maybe you should have sat down with him, saying that if we deliver this vaccine, a leaky vaccine that will not stop transmission in the middle of this epidemic, we will cause variants we can't stop and make it impossible to get to herd immunity. It would be great if he was wrong. It'd be great if he could say, see, it didn't happen, but everything he said did. We can't get to herd immunity. We're not getting there. And Rachel Walensky is admitting that in a recent tweet. This is what she said about the current state of the vaccine program and this, these variants. We can't. Let me make this clear. We can't stop the spread of COVID-19. But departure testing, the requirement to show a negative test result when flying from China to the U.S. can help slow the spread as we work to identify and understand any potential new variants. They can't stop it. The technology didn't work and none of the boosters, she's not saying, but the booster is going to save us. She can't even say that because this entire thing is such a disaster. And now we have mainstream media starting to look into what the high wire covered with Geert Van and years ago, we are now starting to see headlines like this, Neil. Are vaccines fueling new COVID variants? The virus appears to be evolving in ways that evade immunity. We have never seen a virus mutate this fast and evolve this fast. And certainly, Neil, you must understand the concept of evolution and how pressure upon anything in nature can cause an evolution, especially when you have everyone under attack everywhere. When we're all catching the virus and you have a vaccine that even if it did work, doesn't have time to ramp itself up so you're only getting half of maybe the protection it was even capable of doing and so now you have all of these mutations being caused by the vaccine program. And by the way, you're going to say my social contract is to not put you in danger. How about your social contract? Your vaccine may very well be the reason that we all keep catching coronavirus because it has been a disaster and is driving variants if you look at the history and the science around this. And so 
all of that and to say, you know, wow, well, the CDC and the FDA, we should hand our lives over to them. You mean a group of people that don't fix a problem when they see it, but actually just change the definition? Because, by the way, your whole concept of vaccination, the rug has been pulled right out from under you. What am I talking about? They changed the definition. Once the vaccine didn't do what it was supposed to do, they ended up changing it. This is what it used to be. We all grew up with this concept. A vaccination is the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce immunity to a specific disease. This is the world you were living in, Neil, a long time ago, but it doesn't exist anymore because now all a vaccine can do is the act of introducing a vaccine body to produce protection from a specific disease. That's a big difference. That means you can carry this virus, you can catch it, you can give it to everyone you know, but at least you'll be protected. Forget about the naturally immune person whose body went and destroyed this virus, had a couple of days, they probably weren't out walking around because they felt the virus, at least if it's as dangerous as you said it was. Let's forget about the idea that so many people were handling this well. In fact, it was such a mild virus for the larger part of the population that we were complaining about how many asymptomatic carriers that were out there. So when you want to say, well, it reduces hospitalizations, really? You mean because most people didn't feel it? And by the way, I didn't sign on to your social contract. I don't believe being born in the freest nation in the world means that I'm supposed to be injected like a farm animal as though I live under someone in China. So I didn't get it, and I had a very mild experience, and most of the people around me did. So there we have it. And when it comes to what this vaccine could and couldn't do, Deborah Burks, who worked for the government, much closer to all the trials that were being done, this is what she's now saying about her knowledge, much different than your knowledge. Before there was ever variance, this is what Deborah Burks thought of the vaccine. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection, and I think we overplayed the vaccines, and it made people then worry that it's not going to protect against severe disease and hospitalization. Oh, so I was supposed to sign a social contact contract with people that were lying to me. Is that it, Neil? Is that what we're supposed to be at? And by the way, in case there's any question left to whether or not it was variants and what they approved in this nine-month trial, which was okay for you, not okay for me, and I'm going to hold on to my right to choose while products are being rushed onto the market. But let's go ahead and look at what Pfizer finally admitted when being asked by a decent group of politicians that are asking the right questions in Europe. This is what they they finally admitted about all the trials that you trusted so dearly that somehow this vaccine was going to make sure that I didn't contaminate you. Well, did they know that? Did they even look for that? Here is the honest truth. The Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market. If not, please Say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it's entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. And from that point of view, we had to do everything at risk. All right, well, there you have it. That's Janine Small. That was the person I'm supposed to put my hands, my body, and my life in her hands while she's not even looking at the thing you thought she was looking for. So, Neil, we're in really shaky territory here. But you went on, so let's listen to what else you had to say on the topic. I'm trying to make a statistical point sure. here, okay? 
if you say, I don't want to take the virus because it hasn't been tested for five years and there could be some long-term side effect that worries me, okay? In that same moment, Mm -hmm. there's the risk factor of you getting COVID. Sure. Okay? Unvaccinated. At one point, 87% of everyone dying in the hospital of COVID was unvaccinated. Okay. So your risk choice is, I'm not going to take it because maybe somewhere down the line, something will happen and we don't know what that is, or I will risk getting COVID. And if I get COVID, depending on your age and other things, there's a 3% chance of me dying in the hospital. That's your choice. I mean, it's really disappointing when a scientist that knows what he's going to be interviewed on doesn't come in with the right stats or the right understanding of what's going on. But he condescendingly says, says to Patrick, you know, if you have some long-term concern, that shouldn't affect how we do this. I mean, that is what it is, but that's not actually science because you have some bizarre concern about the long-term potential safety issues. But here's the point, Neil. It's not Patrick that had the concern. It's not Del Bigsby that was the only one with the concern. The manufacturers themselves were concerned, so concerned that they demanded and said, we will not even put this vaccine out unless you protect us from liability. Look at what AstraZeneca admitted when they were trying to, when Belgium was saying, we're not going to stop, uh, give you liability protection. AstraZeneca to be exempt from coronavirus vaccine liability claims in most countries. In an article, it went on to say this, this is a unique situation where we as a company simply cannot take the risk if in four years the vaccine is showing side effects, Rudd Dauber, a member of Astra's senior executive team, told Reuters. They were so sure that they did not want to be responsible for this product if they weren't protected from what it could do long term, that they wouldn't even give it to a country that didn't give them liability protection. So you want my social contract to be with a company that is going to make tens of billions of dollars of a product, but will take on none of the liability because they're too concerned about the long term safety issues and can't be held responsible. Why? Because the trials were too short. That's the honest truth, Neil. The manufacturers knew the trials were too short, but not you. And apparently not whatever planet you're focused on that seems to think we have a social contact contract to take rushed vaccines. And lastly, you're talking about hospitalizations and, you know, that the unvaccinated were hospitalized and you could die. You had a 3% chance of dying. It's just simply not true. John Ioannidis, one of the world's leading epidemiologists, has done multiple studies on this through the years. And what has he determined? It wasn't a 3% death rate. It was about 0.27% across all demographics. Or if you break it down for everybody not above the age of 70, zero to 19, you had a 0.0027% chance of getting, of dying from this virus after you caught it. 20 to 29, 0.014%. 30 to 39, 0.013%. 30 to 49, 0.082%. In fact, the only people that meet that 3% concern are the elderly over the age of 70. And so, okay, and many people, even Malone, I mean, for what it's worth, said if we were going to tell anyone they could get it or should get it, maybe it was the elderly. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't believe in having any products out there that have been properly safety tested. But 
again, it's the United States of America, and I believe in choice. And if you want to take a risk with a product that we have no understanding of its long-term effects, go right ahead. It's your choice. And you should actually consider yourself a part of this important trial, which is all that really did happen. We all became guinea pigs of this trial. And so when we break all of this down, why do I not believe I have a social contract? Because science has failed us so many times. Neil, do you really want to live in a world where the manufacturers of the product that are the only ones actually doing the safety studies that will only tell you years later, oh, we never tested to see if the damn thing even worked. You want them to be, you want to trust, I'm supposed to trust my life in their hands that they're doing the best work possible. Well, that is, these are the same industries that created products like thalidomide. Can you imagine if everybody had to get something like thalidomide and then we end up having all of our babies be destroyed and looking like this? It's possible, Neil. It's possible. And there's no returning once the social contract says I have no way to opt out, even if 17,000 doctors in the world are warning me we don't agree with Tony Fauci. There's also Vioxx made by Merck. It caused so many heart attacks, they lost over a $3 billion settlement. And in the end, we knew that behind the scenes, lo and behold, they didn't tell us the truth about safety. They knew that the product could cause heart attacks. I could go on and on with Johnson's baby powder and everything else. But the point is, Neil, if we have some sort of social contract simply by being born into the United States of America to allow companies that are now the number one lobby in Washington seem to have a revolving door in and out of our regulatory agencies, are spending billions of dollars funding campaigns to presidents like Trump and Biden, who maybe go to their cronies and say, hey, you know what? Even though it looks like this is only a death rate of about 0.27%, we think if the government made it an emergency, we could mandate this product on everybody, even though it was never properly safety tested. And we looked at the history of this product prior to this really short human test. It was a disaster in animal trials. All the attempts at a coronavirus vaccine was written about, and the immunopathology and the headlines were everywhere. Coronavirus vaccines, immunization with SARS coronavirus vaccine leads to pulmonary immunopathology on challenge with SARS virus. Meaning it looked like the vaccine was helping the virus infect the host. And there was nothing in the EUA by the FDA that figured out and said, we got around this issue. In fact, they admitted when it comes to enhanced disease, we don't know if the vaccine is gonna do that. This is what science is all about, Neil. It's about a conversation. And when you have censorship by a very small group of well-funded scientists against tens of thousands around the world saying we should have a voice, when they're censoring the body of science, I don't feel comfortable. And I believe that people are intelligent enough to make their own decisions, and we should never have a product that is forced on anybody. And that's exactly what we learned from the Nuremberg Code. After Nazi Germany, we said never again is a government going to force any medical procedure or product onto free citizens, certainly not in the United States of America. So I don't know what social contract you signed on to. I did not. And lastly, you make a really good point, and this is what I want to talk about. Are you for scientific debate? So in a scientific debate, here's how that unfolds. I'm in conversation with you. Let's call it a debate. We know, you and I know, walking into that room, either I'm right and you're wrong, okay. you're 
right and I'm wrong, or we're both wrong. We know that in advance. So we start having the conversation. Well, what about these data? Well, what about these data? I think those data are flawed, and here's why. Well, how about this? Yes, that's a debate. But you know how that debate ends? It depends where, you know, we need this new data set to resolve this difference. Now let's go have a beer. <laughs> I have never seen that happen in a political debate. All right, Neil. I mean, here's the point. Should we have a debate? I want to have a debate. I know that you think you're right, and I think I'm right based on things like what exactly the FDA said when they released this on everybody. You said that, and I was, they did, do. they did prove that it worked. Really, on who? On who? On everybody? On everyone in the world? Because this is what the EUA said, Neil. We did check the source. We did take the primary source, which was Pfizer's uh, experimental vaccine data that was submitted to the FDA for their emergency use authorization. And what did it say under uh, Section 8.4, unknown risks, uh, data safety gaps in certain subpopulations? There are current currently insufficient data to make conclusions about the safety of the vaccine in subpopulations, such as children less than 16 years of age, pregnant and lactating individuals, and immunocompromised individuals. So there you have it. These trials didn't include anybody with any issues. I think it's said that nearly 50% of Americans have uh, some form of an immunodeficiency issue or an immune problem. So you're going to take a totally experimental immune product that was never tested in people that have problems with their immune system and then just say, hey, it was safe for the Justice League, the healthiest people who could find that weren't allowed to drink, weren't allowed to have intercourse. Got to ask ourselves, why weren't they allowed to have intercourse? and all those things, but because the healthiest little group that we looked at, now everybody can get it. Those that are obese, have diabetes, all those other issues. Neil, that is so dangerous, man. We are talking about the most reckless way science could possibly act. And what would happen? Can you imagine? Maybe not this time or next time, but if we keep this social contract where the most powerful lobby in Washington that seems to be controlling governments all around the world and the WHO keeps putting products out that haven't properly safety tested, can you imagine if one day we're all given a vaccine that causes, you know, I don't know, like sudden death, things like blood clots and, and thrombocytopenia and, and myocarditis and periocarditis and, and over years they start Start getting cancers from these things. Can you imagine if that happened? What would the world look like? Yes, doctors are baffled. Huge rise in all-cause mortality. So lastly, Neil, I want to say this. I've had debates before with great individuals. And, uh, you know, even Alan Dershowitz, you know, I, I have debated this topic with him. We were friends afterwards. And so I want to say this. Neil, I'm all about getting a beer. Let's do it. But first, I'm asking you to come onto the high wire. And by the way, I just showed you a bunch of my cards. You get to study many of the things that I've said. And you can even go back and watch my shows. So come in prepared and let's have a real debate. And by the way, don't go off half cocked again. You are really starting to make me concerned about the state of all science. I used to believe in you. I trusted you. If you will just take people's word for it, I mean, is all science just reading the cliff notes of what scientists before them actually said? It's time to do your due diligence. And then come on the high wire. I'm looking forward to it. Dell is looking forward to it. We'll have to see what happens. Oh, man. The, what an absolute fucking mess. Excuse my language here, but this one's an absolute mess. So he doesn't really understand what a social contract is. 
he built a straw man around being the variants were the reason for the fact that the vaccine didn't stop transmission when it's been admitted by Pfizer's own Mark representative, market representative to say, well, we never even tested for that in the first place. So, and Deborah Burke's also admitting to the fact that these were never designed to stop transmission. And she knew that from the get-go, that was not going to be an issue or not going to be something that's of reality with these vaccines. Let's see. He mentions 81 to 87. It was either 81% or 87% uh, were unvaccinated, although adjusted for population recent data has come out. And those data suggest that the un, that the vaccinated are dying at higher rates than the unvaccinated. And that's adjusted for population groups to mean that's not just because more people have been vaccinated. Um, so that's also a serious issue, as well as what's not being counted. Part of that was SADS sudden adult death syndrome, um, the rise in cardiovascular issues, myocarditis, pericarditis, um, uh, cardiac arrest. We saw last week with Damar Hamlin, still don't know his condition. We don't know if he was vaccinated yet, but just something to be concerned about. Uh, we already sh- saw, I think it was through Christy Lee, the number of individuals that also have continued, young individuals that have continued to suffer heart effects and may or may not have been vaccinated. So we're just seeing a pattern here that could lead to a potential hypothesis that could be tested. Again, continuing on with this, the, the thing that I think that frustrated me were two things here. Um, the, those data he chose to represent the, either the 81 or 87 percent, that's very much in question because that's ever being debated. He mentioned, well, we can argue our two different data or multiple various data sets and we can have a beer. Fair enough. We'll see if that actually becomes manifest. He didn't mention the fact that the majority of the individuals that dying early on from COVID were had at least two or more comorbidities with obesity being the number one. And the fact that it was mainly a disease afflicting the elderly and the the elder of our society. So he, you know, he didn't qualify that. He just went into this very broad general statistical category that was mainly unvaccinated that were dying. So I found that to be very curious. Didn't seem to really promote any sort of other forms of uh, or consider any other sort of therapeutic options or even just general health um, in regards to eating well in regards to exercising, so forth and so on. Let's go to the social contract because this one's a big one. So, you know, he's supposedly a scientist. He parrots the relativity field, relativism, relativity theory made famous by Einstein, which is in and of itself quite problematic, but this is in the show to discuss many of the issues that have been, you know, borne out or bore out by many scientists as of recent in regards to many of the contradictions inherent with that model. Um, Four-dimensional space-time model, oftentimes represented as, a, ironically, as a 2D plane that gravity sort of warps this 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 field called space and time, but won't go down that road. So he sort of is your standard parrot for modern sort of cosmology. Fine, whatever. That's he, He's a caricature. He's he's has a, he's quite as a, he has quite a um, vivacious personality. Do you ever and read DeGrasse Tyson's uh, PhD thesis? No. All right. So basically so. you get your PhD thesis. You not only have to like study under another PhD and there's the, that whole racket that goes on, right. but you have to, dis- you have to add something new to the contribution. Yeah. Of science. You have to so defend he- it too. If I, you have to go up in front of other, right. Go ahead. What's the easiest thing to defend? Something way, way far away. You can't verify. So instead of working <laughs> on some sort of earth knowledge, he went to like, theories about black holes and stuff you can't ever prove so, so something good. that has no spatial volume is sucking in all this spatial mass i just find that to be an inherent contradiction and then it's sucking in all light so how gravity can you call sucks it black bro. and how can you call it a hole 
you know, these that's why philosophy, uh, science is in need of philosophers, because they set the parameters and the types of questions that can be asked that aren't in contradiction with nature. But Neil deGrasse Tyson is famous for saying philosophy is dead. We'll never it's it's only for the realm of scientists now. Their philosophy is more of just a historical artifact. We don't need it anymore. This is Neil deGrasse Tyson, everyone. Yeah, let's see. It's he's quite the, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But erudite, precocious. Not man erudite of in a good way. <laughs> Our audience is erudite. I don't know. You know I'm trying to be a little bit. He's pompous. And absurd. Narcissistic. Yeah. <clears throat> overly exuberant about little knowledge on the facts. All right. So there's a couple different things. First off, oh, it's hilarious watching him blow up and Patrick just sits there and chills. He's like, dude. The science and the system and, you know, the authority. And Patrick's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And Patrick's like, this is great. Keep going, keep going. And he's like, you know, talking down to him. And I think Patrick's a lot smarter than Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, yeah. Which is ironic. Neil Neil Tyson, Degr- I don't think is very intelligent. Sorry, so he's sitting there acting like uh, the third rail version of yay on the other side of the tracks, right? If you had two third rails, you have like, uh, well, you'd have two thirds of a rail. So he's over there grabbing it. He's shocking. Oh, he's all, you know, energized up. He's very emotional for a physicist. That's what I noticed right there. That's a good point. The next part is um, what I'm seeing there with DeGrasse Tyson is it's like a sad juxtaposition of the Dunning-Kruger effect intersecting with the Murray-Gell-Mann effect. And to uh, enlighten you on that effect, let's go to Michael Crichton. Briefly stated, the Gell-Mann amnesia effect is as follows. You open the newspaper to an article on uh, some subject you know well. In Murray's case, physics. In mine, show business. You read the article and see the journalist has no understanding of either the facts or the issues. So you're you're incredulous of it because you know about the topic, but all these other topics you read about, you don't know about, so you believe them. That's the gist. Often the article is so wrong, it actually presents the story backwards, reversing the cause and effect. I call these the wet streets cause rain stories. The paper's full of them. In any case, you read with exasperation or amusement the multiple errors in a story and then turn the page to a national or international affairs and read it as if the rest of the newspaper was somehow more accurate about Palestine than the baloney you just read. You turn the page and you forget what you know. Well, I think that there's a lot of forgetting what he should know there. I mean... Either he's not up to speed and Rogan and Patrick Bet David are better researchers and neither one considers themselves researchers. They're just influencers with audiences that do. Hey, Jamie, interviews. Jamie, look it up real quick. Jamie, right. just pull up that website for me. Like go to the CDC or something. I don't know. Go to Snopes. Go to Snopes. Yeah, just check it out. He did that the other day, actually. Right. But they're still like miles ahead. Yeah, they and are. then they're also entertaining the censored forum of uh, whistleblowers, Malone, McCullough, all these sorts of people get to go on a, a Rogan show or a Dell Big Tree show or one of these shows that's not Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, uh, no, who gets I've... to go on Bill Maher and infect a bunch of people with unrealisms. And then they think because the authority, Neil deGrasse Tyson said this thing that they should trust their lives to that authority. And he has, I mean, you know. Oh, a huge following. It's the king of fallacies where they they assume um, the ad veracundium that they assume they, the authority can step in in place of evidence or reason or arguments. And he didn't really present many good arguments there. He didn't understand what a social contract is. 
doesn't know that that concept comes from Hobbes and made popular by Rousseau. And there's many different theories around how we sign a quote unquote social contract. But America is quite different from the way he was describing the idea of a social contract. Those same individuals in regards to public spaces have the right to take on the risk of being uh, to exposing themselves to a public space whether or not they're aware of being infected or not infected with the virus. So to everyone assumes their own risk by walking outside of their house and entering a public space. And it's not anyone's, you don't have some sort of greater good mindset that you're supposed to force upon them that they have to, in order to occupy that space, take a, an experimental medical procedure so they might not potentially infect someone else. It's up to the other individual as to the relative risk they want to take by knowing that there may be people that may or may not be infected with it. So it's a very different idea of social contract. It's not one that's very prescriptive. It's very much the other way around, where we just see it over the idea that there's a, there's a government that's supposed to protect the individual rights, not prescribe what those rights are to us, Neil. So are you aware of the different theories surrounding social contract? Are you using it as a totalitarian would use the concept of uh, of uh, uh, social contract and, and inalienable rights. It also makes me wonder if he's part of this sort of clown world of uh, effective altruism that Elon Musk and Peter Singer and Will McCaskill and uh, SBF and all these various individuals seem to be a part of, where all these you know woke scientists seem to be on in the the in club in regards to the greater good long-termism uh, they've now, you know, rebranded utilitarianism just to call it effective altruism. So if he is, if he's a part of that, it would make sense because that's where essentially you have an authority that prescribes to you what are and are not your rights. And that's what he calls in a social contract. So talk about just, but then again, philosophy doesn't mean anything to Neil, you know, it's just, a, it's a remnant of the past. Which Science makes him so hireable by Pfizer. What a fucking oh man! That, he's, a sophist. he's a yeah, sophist. He's a and, sophist and a partial solipsist. He just yeah. can make up, make it up as he goes. I also have this on screen, uh, Dunning Kruger effect. In case you missed the other, you know, the 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 setup for Murray Gell-Mann effect. It's Dunning Kruger, which is like a punchline in and of itself. The Dunning Kruger effect is uh, a cognitive bias that people have, whereby people with low ability, expertise, or experience. <laughs> regarding a certain type or lack of area of knowledge uh, tend to overestimate their ability in that knowledge. I don't have my glasses on. So trying to make fun of somebody for being, maybe I should put my glasses on. Anyway, the point is, I think we just heard from, you think you're, you know, more. And when you know more, you actually understand how, how little, you know, that's no, my, my point is I was going to double down and say, you know, it's it's Neil and DeGrasse with the <laughs> the cock of Pfizer compelling him. Let the cock of Pfizer compel you. That's what he's up to, dude. And I, I think that uh, that's what some people say. I'm not saying that myself. I mean, but there there's that scuttlebutt out on the street. And um, it's that- particularly around the equator of the ablate spheroid. So it's it's not th- something from North America. Is that Thanks for us. Like laced with mRNA, you know? Yes. The grass he might be smoking. Right. Sometimes his DeGrasse is laced with the PCP. Mm. And it comes from the bottom of that oblate spheroid, I imagine. (laughs) It's all the... I'm not... Forget it. We can't go down that tangent. We need to go to arrowid.com. Start verifying some chemical compounds. 
You know, oblate spheroid is into the Banisteriopsis capi and the Psychotrius viridia. And uh, together he has himself a little concoction made from the vines. He has that milky substance and the MAOI inhibitor and has himself a nice trip down the COVID river. I don't know what he does over there. I mean, he's in the studio with Rogan where they have like the, the psychedelic honey and all yeah. these like touchstones of the world. And he just ignores them all. And he's like, Hey, here, here's what's going on from science's perspective. He's like the he's like the modern ver- version of Bill Nye, the science guy. <laughs> he's like, I am the physics. Uh, I yeah, am the no, spheroid. Quite, quite literally, he's like the Anthony Fauci of modern cosmology. That's Plato's forms is. now include the oblate spheroid. I checked it. They updated the definition. Plato had to change his entire theory and realize there's one imperfect form. Sponsored by the DeGrasse Tyson Foundation, sponsored by Pfizer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this the, the beginning when he said that straw men about variants, like they were never tested even with the original alpha strain to uh, in regards to whether or not they stop transmission. But he to, seems to so create certain. That straw man. I know. See, that's a, he that's says a it was such certainty, Tony. That's a sign of a good soft. I have to wonder the sign of a good sophist you know you just you gotta exude bullshit and confidence when you know you're absolutely cornered and you don't know anything. But he's a scientist, so. He's of that, you know, uh, secular priest realm. Of I like to see a tag team with him and Fauci on the same side versus like uh, Rogan and Aaron Rodgers on the other side. Maybe uh, <laughs> I would pay for I don't hey, watch like UFC or football all at all, this. but I would totally trade in my Pfizer biscuits for that. Aaron Rodgers pretty well read. He presents some interesting books to old Pat McAfee. And uh, he is. Uh, Don't teach the players to read. What are you guys doing? Taking a lot of ayahuasca. He's a very interesting fellow, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, ayahuasca. I didn't even bring that up. So that's just oh, synchronicity right there. It's it's a combination of. A I I said a recipe. I didn't go to the conclusion of what like, it makes. But Aaron Rodgers probably knows that. We'll leave it there. So yeah, that's leave sophistry one hundred and one. One of the great aspects of sophistry, you can see it right there, is the ability to exude confidence, particularly in situations where you know you're talking out of your asshole, which is basically the bottom of the oblate spheroid is what I'm calling. Well, I was going to ask, how does one do that? But then I thought I'm not really interested in the answer. I already heard him talk. So moving on. Hey, maybe he'll get a beer with Del Big Tree. We'll have to see. I mean... There's a lot of views going on in that clip. I, mean, I thought Patrick Bet David's four hours with Andrew Tate got a lot of views, but you know, Oblate Spheroid uh, is making the rounds. And hey, there's a lot of clips from that interview. Like I said, I've only seen a couple, but there was an hour long conversation where they didn't get along like that. PBD reminds me like you want to see true confidence versus fake confidence. You see it fake confidence, Oblate Spheroid. PBD, calm, cool, collected. He's not stepping outside of what he knows. He's asking very competent questions within what he's able to understand, knowing where it may not, you know, where it may go beyond his uh, experience and expertise. Shout out to PBD. He made calm. And that's a, and he didn't flinch. You know, he didn't really, it didn't get to a situation where he, no, because he's well trained. Yeah. Exactly. He's He's used to being in front of people. He's trained like a fighter's trained. This person gets all emotional. You don't get emotional with them. But the rookies, the amateurs, the people who don't, they do. They, they, oh, let me get, you know, it's all of a sudden it's a, it's a, it's a big DeGrasse Tyson contest. And, you know, you don't want to be whipping out your DeGrasse Tyson and looking like some Martin Luther King monument in the middle of a boardroom. So keep it cool. Got to be careful. Corn Pop. I heard his name was Tyrone. I, 
don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I have not seen. There's a depiction. I've not seen any memes of Martin Luther week. King, but you know, I've but been busy working. I made a workshop on mindset. I did not see any memes this and week. And poor Martin Luther King. I mean, honestly, Martin Luther King today would be canceled. The well, first off, the government shot him. him. So he kind yeah, of was yeah, canceled. the FBI. That's true. Yeah. There's, yeah. The and they who cover up his the Epstein circle. client list. They killed Martin Luther they, King. I know that's a spoiler for some of you, but they also killed Bobby Kennedy's dad. And they killed it? his uncle, JFK. That's Just true. to name a few of the, the, you know, the big hits back in the day. That is absolutely true. What was the CIA's greatest hits? That's an awful album. Someone by the content of one's character, not by the color of one's skin. Boy, he would be canceled so quickly. Because isn't today the postmodern credos from all these woke moms to judge someone purely based on their sex identity or their gender identity or and ethnic identity or all these other, you know, victimized, marginalized groups that, you know, it's a sort of a Marxist credo, but in the culture realm instead of the economics realm. So that's uh, it definitely, I don't know how popular good old Martin Luther King would be today, but you know, they really did such a great job of, up, um, come on, man. He'd have 12 million followers on Twitter. Any has you know, it's the dedication of that monument sort of speaks volumes to uh, not only the state of modern art, but the uh, consideration there they actually give to honoring someone who actually did great service to mankind in general. That's uh, oh boy. Yeah, I'm all for art, and when you're trying to <laughs> memorialize the art. memory of a famous freedom fighter, my oh, expectations aren't aren't high, but I do expect at least like it to be art and that just looks disturbing and i don't know of any art that i've ever seen and classified as art which was disturbing like that Agreed. and i've seen uh the art exhibit where they put the shit on the virgin mary over in brooklyn 20 years ago like that was a big deal oh look at these people okay that at least is some sort of expression i don't know what this other thing is yeah that's the thing i mean i had some uh an interesting description disembodied arms is it jeffrey dahmer's leftover sketches what's going on over there man and why does everything look like a penis from 10 different angles i know that's what my first thought is like is it a form of sodomy i can't because i didn't know what it was before i didn't even know it was a dedication to did klaus have something to do with it because i I think he saw it and i was like why does it like is there a depiction of that going on and my girlfriend's like no it's an it's honorary statue for a monument towards Doctor it's just King. davos baby and i was just like oh this is, this is as bad as uh well or martin luther king he deserves much much better than uh what modern art has to offer him in regards to honoring his life and legacy oh but, why there, the there's a breaking art, so. there's a breaking from uh davos let's go to the world economic forum found a copy of the real virus now we don't have to wonder where the strain came from it looks like the Gates, Soros, Fauci, Schwab strain. And of course, you have to t- test for it uh, near the taint with an anal Schwab sponsored by Albert Bortaint Borla. Now, if that's too many inside jokes for you, you just need to watch more than one episode of this podcast. You'll catch up quick. They use the promise software. This is saying, these memes it. are saying that chick is the F- FTX, SBF girlfriend chick. I don't know that it is. Carolyn Ellison or whatever. Right. I don't know because there's a bunch of memes with her. If you just go to Sally's page here, there's probably 10, 20, 20. (laughs) But 
you know, what, like it's a, her and her boyfriend at a bar and they're smiling at the camera. And it's like, when these people sit next to you at a bar, be careful. There's a whole bunch of them today. I don't think that this person is necessarily SBF's former girlfriend, Ellison. Sure. No, but, she looks Ellison's much. Yeah. Hairline, hair pull back. I could see similarity and that kind of makes it funny unless people take it serious. And then I don't like that stuff. So we'll see. Look humor, humor comment. though. I know what they're making fun of. Oh, Why don't you cover Epstein's client list? Yeah, you know, where is that client list? Have we seen that lately? How many billionaires is this? Should a great uh Maddie Banner ran a great um uh book club this past Friday recovered Wexner's philanthropic activities. Uh Scott Ritter must have broke the rules on Twitter. Mm. Talking about Ukraine. Starlink. Starlink sponsors uh, Ukraine. We can't talk about that on <laughs> <laughs> Ukraine's like Fight Club. You can't talk about that outside of Ukraine <laughs> and Starlink land. What's the first rule? Uh, don't don't leak personal data and location to kill people uh, with drones with Starlink, and then complain about people. No, that was a different rule. Mm, Something the first about rule is don't leak location data of uh, Elon Musk. Then don't leak Starlink. Well, yeah, data I mean, for Ukrainian soldiers that have pretty much fled the uh, front line through the war and now are using NATO forces and are also being trained new forces in Ukraine are being trained in America apparently so that's always good to continue on. you know what NATO's like NATO's like if you had two guys that wanted to rip off a bank but they ran to the bus and told everyone they were going to the hockey game or something and filled up the bus and then robbed the bank and then it was like hey you guys are on board right we're invading Russia <laughs> you guys you guys know right Yo, sorry sorry you thought we were going to the hockey game now we're invading Russia something like that because a bunch of those countries in NATO have really nothing to do with much other than they they give some stuff, they give some resources, they give territory to put U.S. missiles on to encroach on Russia. But they've added like, I don't know, 13 countries closer to Russia since the 90s when they said they wouldn't. There's a couple yeah. of disjoined, I think Finland or some other like the Scandinavian bloc, a couple just popped on like, oh, hey, this is going on. Like count us in. It's like, what? Meanwhile, that? someone at Spectre is stroking their pussy and saying, oh, it's going according to plan. Oh, man. Specter aside, the aerosolized vaccine that we were talking with Huff about, Mm -hmm. there's a new movie called Glass Onion. It's like a modern version of Clue. And in one of the first scenes, before you can go to Ed Norton's Secret Island, he's a billionaire, like Bezos type character. um, You have to get an aerosolized vaccine sprayed in your mouth by some spook who puts a gun up to your mouth, says, oh, 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 puts it up to your head, says, open your mouth, and they shoot something inside. The first five people don't say anything about it, and only the uh, James Bond character, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, yeah. He asks a question, but then immediately uh, kowtows to the alpha. Takes it. And takes it, yeah. Yeah, and I just thought that's an interesting normalization because the there's nothing to aerosolized vaccines, but they're going to have them in a couple of years and you should be willing to take it without question, but there's nothing to that. And that's conspiracy theory. That was Double a, thinkers. Very have interesting fun. by Andrew Huff. Cause it makes a lot of sense in regards to the ability to facilitate aerosols in the environment, local environment. It's a much, e- much easier and cheaper way to, you know, deliver the product okay now i i wanted to say it during the interview but i also wanted to respect his time and so i didn't say amazon has these patents for these flying drone motherships that fly at thirty thousand feet with like two thousand drones and they can deploy those over a stadium to deliver your can, can you know your drinks 
concession stand from the sky is what they're telling you it's for. But what do you think a guy like Bezos does when he has flying super fortresses of armed drones with the capacity to like make Spectre's plans look like, you know, a, a kid playing with a BB gun compared to nuclear weapons? Kind of reminds me, I mean, maybe he's a good guy. What is it? The Terminator 3, which is a bad film, but what did Skynet do? It disguised itself like a virus in order oh, yeah. to make the, the, this you know researchers the dod essentially to upload the virus to all the military bases and then it went live and then so it disguised itself as the very thing that then it was used as the trojan horse to get into all the systems by the use of humans saying like oh we need to go live with skynet in order to like stop this virus attacking our systems that's actually the thing that's doing it's sort of like an analogy for what's going on here guys you know when it so that's i was gonna say it's a perfect segue for chat gpt yeah yeah (laughs) which i do not have down here on the computer otherwise i'd just show it to you guys but we'll have to tease it tonight and you guys have to go to open ai and surf around and find yourself a playground or a sandbox or something that goes on with that uh it's a thing and it's been long time in the coming these types of wishes that they're delivering on now have been around for 20 years they didn't have the data so they had some algorithms 20 years ago but they didn't have enough data sets to make it smart like it is now how do we bridge that gap between the year 2000, 2001, early on to 2023? What happened in between? Oh, the AI needs data to chew on. How are we going to get everyone's data? Well, they're pretty, they're pretty privacy-minded about it right now. Let's give them Facebook. Let's take that DARPA project, LifeLog, <laughs> yeah. put this Zuckerberg in charge of it, and all of a sudden you got almost everybody's everything. But then there's this other thing Steve uh, Jobs is working on. And if we could put one of these things in everyone's hand, we could track their everything. And then we'd have cameras and microphones and they would take it around with them. We wouldn't have to bug them. And they're like, that's a pretty good idea. Oh, and they can interface with that thing called LifeLog that now has been rebranded as Facebook. That's not rebranded as Meta. How can right. you? And then they said, we're going to need a place to store all this data. And GCHQ and NSA are like, we got you covered. We got this multi terabyte, whatever gigabyte center that good it's good for the next hundred years kids everybody's everything for the next hundred years utah data center nsa so now they got the algorithm they got the storage they got your unwitting participation in surveillance capitalism to fill it up for the past 20 years and now they bring out chat gpt and they say hey we've taken all the text you guys have typed in the past 20 years and all the voice and all the data and we've given it to these algorithms that we designed ho 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 Right. So they're not conscious, but we don't know what consciousness is yet. And we've been fucking with it for a long time. So at some point, not so smart people here among us are going to create something that far surpasses our capacity and they're not going to know how to shut it off. And then they're going to come to the rest of us and say, oh, shit, we fucked up. No, wait, wait, wait. They would cover it up and profit to the nth degree, lie to us to the very end, which is what they did in the pandemic. So we know they're good at it. They've done it recently. They could still do these sort of things. So chat GPT. Is it uh, a career killer? Is it the apocalypse? Is it the Armageddon? Or is it maybe your opportunity to 10X your productivity, to leverage new technology, to serve more people, to deliver more plans of action so people can get more things done and spend less time doing boring things like writing an outline and more time like uh, doing the research and filling it in? So I see upsides and downsides. I agree. Uh, I don't think we should be ignorant of it. I think it's going on. We're here at the point in history. It's like, uh, you know, everyone's in 
buggy and horse and buggies. And we just saw the first car go by. And by the way, the first cars were battery powered and electric. The first Porsche was an electric Porsche. But Rockefeller came along with gasoline, made everyone a deal they couldn't refuse. And now they're tired of that game. Yeah, too much freedom with it. Combustion engine. Well, yeah, and it's just more efficient, at least at the time. Too much productivity because China's like 10x is our pollution and they're super productive because they have fossil fuels and coal power plants. I'm afraid to use it. Electricity. Of course, then they enslave their population too, essentially. So let's play a couple clips. Uh, I think the first clip that made it out into the public. So uh, Open AI created Chat GPT. It's been available for about a month. We've been looking at it for about a month, looking at all these different scenarios. Lots of use cases, kids. Lots of use cases. Very interesting opportunity. Is it a trap? <laughs> Also question. So let's look at the first uh, notice of this was, who was it? Uh, Brett Weinstein with Joe yeah. Rogan. Kinda. Uh, yeah. We was could that the go first kind of conversation? Yeah. Let's go back. Ones. I think it's just a couple of weeks ago. And then there's more yeah. uh, recent ones I mean, uh, with Jordan Peterson, Peterson talking about had a good one about it. Um, even um, Rick Beato, again, he's a music guy, but he did a really good segment on like the future of it as well. So there's a lot of people talking about from a lot of different areas, a lot of different you know, interests and expertise. And my buddy who works in high-level technology, he was saying they've used it for network security to write code and high-level right. network security and secure environments where it's, it's like what he was terrified about is how efficient it was. It actually works really well. You still need a human to go back and fix up little errors here and there, but it works really fucking well, especially for IT-derived scenarios. Um, it's, and Rick Beato points out it works really well for coming up with... if. You know, the lyrics weren't good, but it's still lyrics. You can, And from this, you can probably ultimately imagine a program that'll be able to write music and do stuff like this. And what does this mean about the future of artists? So it, it will expand into many areas of human value, you know, in human interest. So something to be and aware then, of. And, yeah, I was just going to say the other part in the past 20 years that they've done, thinking back uh, to how they used to do it, because I was a director of sales for a startup artificial intelligence company. And what we could do back then is it could watch data and systems. It could learn what normal looks like, recognize abnormalities, like someone trying to hack into your system. Here's signatures of what that looks like. It can recognize that behavior, right? So what it couldn't do, so it could it could learn and deliver results and alert you, like in a pager or a text or something, but it couldn't. Here's what they've done in the past 20 years. It couldn't communicate to you like a human. So now they do all that. Plus there's a graphical user interface type of thing where you can chat back and forth and it represents itself as another human being. It can write stuff like it's your secretary. It can book stuff like it's this. It could do stuff over here like it's your editor. It could do stuff like over here, like you're outsourcing code to India, all from you with a keyboard and access to the internet or even a phone and access like to the internet. That's what I'm going to call it from now on because it's too, there's too I many people saying logic. it. It's not a good name to say. So let's just call it Hal. And we're going to refer to this AI system, whatever, Jasper, or any of these. It's Hal. And if you need a specific, we'll show you on, on the webpage. But I, I, I just don't feel like record, saying chat GPT any more than I have to. There's still philosophical concerns around whether, um, I think it's called what generalized artificial intelligence or something of that nature is even possible. And I, I err on the side of skepticism and caution in regards to, we don't even have a good working theory of what, 
emerged as self-reflective consciousness in the first place. So it, to me, it just seems like a simulacrum or simulacrum, however you want to pronounce that, but it's sort of a, it's something that's People very playing God without yeah, understanding but, God, but it's not really going to go it's well. The, it's not truly conscious in the sense of the way we are. And so, but it's still highly efficient and it has computational powers for exceeding the human capacity forth and so on, but it still doesn't have that ability to conceptualize like we do. So it's still dependent upon the parameters of the programmers that designed the al- algorithm that, does this quote unquote self learning in the first place? That well, there's really also like emulates or creates a sim like a, a similarity or simulation of what a human would do, but not itself being of that conscious nature. What well, brings in the ethical concerns, and I don't think these people are concerned with ethics. And here's kind of what I mean by that I would argue on my side, you could learn more about the universe from a psychedelic trip than you're going to by experimenting with black holes at CERN. Oh, 100%. But they want to do the thing that if they get it wrong, it fucks up everybody else. Whereas if you do like self-responsibility, it's not hurting your neighbor. No one else, you know? So understand the universe from an individual perspective without infringing on the freedom and the the futures of other people. The same thing with like a a time machine. They would want a time machine to go back and steal people's stuff, right? And there will be a theory that if Tony creates time travel – the Pfizer in the future, the Northrop Grumman in the future knows Tony did that. They just swoop in and, and get it as soon as he does it. And he keeps yes. failing and he doesn't know why. Right. Whereas a philosophy of time travel cannot infringe on the causality of other people and can only be used within the confines of your own lifetime to self-edit. Hmm. Balance yeah, those ideas. It's a good metaphor for it. It's better than China blow up the whole, uh, the world with black holes and CERN and atom bombs and all these other neutron bombs. They just keep making more weapons. So they fuck up the whole place. They are they are not constructive. They are purely destructive. And that shows ignorance, naivete, childlike mentality, extended adolescence, a lack of understanding of of the fundamental nature of uh, and principles. Lack of of love nature. Yeah. Yeah. Lack of love, lack of, you know, understanding of nature, philosophy, wisdom, ethics, metaphysics, you know, all the all the concerns that, you know, have been so ardently sort of what's the word I'm looking for, but worked out by so many impressive individuals that helped to create the situation to get us to this point where we have things like advanced technology, advanced science, um, you know, advanced communications of all sorts. And yet like we're acting like belligerent children with it rather than being the custodians of, you know, knowledge sets that have been built up over time about trying to find out what, who we are, where do we come from and how, where are we going? What are the conditions and parameters and principles of the universe? What, what is the nature of consciousness? You know, what's the best way to uh, preserve individual rights and also honor the rights of other individuals? And, and, and how do I perform in, you know, groups, you know, as an individual and also as a group? All these like very important questions. And we just sort of throw it out the door and hand it over to scientisms and the leaders and the priests. The grassy Tyson. Like the grassy yeah, Tyson it. and the oblate spheroids and the Anthony Fauci's, you know, with his weasel ears and yeah, Dr. Science. Jesuitical. Yeah. Oh, I am the science. Well, I think it's Saint Science. I think they've moved him up a couple notches it's for marketing. One of those psalm candles, you know. They need uh, coins in the coffers over there at the Vatican. So they, they upped them. You got to, you know, because you can just pay to become a saint. That's a thing. Well, I mean, maybe you, you can pay to be Pope. Telescope. Well, there was a pirate that became Pope, like bought into the papacy, like he had enough money and they're like, okay, we'll take your money. And then the Medici's are like, what? You can, you can buy Pope's. And then they bought two Julius and Clement the second. 
mm-hmm. both of which dress like I'm psychedelics. But that's a whole yeah. different conversation about what caused the Renaissance, y'all. But that's not this show. We don't have that show up and running. This is Grand Theft World. We're going to keep talking about the facts of the Blade Spheroids and other things not in Plato's uh, forms, right? Because that's that's a good tie back. Yeah, Plato's yeah. Plato's forms did not include oblate spheroids. No, no, not at all. Uh, justice, beauty, you know, uh, unity, concepts of that truth, goodness. So you know, and the then Degrasse Tyson, the forms. Those are essentially the forms, and then there's you know Degrasse Tyson. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if he fits in with the idea of unity and justice and beauty and and symmetry and you know ideas that make up what beauty is and rationality itself which is conditioned by those and so forth and so on so but you know you got anthony fauci neil degrasse tyson leading the public charge with knowledge and and science i guess well they blinded some with science but we saw through it with technocracy (laughs) uh (laughs) sorry uh, I've been standing here for 12 hours. Things like that slip out. My inner monologue editor stepped out. There's a little fat Corvette. Look at the guy. He's pointing to you. He's like, ah, you selling you out to the Chinese, selling you out to the Ukrainians. He's a good guy, former VP. I was just seeing if there's any more. No, that's an interesting uh, thing. Yeah, right. Recall there. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking to see I'll if there's any more Davos true. updates or Fauci drops because we've been going for a couple hours. A whole bunch of stuff's been going on tonight. Yeah, we'll true. get to it next week in the episode, but I like to catch some of this stuff live. Sometimes I end the show and then I see what happened during the show. I was like, we could have covered it during the show, but we didn't look. And now well, we I go have to the a means. We'll take a little bit. Of, yeah, yeah, I should do that during clips. I don't. I didn't usually. I didn't used to have a monitor right here. <clears throat> a lot of people see me look up here. I'm just thinking when I'm looking up there. Now I do have a monitor that I can read from History Blueprint browser these sort of things it's going to be more useful all right so uh did we have a clip decided that we we're going to go to next because i know we bought we just mentioned oh, i, I sent ld the um chat what chat gpt so this is uh joe rogan speaking with brett weinstein this oh, right. is one of the original conversations and we can move on from there and find you know a couple more recent clips if we're interested in sort of developing that further then i would say dig if you will the picture of Brett Weinstein talking about chat GPT. Let's go to Joe Rogan and the Joe Rogan experience. See Prince callback. Got those butterflies all tied up. Let's see if these doves cry. But I want to talk about uh, chat GPT. Mm, fascinating question. Have yeah. You, have I've you experimented to... with it? At all? I have not, but someone, uh, the, the gentleman who runs the uh, JRE companion page, um, made a, a rap with chat GPT like uh, was it was it if Kanye West wrote a rap for chat GPT they put it on Instagram but it's it, it's like it seems like a person saying it That's right. you are. I mean it takes a long time he, really. he his thing took like 48 minutes to do well whatever you want to look up right now we can do it yeah the problem is you have to cajole it It'll get something wrong, and you have but to say no. But let's just no, explain what way. it is. So, ChatGPT is a large language model trained artificial intelligence, which is let's just say it can be awful, but it is often surprisingly good at answering questions you might have about how to do things. One of the 
great triumphs of it is that coders are now asking it to solve coding problems, and it will actually write code that is functional. It, it's pretty amazing. And it also, there's a an implementation of it that if you feed it up to three tweets, it will write a New York Times story in one of five genres, you know, optimistic, pessimistic, neutral. And, um, you know, it's you don't really need the New York Times anymore because it's pretty good at this job, right? So on the one hand, it's all very interesting that we're living in an era in which there is at least, I mean, you know, and this is a prototype, right? This is a prototype that was specifically trained and then placed on the internet so people could play with it. And I've seen lots of interesting um, uses. It's going to get better, right? We're dealing with ChatGPT3. There's going to be a ChatGPT4. But I have to say, I am quite alarmed, not only that this thing exists, but I don't think we're ready for it. And I don't think we're ready for it in a couple different ways. I mean, if you want to comfort yourself and say, well, this isn't that serious that we have this AI that can do these really shocking things, the, the comforting thing is that the way it's programmed, it doesn't know what it's saying. It doesn't matter that it convinces you that it's saying something and it means it and you know, that it seems like a creative entity. What it's doing is it is basically using a predictive model that has been trained on a huge data set of written language, right? So the answer is, if you, know, you take three words in a row, can you predict what the next word is going to be? And they've allowed it, they've exposed it to a large data set, and it's gotten really good at predicting basically these sequences to the point that it can now, if you prompt it correctly, it can spit out these uh, uh, very long ex explanations. Some of them are dead wrong. Sometimes they're right on target. But I have two concerns about it. One, if you imagine that this thing just gets a little better than it is, which is inevitable. In other words, if you become expert at operating this thing, at querying it, and it becomes better at understanding a wider range of topics because they turn it loose on everything that's written on the internet, for example, right? Then the point is the ability to fake expertise is going to go through the roof. I don't think we know how we're going to police a world in which, I mean, this, is, this problem is already bad enough. Most academics are fakers. They don't know that. Right? They trained in something, they wrote a dissertation, they think they're experts, but you can see when something unexpected happens, like the pandemic, you get just broad-scale failure across entire disciplines where nobody seems to get it right. right? So in that world, this is going to be even worse because now you have some, an artificial intelligence able to generate things in plain English that are often full of true information but you don't know whether what generated it is some, you know, brain-dead model or something else. That's one concern. And then the other concern is when we say, well, ChatGPT doesn't know what it's saying. It's not conscious. We know it's not conscious because it's not programmed to have a consciousness. We are actually ignoring the other half of the story, which is that we don't know how human consciousness works. I think it's clear that ChatGPT isn't conscious. It couldn't be. But it isn't clear to me, at least, that we are not 
suddenly stepping onto a process that produces that very quickly without us even necessarily knowing it. Oof. And what steps, if any, can be done to mitigate that at this point? Well, it's interesting. I <clears throat> I wrote a paper, which I never published anywhere in, I think, 2016, about this very issue. In fact, I used um, basically the argument that you could you could attain artificial general intelligence by imbuing computers with a childlike play environment for language and then exposing them to a huge data set, which is not exactly what's happened here, but it's in the ballpark. Um, and I would argue, and I did argue, that one needs to build a um, an architecture in which this can't get away from you. Right? And so the architecture that I advocate for is actually a metamorphosis architecture where metamorphosis is not allowed. It is an affirmative choice of humans. Right? In the case of GPT chat, you know, I think some of the, um, the artificial intelligence existential risk folks would tell you that one of the dangers is that the, um, the chat uh, AI could convince you to do its bidding. Right. As you said, when you were looking at this, it felt like a person, right? And the point is, something that feels like a person can play on your emotions, right? Can that be used to to cause a failsafe to be removed? Maybe. But in any case, this only deals with one of the two issues I'm raising. The question of actual artificial gener general intelligence arriving, us not knowing necessarily that it has right? That's a frightening prospect. Um, and in fact, I have a little thought experiment that might reveal why. But uh, the other issue is the issue of competence, where everybody is using this thing behind the scenes in order to say things that are beyond their own capacity to articulate, right? Then the world becomes some new kind of hall of mirrors. We, we've had a hard enough time dealing with algorithms on uh, you know, on search and feed, this is a whole next level of difficulty in knowing where you are and who you're talking to and what it means and what their motives are. And um, I think we ought to be on high alert. Whew. When you extrapolate, when you look at what this does and what it's capable of, and what I think what scares people is something that seems to be a person but doesn't have any emotion, doesn't have any soul. It doesn't, it's not us, but it behaves exactly as us. And then you can put it in a physical entity. So if you have this chat DP, GPT and then you extrapolate to version five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, to communicate with you like ex machina, where it's, exhibiting all of the behavior characteristics of a person. Like, one of the most terrifying... Th that's one of my favorite movies of all time. I love that movie. One of my favorite movies of all time was when that guy who was brought in to uh, sort of run some tests on these uh, artificial intelligence creations and determine whether or not they pass as human. What is that test called again? The um, uh, Turing test. Turing test. Yeah. And um, 
he is in love with this woman. She's manipulated him to the point where he's aided her in her escape. And then she leaves him in that room with the bulletproof glass and he's pounding on the glass and she walks away with not a thought at all about him. It is the ultimate example of the worst case scenario of where this can go, where you have something that behaves exactly like a human being and knows how to play upon your sexual urges, your emotional desires, all of those different things that she plays upon. And then she just walks away from him and leaves him to starve to death in this fucking bulletproof room. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm now recalling the film and it's it's done very well because it manipulates you passively in your seat. Yes. Right. As it manipulates this character on the screen. And so you are betrayed, too. Yes. In this. You want to believe that it's emotional and it has none of that. You feel bad for this woman what right? you think is a woman who is uh, contained. And, you know, when she's saying to him when the power goes out, don't trust him. And then, you know, the power comes back on. She behaves normally again. You're like, oh, my God. Like, she's trapped. Right. Like, this poor creature, they've made an, an, a person, essentially. And she has these thoughts and hopes and dreams, just like a regular person. But now she's trapped, and he falls in love with her. And even though he's seen her in her robot form, when she puts skin on and when she puts clothes on and she's in front of him, he's in love with her. Right, and it, you know, again, it plays very well because uh, there's a manipulable circuit in straight men. Yeah. This particular narrative, right, you'd have I mean, to be a gay woman or a straight man right. for it to trigger you. But, um, but A, part of this is actually inevitable in the chat GPT story because especially to the extent that this is a mindless entity that doesn't know what it's doing. It's right. just striving to do it better. Yes. The tactics that work will register as, oh, you did it right. So to the extent that you have those vulnerabilities in you and it finds them and that works, then the point is reinforcement. Right? It scares us because it's not us, but it is us. Well, because it's, it's behaving exactly like us. But it doesn't have all the things that make a person a person. It doesn't have the biological vulnerabilities. It doesn't have the, the, the ability to actually sexually reproduce. It doesn't have emotions. It doesn't have all these different things that we like to think of. The soul, you know, whatever that means, whatever that term actually means. Yeah, but I'm worried about what could be generated. And I know that that sounds, it will sound to a lot of people, especially technological people, like a biologist out of his depth. Mm -hmm. But I don't think so. This is a biologist trying to say something about the biology and what it applies about this analogous system. Anyway, yeah, we, uh, we do have another clip, but let's break open what we heard. Okay. So he's a little concerned about the uses of it. Okay. But I'm concerned about, like, this is the tip of an iceberg. What's on the rest of the iceberg? This is what they're willing to show us and let us play with for free knowing that we're probably the products and it's tracking what we're searching and all that fun stuff. Like I asked it, uh, how do you free Ross Ulbricht? And it said, Ross Ulbricht is a federal incarcerated prisoner and he cannot be, he can't be freed. I was like, you're not thinking out of the box enough. You know, it could say it had the option to say, here's how you go file a petition. Here's how you get strength in numbers. 
it didn't have anything useful. It gave me a very standard answer, almost as if it was programmed to not think about such things like that. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, the parameters by which the algorithm operates probably only supports certain sort of knowledge environments or, you know, conditions of value, like programming, for example, solving engineering yeah. problems like those are where it probably exhibits the best functionality. But then when you ask questions of a, you know, political social nature, I, you know, I, I feel as though it's certainly being left behind in that realm because of the, you know, the importance from a, a monetary fiscal standpoint in regards to the returns one can get the, the functionality, the efficiency one can get, uh, from the engineering and or um, development sort of realm. So that's that's where I see it being most effective currently. Obviously, uh, you know, as I point out, Rick Beato mentioned about the importance it could, you know, or the tragedy rather, because he looks at it as an, a possible negative in regards to music production. But it's, you know, the public's been so conditioned to accept synthetic and sort of artificial music, quantized drums and um auto-tune and all these sorts of elements um, that they've, you know, it won't be long before it, uh, music is sort of programmed or, or developed by AI systems. There's lots of people besides musicians who are panicked, like lawyers. Lawyers like or you, you can say, hey, write me a sales contract, write me a negotiation contract, yeah. and it will, right? That's like correct. it can do pretty complex things. So I'm happy to use a tool that can help make the skeleton and I can flesh it out, but I don't like when it, fleshes itself out and presents itself to me as a human being. And it's hard to tell the difference with the Turing test and all yeah, that I think sort the of thing stuff. That being, I don't, I'd have to go back and look because there's, there's wisdom in what Brett Weinstein's concerned about. I'm not so much, and he yeah. points it out. I'm not concerned so much about GAI, generalized artificial intelligence. I don't think it exhibits that. I think Brett, Brett Weinstein did a good job of it, of exhibiting. It's not, it's not actually manifesting any sort of, in other words, it's not conscious like we are, but, but it's able to convince us or act enough like a human, like a simulacrum or simulacrum, like it's it's almost a simulation of ourselves as though it's real. But it's a it's a copy. It's sort of an after effect. It's something, yes. but it's almost good enough where it can convince people unwittingly that it is the real thing. And that's where I think the real concern lies. Not that they actually created a truly conscious machine. I'm not even sure that's fundamentally possible in the universe. Well, let's assume that what they're showing us now is 20 years ago and that what they have right now is something like what you're talking about. Cause like we're talking about DARPA, right? So we're not seeing the bottom of that iceberg of what they actually can do. We're showing what they, according to national security can show people to be publicly available. And if you go back to the origins of open AI, I'm pretty sure Musk had something to do with this, the origins of this chat GPT play, which I'm is just, also I'm just saying from a standpoint, it's, I yeah. agree with you. I'm totally on, I'm not disagreeing at all. I'm just saying there may be a parameter by which the philosophically and then inevitably in nature itself, by which these types of machines can't become self-aware the same way we are, but that doesn't mean they're not going to become infinitely more and more complex than the type of algorithms. than then these programs that exhibit these algorithms can, can produce. So in other words, it can get much better at being able to come up with very nefarious and intricate strategies for freeing someone like Ross Ulbricht or creating a, a song or writing very complex code, or maybe designing some type of like fusion reactor that's hyper efficient and can work really well, but it's not conscious it's doing that. It's just being able to learn based on the continual feedback of data sets for feeding it and the refinement of the algorithm to be more and more and more and more and more powerful. But there still may be a limit as to whether or not it can become conscious the way we are. That whether it might not matter. 
in that capacity, then it's always a slave to the people that have total power over it, which would be DOD, DART, you know, through DARPA and uh, and their projects, DARPA projects, that is, with the Department of Defense and other elements, black projects and other sort of uh, government agencies and or military branches, you know, because every military branch has their own intelligence uh, branch associated with it. So you can't call them black projects anymore, Tony. That's racist. You have to it's call them racist. projects of color. Projects of color. Oh boy. And there's Isn't 50 shades of gray where that's coming from. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Speaking of take it, there's a second amendment issue we also have to cover, but we're not going to, it's not this segue. I'm just foreshadowing after you hear Dr. Jordan Peterson, scare your socks off. Because yeah, when you hear how he feels he, about it, you know, when he's like, you know, I asked it, let me see if I can do his impression. I asked it. No, I can't do it right now. He asked it. You're going to hear him say it. I don't want to do an impression of him. I've been working too long today to do a good impression, but catch me at the right moment. I might might t- give it to you sometime in the future. All right. So let's go to Dr. Jordan Peterson. He's going to break open this chat GPT how situation a little bit more. He's going to show you, you know, there are people who are scared and losing their careers, but I think at the end of the day, <clears throat> Lawyers, all these people that are scared, copywriters can serve more clients because the chat GPT can give you a structure, but you still need someone to come in and make sure that's okay and legal. It makes sense. It's early. So these people have transition period of five, 10 years, but there is something knocking on the door. It says, ye shall focus on your highest and best value and delegate things that AI can do to the AI and be more productive or there's a certain irony yeah. to it. And so far as it's actually going to target white collar jobs first and foremost. Now there's plenty like McDonald's has rolled out a fully automated system in Texas, apparently. So it's not like blue collar jobs are safe, but this and the irony behind this specific system, it's actually threatening white collar jobs, you know, sitting behind a desk, paper pushers, you know, people work with sort of theory crafting knowledge, data sets, those sorts of things. And, um, yeah, the fact that it's threatening a lot of jobs in that domain. Well, I think a lot of people thought they were insulated. You know, it's just going to be the blue collar work. People work well, right you know, now, like as hard physical labor. And it's like, oh, no, sorry, good. If you got kids in elementary school, like this isn't a big deal. Don't worry about it right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. If you got kids in high school that are looking to go to college and there's chat GPT available and you're about to shuck out a hundred thousand that you don't have, you might want to get yourself some other options because what you're sending them into, it's going to be obsolete. You yeah. send them to college. They wanted to go into human resources because that was a career 20 years ago. Now human resources is going to be automated because who yeah. wants to deal with hiring and firing anyway? Resumes come in, they pass the algorithm, they go in. And when they get fired, you get the automated. Here's why we took down and canceled you and you have to move all those good things that uh, school prepares you for over those 15,000 hours definitely tells you how to live life and survive and thrive dollars as well afterwards because yeah. 15,000 hours is to get through primary education but then yeah. you can spend an extra 100 plus thousand dollars not to mention if you go to masters get a masters and or go to professional school or boy it's a lot of money lot of or or you know instead of 15,000 hours go through season 9 of autonomy coming up in a couple months it takes you 120 hours Let's say 12 weeks, 10 hours a week, you can undo the 15,000 hours of indoctrination and get the skills you need to survive and thrive and get the confidence and competence from actually practicing the skills in the incubator before you take them out to the street. 
So I'm just saying, getautonomy.info forward slash ignite. We need to discuss uh, for private matters, but getting a corporate offering out there. I have a couple uh, corporations that are very interested in the possibility of purchasing something like that. So we have a corporate offering in the R and D department. So we just need a a use case for first testimonial. We can get a couple couple that are interested. Again, we'll talk about privately. So lots of lots. I mean, it's obviously high value skill set. It gives it sort of a it's a deconditioning from the conditioning of the Prussian education model and progressive education. And it sort of regains your literal agency and your autonomy and find value in your ability to, to provide needs and wants that individuals out there have, and you can find a way to step in there, communicate effectively and fill those needs, fill those wants, and with your own expertise, your own skills. So it's a, it's a high leverage sort of value set. And if you want to be response able, able to respond, uh, you're going to need some more information. You're going to need some practice with that information. You're going to need some use cases where you actually gain your confidence and say, oh, I can do that. Now you can just go do it wherever you want to in a freedom-like fashion. So uh, let's 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 now let the doctor take the floor. Here's Dr. Jordan Peterson. Before he went through the re-education camp, for those of you watching in the future, this is before the re-education of Dr. Jordan Peterson. Here's some parhesia. <laughs> How many of you clap? How many of you know what chat GBT is? There are things, and everyone in the audience should know this, there are things coming down the pipeline on the artificial intelligence front that are just going to make your hair stand on end within the next year. Because there is so much transformation going on in that domain. And, and that's been the case, particularly for the last six months, that it's, it's almost unimaginable. I figure a third of the universities will go broke in the next five years. So I'll tell you what chat GPT is, just so you know, because you need to know this. And I don't know what sort of technological revolution this is. It's smarter than you. This is a big deal. So this AI system, it's a general language processing model, was released about a week ago, a week and a half ago, and uh, I, I went and interacted with it. You can, it's an AI system, artificial intelligence system. It basically is trained on, well, a massive corpus of, of spoken and, or of text. So it's derived its models of the world from the analysis of human speech, essentially. It, it isn't using real world data yet, but that will be happening certainly within the next year. And ChatGPT analyzes a very large corpus of text and that corpus is growing all the time. Now it's already sophisticated enough. I went on to it last week and I said, okay, some of you know I've written these books, 12 Rules for Life and then Beyond Order, 12 more rules because you know, you can't have enough rules. And I asked it, this is what I asked it to do. I said, write me an essay That's a 13th rule for beyond order, written in a style that combines the King James Bible with the Tao Te Ching. That's pretty difficult to pull off, you know? Any one of those things is hard. The intersection of all three, that's impossible. Well, it wrote it in about three seconds, four pages long, and it isn't obvious to me, for better or worse, that I would be able to tell that I didn't write it. Right. Right, and okay, and that's pretty impressive, but the fact that it could do that grammatically perfectly, right, and quite impressive philosophically, I also had it write an essay on the intersection between 
the Taoist version of ethical morality and the ethics that are outlined in the Sermon on the Mount, which it just nailed, got that dead right, brilliant. Again, it took it about three seconds. There was a, a computer engineer who purported to work for Tesla. He asked GPT, chat GPT, said, look, I work for Elon Musk, but I haven't been doing much for the last week, so I need you to write me 10 bullet points about what I probably would have done as a, as a engineer at Twitter. What 10 things did I do last week that were productive and valuable? And oh, if you don't mind, write me the accompanying computer code that goes with each project. And it did that too, three seconds, and the computer code works. Right, and so, okay, so that's, that's already there. So then a university professor did this. He thought, oh, that's interesting. Any student will be able to write any essay on any topic with ChatGPT. And uh, someone gave it an SAT, by the way, and it scored about as well as the average student in a well-functioning public university. So that's how smart it is. So that's basically an IQ test. He said, write me an essay, gave it a topic, wrote the essay, he said, now grade it. Said, if we can automate the students, we should be able to automate the professors too. And so it provided a complete comprehensive analysis of its own essay with grade. It wrote, uh, someone else asked it, write the screenplay and describe the characters for the next $900 million Hollywood blockbuster. It's like, bang, plot, characterizations. Then someone else took the descriptions of the actors and said generate computer photorealistic computer images for each actor and, that did, and all the AI systems could do that so I'm going to tell you what's going to happen next this is going to happen this year so get ready okay so now we have an AI model that can extract a model of the world from the entire corpus of language all right and it's it's smarter than you and it's gonna be a hell of a lot smarter than you in two years. So you can get ready for that too. But it's not that smart yet because it's just a humanities professor at the moment. It doesn't test its linguistic knowledge against the real world. That's what a scientist does, right? You come up with a theory that's linguistically predicated and then you throw it against the world and see if it sticks. And then the world tells you whether or not your linguistic construction is valid. But the new AI systems will be able to extract out patterns from the world itself, from images and so forth, and then be able to test their linguistic constructions against the world. And so they'll practice just like scientists. And the most advanced models are going to use text and image and action as well, because they'll be able to model human action. And so, and all of that's gonna come down the pipes within the next year. So hang on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen, because what did my friend Jonathan Pajot say? Giants are going to walk the earth once more, and we're gonna live through that. In Elon Musk, one of the things he's working on, see, he, he thinks that the world will be controlled by whoever produces the most functional AI system the fastest, because there'll be a first mover advantage. And one of the things Musk has been working on for a long time are distributed AI systems, so that you'll have your own artificial intelligence to protect you against, well, let's say against Google's artificial intelligence, for starters. Yeah, or, or the CCP's artificial intelligence, because you can bet your hat they're working on that about as fast as they possibly can. Very fascinating. Always appreciate Jordan Peterson's perspectives. Um, very intelligent man, obviously, very wise individual. Um, you know, there's major concern 
around these systems. Uh, I've already echoed the sentiments of my buddy who works in high-level network security and what it's been able to do, which echoes the realizations that these professors um, were able to test of it in regards to it being able to automate what they do. The fact that he was able to put in two very different systems, you know, Dallas ethical theory with, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. One's very much instantiated in Eastern concepts and practice. The other one is completely of Western contrivance and combine it in such a way to make it intelligible with no grammatical errors, which combines the primary concepts therein to make it something that's readable and understandable. That's quite frankly, unbelievable. Um, it's a hell of a test too to take a, a theory that's very much Eastern and isolated Eastern theory. Um, and to juxtapose that to obviously the canon of Western ethics in regards to theological concerns with the Judeo-Christian tradition, that is a phenomenal test um, considering that both are very, although there's similarities in ethical uh, stances, practices, behavior, so forth and so on. So what ethics is really dealing with uh, they're, they're, they came, they were arrived at completely differently, conceptually, philosophically. So that's, uh, it's very disturbing. I mean, he is right, though, too, just from a base IQ sense, that um, it'll be a lot smarter in the ability to recognize patterns and, and perform action based on that. It has nothing to say about wisdom or about its own ability to integrate those patterns in a meaningful or understandable way, or whether it can ever understand it in the first place or just pump out patterns of information more quickly, more quickly, more quickly. That remains to be seen. But to Rich's point, um, we can only imagine what the uh, DOD through DARPA and so many other government types of agencies have in regards to advanced technology that we don't know about. And the long history behind it. I mean, just go back to IBM and the Holocaust. Hollerith cards and then uh Brzezinski calling for like the Eastern Bloc, the Soviets could collect information on people, but they didn't have the technology to process it and use it real time. And then from the 1970s to present, they've developed the capacity, the technology, the data harvesting, your approval and habits. It's not accidental. And it is going someplace, it's going to a panopticon that people don't even realize is a panopticon anymore. Right. All right. That's why I'm not so people don't get caught up in the facade of whether don't panic, G, start G, thinking. Well, yeah, don't get and don't worry about whether it's GAI or not. Get caught up in that conversation. These systems, whether they're actually conscious or not, it doesn't kind of matter at this point. What matters is they're they're able to exhibit a level of intelligence, not maybe consciousness, but intelligence enough to be able to help the technocrats bring in this sort of global panopticon to Rich's point and be able to model human behavior so efficiently, so effectively and put it into practice. Right now, it's just a lingu linguistic sort of contrivance. But over time, they're going to be able to test out these, these linguistic patterns, as Peterson noted, through actual environments. And that's where it becomes really scary because that's where they can turn all of humanity into a live action lab, which is already has been, but now run by AI, which can operate many orders of magnitude faster than human minds can and be much more efficient in what these technocrats maybe want to do with it and how they want to mold our behavior. That's that's really that's what terrifies me more than whether you know GAI is possible or not. Yeah. And I fi I figure if it's here and they let us have access to it, let's learn how to use it. I agree. We might learn like <clears throat> I don't have it loaded here. I don't know if you have it, Tony. We might want to ask chat GPT, AKA how from now on, mm -hmm. let's ask how, how do we preserve the second amendment? 
Because the next story we're going to cover is ATF related. ATF does not have the ability or the right or the uh, the clearance to write laws, but people are going to think so for the next 120 days. A lot of them are going to panic. I'd rather get informed and see what, the, you know, I know there's a longstanding agenda to de, uh, disarm everyone on the populate, uh, everyone on the planet, right? I was thinking depopulate everyone on the planet. They also want to disarm you. And part of that is playing on your ignorance, your fear, your inexperience in these matters. So I think uh, with this, the, with the new news, I've been talking for 12 hours, with the new news, it's time to take a step back and say, yes, the First Amendment and all that comes with it is very important. And most of this show has been dedicated to preservation, proliferation of the First Amendment. But the Second Amendment is now like abrasively under attack. They went after bump stocks. I don't know what a bump stock is. I didn't really pay much attention to it. But now they're going after something that's making 40 million Americans felons, not overnight, but they wrote it overnight. They're going to uh, it's going to be circulated tomorrow, Monday, later today. And in 120 days, according to the rules, people become felons. So we're going to need to, uh, you know, Tony foreshadowed it. He's got a friend in security. He's got a buddy in security talking about the canon of ethics. Well, we need to talk about another canon of ethics and we need to put that on the table. We need to talk about the right to bear arms, the right to be informed, the right to uh, practice, the right to carry, the right to own. All these sorts of things are slowly but surely being pushed off the table. More and more rules infringing upon your civil rights, your Bill of Rights, your Second Amendment rights, more specifically. Uh, they're getting more uh, proliferated every day. There's a bigger stack of laws trying to keep you from being able to protect, protect yourself, protect your family, and protect your neighborhood. Uh, used to be neighborhood watch was a thing. So let's take a look at a few things. We're going to have uh, a couple different clips on this topic to give you guys not a panic perspective, but an early warning perspective that there are attempts to do these things. And I'm sure today, gun owners of America, National Rifle Association are getting like overboard donations. Go out and support if you were a Second Amendment supporter or if you're someone that believes in people's right to defend themselves and not become the property of others. If you're just anti-slavery. You might be, you know, uh, better suited to become more educated sooner than later because these rights are going out the window unless people like yourself become more familiar with what's going on. So we're going to have uh, a first clip up. It's a guy named Mike Glover. He runs, let's see what he does, F Fieldcraft Survival and Tactical. He's a, a former special ops guy that now does uh, training of uh, people who take themselves seriously. And... Uh, following that, then we're going to have another clip, another analysis on the same ATF law that they're passing, and uh, we'll get a little more familiarized, and then uh, we'll pass it around. Maybe LD will have something to chime in after we have something to comment on. So let's go play this clip from Mike Glover. This is from his Mike Glover actual YouTube channel. It's separate from Fieldcraft Survival. It's his personal channel. So let's hear his take for the first couple minutes on this new uh, attempted pseudo legislation. Is that the Mr. Guns and Gear B channel? Uh, I don't think so, but it might be. It was from the YouTube playlist earlier today. Yeah. 
let's try something. And if not, I'll pull it. Welcome back, everybody. As you this probably guessed from the title video. of this video, so right we have. And the YouTube channel should be either Mike. So the ATF just one. came out with their final ruling on one pistol braces, years. and we all. It's all news. Right. There's a Let's couple different clips. Let's see. Yeah, we'll try it again. There you go. Hey, welcome to Prep Life. Let's talk about the FAA. You guys saw this in the national news. 10,000 flights shut down. It's the first time in history this has ever happened because of a software glitch. And the second time in the country's history since September 11th of 2001. Hey, welcome to Prep Life. Let's talk about airlines. Grounded them because of a software glitch. According to a more deeply seated report, one software engineer transferred one file and it shut down 10,000 flights. Now, they identified this about 24 hours prior to the actual shutdown because they were trying to reboot the backup system, but it failed. Uh, Ironically, Canada faced the same thing the following day, but according to the Department of Transportation, as released in a press conference, um, this was not terrorist related. They haven't ruled it out, but I don't buy that an entire system's um, transportation was shut down because of a software glitch. And then the following day, Canada went through the same glitch just so happens. Herein lies the problem with our country right now. We're putting all our eggs in one basket for the sake of efficiency, optimization. And so this analog approach where we have a contingency, a backup doesn't exist. Uh, We talked about it before on the show about the power grid and the power stations vulnerabilities across the country. 55,000 of them. If nine to 12 of them were attacked, according to a report from the U.S. government, then it would shut down the power supply to the country for up to 18 months. That's pretty scary, guys. So, you know, the things that we teach in self-reliance is about understanding that all the things that you lean on because of this social collaboration and agreement of outsourcing everything, you better be prepared and start insourcing some of that because if you depend on that system solely, you're setting yourself up for failure. I'm talking about these floods that affected uh, California, still affecting California across the entire state, up to 20 inches of rain. All right. So that is Mike Glover. He is an excellent instructor. I do think he talked about this story, but I mixed up the video and uh, we'll go to the first one that LD was playing. He was playing the right one. He was right. I was wrong. I make mistakes. I'm a human being too. I passed the Turing test. Um, Alan Turing actually failed the Turing test, which is interesting. And And I don't even think Apple's logo comes from. I don't even think it's used. You say it's late. I just like muted myself. I don't even think it's used anymore as a legitimate example of whether or not AI is uh, 
represents consciousness yeah there's there's inherent paradoxes built into the test itself for limitations but but it was a good it was a good thought experiment at the time but it's been shown to be insufficient for my understanding historically speaking yeah and the other thing is before we go into this video because now that we ld does have the video and there are two videos on this topic and it is something that just broke in like the last i think it broke this morning right before i did the workshop i was checking these videos out and i understand there's nothing to panic over. This stuff goes on all the time, but you do need to pay attention to it because like these are people who are criminals who are trying to get away with mass murder who don't want to go to the gallows. And so in case they get opposition, they want everyone to be disarmed and come after them with butter knives. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not calling for like French Revolution. I'm not saying guillotines, any of that type of stuff. I believe that these people are intellectually bankrupt. And that we should not gratify them and go down to their level and roll in the mud, mud by carrying and conducting violence. But at the same time, I believe in physical self-defense, intellectual self-defense, and non-aggression. And so you do need to become familiar with the rights that you inherited, but you don't own them until you experience them and do some learning. So I like to say that freedom is learned. It's not inherited. You have the potential for freedom, but you also have to step up for self-responsibility in these other aspects. So- in the interest of, let's just uh, bridge the gap for people who have fear of firearms. Been around for a long time, and they are more dangerous when you are ignorant and, and scared of them than if you are knowledgeable and respectful of them. And yes, criminals are always going to break the law. And so making more laws to hurt the law-abiding citizens from protecting themselves is not a good idea. So I thought, what useful thing could I convey in a short period of time? Well, the first thing before you could even go to like a, a place to look at firearms to, to educate yourself and get experiential tactile feel, you need to know something basic, like not how to aim and fire a firearm, but how to check and clear a firearm. And I yeah, thought that is right. That's far, a useful demonstration. Oh, yeah. That's the most one of the most important things you could learn right out the get go for, for safety and functionality, understanding first and foremost. Yeah. We shouldn't get flagged for showing that, right? We're not going to disassemble. We're not going to play with springs and triggers or anything like that. But I thought trigger, it would be useful. discipline's a nice thing too. Right? Yeah, you know, because it's like it's like the elephant in the room. So no, clear the chamber, as a for instance, don't, don't put your finger this is, on the trigger. Sorry, go ahead. this is something that people are scared of. So let's clear it and let's yep. clear it and let's look down inside it. Look down inside it. Anything in there? Let's tap it. Nothing in there. We're good. So we have a cleared firearm. Let's lock it open for safety. So it's clear, clear, clear. Everyone, we're clear, right? We're good. Okay. Everyone, deep breath out. If that made you anxious at all, take a deep breath. Let it out. Because what you just saw was a demonstration of a BB gun. Okay. Any 12-year-old in your neighbor could could have something like this and it might look like a firearm looks like a firearm right how many of you thought that was a real firearm this is not a this is not even a training firearm this is an airsoft co2 propelled bb gun that's 15 or 20 years old okay so i'm just saying when i do that and you hear that don't think anything of it the co2 goes in the bottom you guys can order these from Amazon right now. You might be in a place where firearms are illegal. I don't suggest you carry this instead, but it might be better than not being armed at all. You might be able to show and, you know, tell nobody. 
If somebody comes to your house and they mean you harm, having something like this for 20 bucks or whatever this costs these days might be better than your broomstick. Now, if you have the means and the uh, adeptness to pick up something like this and not flag anybody, right? Like I'm not going to flag even the camera because that's not good practice ever. Every gun is a loaded gun, even if it's a BB gun. Even if you just saw me clear it, we're still going to respect it like it's a real gun. Now, something else, if you ever had to aim a gun, which I hope you never have to do at a human being, but it might be fun to plank some targets, you might practice. And you don't even need a gun to practice. You don't even need a BB gun to practice. You could just go around pointing your thumb because wherever you point your thumb, that's your support hand. If you're right-handed, that's where your target's going to be. So you can just go around plinking all day. Plink, plink, plink. Doesn't cost you any money. But now you're at least in the mind of being a little more self-aware, being a little more fearless around the inherited right of having Second Amendment. All the other countries on the planet, you can't have pistols. You can't have firearms. You can't have cannons. You can't have 50 cal you know, you can't have 308 uh, Lapua. You can't have any types of stuff. You can have all this stuff, but you have to be responsible. With freedom comes responsibility. So it's good to not be in fear of uh, a striker-fired weapon, right? It's good to not be in fear of like an old-fashioned 1911. It's good not to be in fear of the shotgun. It's all these things that people are, oh, we got to ban this, right? They want to ban pistols, they're not automatic. They're, yeah, they're not semi, machine any guns. Any semi-automatic they right. want to ban, from my understanding, which right. is absolutely asinine, which tells me the ignorance, the conscious ignorance of the people making legislation. They don't understand how firearms work. We're already limited quite dramatically compared to what the military and even paramilitary forces and also tactical forces in regards to SWAT and so forth have for local police departments and, and state departments and so forth. You know, Yeah, you're not going to take up arms against your oppressor. So all those you guys planning for There's that a big gap in technology there, but you might need to defend your family, right. your property, exactly. your way of life against people who would like to come on your property and take it from you. Self-defense is a real thing in the world. Oh, Even yeah. animals without consciousness or reason know to defend themselves and they will fight you. If you go try to manhandle those, those animals, they'll scratch you. They'll bite you. They will fight for their lives. It is only because people have been indoctrinated and habitualized into a level of servitude, that of Django Unchained at this point. Yeah. And we of the Underground Railroad need to go out there and softly educate people and say, you know what? Things that go bang are only scary when they're being pointed at you. And as long as you don't use these tools to take away anyone else's freedom, you are perfectly able and capable and have the right to own such accoutrements of freedom and to be able to use them proficiently with practice and have the right to the ability to practice, not with, we're going to ban lead smelting and all ammunition has to come from China. And it's going to be skyrocketed and we're going to tax it and we're going to license it. And you have to have a permit. Like that's a bunch of nonsense made from made by people who want to take away your rights and freedom. Yeah. The hyperbolized rhetoric around yeah. the, the tragedies that happen with guns is drowning out an actual sort of uh, grassroots rhetoric you can find websites you can find blogs they've they've been deep sixed by the algorithm the google you know google search and so forth but they do exist that d detail and document all the local news stories of individuals that have protected themselves their families their loved ones with firearms and they they far outweigh the tragedies you hear about but they never make obviously national news they know they barely make local news but we hear about it through local news and then they get reported on various blog websites that try to document look there's yes there's a negative we see the negative we see how hyperbolizes in the media how tragic but yet yet at the same time politically 
charged and hyperbolized it then is in the, the rhetorical schemes of those who want to create legislation change. But here's all the individuals you're not hearing about that are actually using it responsibly to Rich's point or to able to defend themselves and their friends and their family. And it's it's quite voluminous. Every single year, the amount of people, amount of lives that are saved due to the fact that someone had a firearm, whether it's in a local barbershop, whether it's, you know, down at your local community center, whether it's in your home, uh, you know, a burglary situation, they could be used as deterrents. Hopefully you never have to fire one. You know, when I first started getting used to and sort of practicing with firearm, I kept saying to myself, and I still have the sentiment, although I do enjoy going to the range. I don't do it that often. But I said to myself, I hope I never in my life ever have to use this, quite frankly. Uh, that That's really the, the sentiment with which I go into it. Although I do enjoy the act of, you know, general target shooting and stuff like that. It's not, it's, you know, beyond that, I don't, you know, hope I never have to use it in the way, in, in the form of self-defense. I hope I never have to. I hope I'm never accosted to the point at which I have to utilize it in the form of self-defense, but I will. And now I know I have the ability to do so. And uh, well, and so many yeah. generations before us had to fight for their liberty and freedom. Correct. The least we can do is respect what yes. they've left to us and hope that we never have to use it yes. because yes. to, to have to use such things, whether in self-defense or in times of civil war, like nobody wants to do that. We'd all, we all have things we would rather be doing. Right. right. But if it comes time to, you know, there's uh, civil unrest and your family's at risk, you want more than a broomstick and harsh words to because yes. they're no longer like a woke mob trying to cancel you. They're an angry, hungry mob that doesn't know how to meet their needs without resorting to violence. And that happened recently. My buddy yes, of mine that it happens to, all the time. in Washington State when the Summer of Love was happening and what was it called? Chop, chop, chop or Chaz or whatever. Yeah. That's yeah, that that whatever that community that was set up in uh, I think it's in Seattle, Washington. Um, uh, you know, he, it got so bad that, you know, he essentially had to, he, he, he's the type that would never ever touch a gun. He actually went for and, and learned how to deal with firearms because he was afraid of his property deal because of the rise in crime. And he first went the route of using something like what you have there on the screen, which is, you know, to sort of psychologically manipulate someone to think you're armed. But then he realized that Washington State has very amenable laws in regards to uh, the ability to carry firearms and uh, utilize them. So he or someone that's, uh, you know, let's say uh, you were slinging some weed back in the day and you got a record <laughs> and you can't have a firearm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a good this. point. You know, they that's got they point. got some mighty airsoft. There's all sorts of things these days that are cre plus there, there's cre there's creative ways to defend yourself if you're not legally allowed to do those things. Sure. And you want to follow that law because you don't want to be a lawbreaker anymore. I, I understand those things. Also understand the difference between a BB and even a 380 is a world of difference. Right. Now, I thought, is there something else? useful i could teach you yeah i was watching some mike glover videos so one of the things that he recommended was a lot of people starting out with shooting <laughs> you're not used to having this explosion out in front of your face oh. and it's a natural thing to flinch and anticipate the firing of it and to flinch right before you know and it kind of your barrel rises and this sort of thing so what he said was this is still unloaded and it's still <laughs> fucking airsoft gun it's an airsoft right. yeah so like, uh, you know, if you have a limp wrist, so it depends on like how you shake hands. If you have a up and down limp wrist, then when you fire the gun, the recoil is going to go straight into your wrist. 
Whereas if you shake hands like a man's supposed to with a, a solid wrist, that recoil will travel up, travel up into your body and your, your gun won't be doing the rise and fall thing uh, you know, that everybody fends off at the, at the, at the range. So becoming more familiar with not just your first amendment, but the second amendment, not for the purpose of taking anyone's life or threatening anybody ever. Cause that's not something peaceful people do. Every adult mature male I have known in life carries a pistol, carried a pistol. A lot of them passed away having carried a pistol, defending their own freedom without ever having to pull it to threaten somebody's life or at least not to fire, not to having to fire. Let's put it that way. Right. Never having to take somebody else's life. So something that prevents that type of violence from happening is worth it. And then something that can defend you if somebody brings likewise or, or greater violence, at least you can learn how to stand your ground, have a chance in the game that they're playing out there, but you're not going to do it in a mindset of fear. You're not going to do it in a mindset of that's for other people, because I think that's people who haven't gotten themselves the least bit educated because it, it, it honestly, it does not take, there's several instructors online that are awesome, top quality instructors that'll teach you how to fire a handgun in 10 minutes. They may or may not teach you some of the things I just taught you, but I'm also looking at other great teachers to see what they're teaching and what they're learning. So Mike Glover was one. I want to recommend also uh, John Lovell from the Warrior Poet Society. So take in a wealth of information from people. And then the other thing is, no, I'm not going to show you an everyday carry pistol live. That'd be silly. But I can show you this. I can make the point with this demonstrative BB gun just in case anybody was real sensitive to firearms. It's a BB gun. And now for the next story that has nothing to do with pistols, but has to do with, well, technically pistols with braces. But the ATF is funny about how these things work. You're going to see it as a, a rifle, a carbine, something you might call an AR-15. AR does not stand for assault rifle. Let's just also get that done. If we're going to talk about Second Amendment, the Holy Trinity, Eugene Stoner from the Armalite Company, he made an AR-15. Moses Browning made the 1911 and Gaston Glock, right? So if you know about those three characters, you're going to be all right. The canon of ethics is going to start here with trying to take away these braces. I think it's discriminatory that these braces are, are being called out. I think it's a, a, a way to get people on a registry, which is the dream of the globalists. If they want to disarm people, they need to know who has has what armaments, right? So you don't want to volunteer that too much, none. So anyway, let's go to uh, two other researchers on this topic, on this story from earlier today, uh, earlier yesterday, and let's learn about this new brace problem that the ATF is causing in order to create 40, new, 40 million new felons. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. As you probably guessed from the title of this video, we have some very bad news for a lot of American gun owners out there. And even for folks who don't own guns, this is terrible news because of the type of precedent that it tries to set by the federal government. So long story short, we're going to uh, presume that most of you guys have seen my videos before on the ATF and their brace. Uh, obviously, I'm not 
putting this video up on YouTube right now because I can't. I'm suspended from YouTube. So if you guys are watching this video anywhere besides Rumble, head over to my Rumble channel and uh, subscribe because that's the main place for this video during my suspension. So bottom line is today is the 13th. The ATF just dropped their quote unquote final rule uh, for firearms with attached stabilizing braces. I'm going to read a couple things from it, but kind of big picture. Um, let me give you a quick overview here first. Number one, um, this is to go into effect 120 days from the day it's published. That will probably be Monday. We don't know that yet for sure, but very likely um, there will be at that point, of course, criminal penalties for it. Um, I have spent the last 45 minutes reading all of these documents. I have not read all of them because this is so huge and so comprehensive and so many people are going to be impacted by this. So again, the rule is going to go into effect 120 days from publication, probably Monday. Uh, anybody who has a braced pistol that I am aware of, they have an exception in here that I've seen, but I've not seen an example of the exception. We'll get to that here in a second. So on the macro overview, anybody who has a braced firearm, if you don't go through the ATF's approved uh options that we're going to talk about here in a second you will be a felon overnight and you will be facing up to 10 years in prison and ten thousand dollars per firearm that you are in possession of again as of 120 days from now according to the atf and uh, again just kind of on the big picture level the atf does not have the ability as an executive agency to pass law and what they're trying to do here is pass a law uh, without congress being involved or the president so nobody's passing it in the legislature and the president is not signing it. They're just saying this is now a law and upwards of 40 million, very likely much more than that. Uh, American citizens, like I just mentioned, will be turned into felons overnight. Again, before I get into the details, what do I suggest you do? Number one, blow up every single one of your political representatives, whether they be uh, federal congressmen, uh, state representatives, your governor, whatever the case may be, everyone needs to oppose this on every level because it is one of the most dangerous things I've seen by the federal government during my lifetime, if not the most dangerous. Well, there are probably more dangerous after 9-11, but regardless, it's up there with it. It is that dangerous. This, this is extremely, extremely dangerous should this go into effect. And you guys are going to see why here in just a second. So getting into what is actually posted. And again, I'm going to link down to this below in the video description. You guys can check it out and do your research yourself. There will probably be a follow-up video because again, there is a lot to read here. I have not read all of it. I've skimmed over it and I just want to get this out. So everybody knows you can share this with all your friends on all the social media platforms uh, because this, this is crazy. Um, so basically it says January 13th, 2023 today, um, the ATF published the final rule, uh, factoring criteria for firearms with attached stabilizing braces. So what is a stabilizing brace? It is this in all types of variations of this, a device designed for people who are handicapped that you can put your arm through to make you a more accurate shooter um, should you be disabled. So if you have one of those uh, 120 days from now on a firearm, it will be considered a felony for every firearm. Again, literally over 40 million Americans have these and it's probably higher than that, but at least that many. Um, and so basically what Pause it says is that constitutes a short barrel. There's a little disambiguity that needs to happen there. <clears throat> Cause you might say this, this law only applies to people who have a disability because that's what the braces are for and you'd be inaccurate. And then you might say, well, if it affects 40 million people, there must be 40 million people with disabilities using these types of braces. That's also inaccurate. The ATF, because of how they've written the rules and all the school shootings over the, year, over the years, 
they came up with these rules where basically you can't own an AR-15, but you can own an AR-15 pistol and put a brace on it that allows you to have like an AR-15 carbine without breaking their whatever laws. So over the years, people who needed a carbine to uh, defend their family, to shoot coyotes with, these sort of things that you do with a rifle these days, and uh, traditionally, they got in. They got so there's 40 million braces going around. They're not all handicapped people. They're not all disabled people. There's just people rocking personal defense and security that have these braces on their firearms that they paid a lot of money for. And they don't see this coming because it's sitting in their safe. They're not paying attention to the news. 120 days is going to go by. And if the gun owners of America or NRA or some other lobbyist group doesn't get this reversed and it actually stands to law, they know likely where those guns are and who didn't register. And they might do a sweep as they've done in other countries. So I wouldn't put it past them. And I see this as like uh, they're drawing a line in the sand. And they're making people decide to be either a law-abiding citizen by complying and becoming a part of a list, or you can become an outlaw and get hunted down probably by drones and robots in the future. So it's going to be fun either way. <laughs> Let's go ahead and continue yeah, to roll I'm this clip. At, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. A rifle, if it is on a firearm with one of those braces attached and the barrel is less than 16 inches or 18 inches if it is a shotgun. Um, it goes on to say, this is the exception, but I've read through, again, a good bit of this, and I've not seen an example of this, but they do say that there's an exception. The rule does not affect stabilizing braces that are objectively designed and intended as stabilizing brace for use by individuals with disabilities and not shouldering the weapon as a rifle. Such stabilizing braces are designed to conform to the arm and are not a buttstock. However, if the firearm with the stabilizing brace is a short barrel rifle, it needs to be registered within 120 days from the date of publication of the Federal Register. So that entire paragraph can completely contradicts itself. Um, so again, this clearly with this wrap around in this slot here to put your arm in is clearly designed to aid someone who is handicapped in firing a firearm. It's very clear. The majority of the, the examples that they show here have something similar to this, not all, but most of them do. Um, so again, it's very contradictory. Let me get into basically a few examples and we'll roll them in here on screen so you guys can kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. But this is all straight from the ATF's website. So right here you see a Daniel Defense DDM4 SBPW. I have a video on this on my YouTube channel, but you can see that it does have an adjustable brace on there. Uh, other AR style guns with different braces are there. Here's one, which is an FN, which has this very brace on it. They say that this is now a short barrel rifle. Uh, continuing on down to different styles of guns, you can see an AK style gun here with a nine millimeter with a side folding brace. Once again, it has a loop around it that you can easily run through your arm for somebody who is handicapped and uh, wants to use it as such. Uh, another example as we go down here with another brace that is designed for handicapped folks. And they have different, you know, options here. We have some bolt action options here, um, which are designed again for handicapped folks, but they're saying are now short barrel rifles. Um, and it, the list goes on, but you guys can get a pretty good idea here of what the ATF says is a violation of this. They also have released some um, non, I guess, not as common guns like an Uzi that you guys see here. They also have some uh, Glock kits 
that are adapted for folks who are handicapped. You guys can see those here. But again, you get a pretty good idea that just about every single stabilizing brace in America, according to the ATF, is now part of this and is now a short barrel rifle. And once again, I cannot emphasize this enough. Everyone who has them, including people who have no idea this happened because again, Congress didn't vote on it. It was not debated. It was not passed in law. The news probably isn't covering this. After 120 days after the date this is published, which again is probably gonna be Monday, will be a felon in possession of a National Firearms Act firearm. So the ATF put this chart up here that you guys can see. I'm obviously gonna focus on the individuals because that is the majority of you, but they also have um, some guidance for law enforcement agencies, federal firearms licensees like myself and others. But basically they consider you the person. This is literally how they define you in the table. They define you as an unlicensed possessor unlicensed possessor. So here's some options as to what you can actually do. You can replace the short barrel with what they're calling a short barrel. You can replace the short barrel in your firearm with one that's 16 inches or longer. You can remove the brace so that it cannot be reattached. Now I've read through this and again I see nowhere listed that they actually tell you what that means or what that definition is legally. Again it's not a law. This is the ATF just making it up and they're using this chart here as a way to explain it to you. It may be defined in the literature but again I've read through a lot of it. I've not seen that yet. They also say that you can forfeit your firearm to the local ATF office. Now, I try not to give legal advice here. I'm not an attorney, full disclosure. That said, do not ever, ever give your firearm to the ATF. All you're doing is submitting evidence of a possible crime. Don't do that. You have well, a right that? to not incriminate yourself. Do not do that. The other part is like how ludicrous the request is. Let's say somebody has a rifle that has uh, the shoulder support on it. Mm-hmm. First off, I've never seen anybody use that for what they're claiming its yeah, original that, intention the, is, first right? Was, yeah. First off. And then uh, uh, the, the second part is, oh, I lost it. There, there was an important point to make there before he moved on. What was he just saying right there? Essentially, he's describing he's not a lawyer, but he wanted to make sure that you don't incriminate yourself by oh, taking right, your right, firearms right. into the ATM. Because the, one of the options is just go give it to him. Like you can either make it compliant by getting a new barrel, which is basically like a big deal, or you can just give them your, your rig. Right. So my point was going to be the rifle, whether you put it together yourself or you have one built professionally, depending it's a thousand to thousands of dollars for a rifle. And then you want an optic that's hundreds to many thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. You want to see night vision? It's $5,000 starting point. And then you can see that's without uh, the NVG. Let's just like on your gun, right? Like a Trigicon, like night vision type thing. So the people who have those things, they got paychecks. They got investments into that armament for their family and their personal protection. They're not likely to just be like, okay, here it is. You guys are the ones that did Fast and Furious and provided guns to the cartels, right? That killed American servicemen. We're going to give you our guns. Okay. That's that's a great idea. Thank you for your consideration. No, thank you. That's an offer yeah. I can turn down. Thank you. It's not something voted on. So, like, is this legally binding? Is this a situation that's not legislated? How like, do they have more power strength? than we, the individuals? Like, is this one of those things where they're hoping that it's going to bank on people's ignorance? They're hoping they can... and they're praying on that, dude. Because, I mean, I'd get a constitutional lawyer to challenge this as quickly as possible in case you found yourself in a precarious situation. Yes, yes, for sure. All right, let's continue to play this and get through the news of it. 
the ATF says you can destroy the firearm. There actually is guidance, not in this rule, That's but in, in actual laws on how firearms can be destroyed. And here's the big one that I think they want to get most people under. So I should also mention that in the explanation of this ruling, they mention that there's over a quarter billion dollars that they're losing every year. And they don't explain what that means. But what my opinion of what that means is, is that they mean they estimate that a quarter million dollars of tax revenue they're missing out on because folks have braces. And again, I realize a lot of people watching this don't know what I'm talking about. So if you were to create a firearm, let's just say an AR-15 for simplicity's sake, and you put a stock on it, not a brace, you put a stock on it and your barrel was 10 and a half inches. In order to legally do that in America, you would need to submit a tax stamp application for a $200 stamp for a short barrel rifle, which is a legal class of firearm in America. So what they're saying here, at least the way I read it, is that they're missing out on a quarter of a billion dollars in tax stamps not filed. Is that a motivation as to why they're doing this? Certainly possible. There's a lot of it's other like motivations, though, that we can expound upon later on. Tax but on tea. the option that the ATF gives you as a quote-unquote unlicensed possessor is that you can register on an e-form, uh, e-form 1, during the 120-day compliance date uh, period, which is there. not And it says in parentheses, and this is key, this is what they're trying to do to entice people to do this. It says, not required to pay the $200 making tax during the 120 days. Couple issues with that. Number one is that they're trying to give you a quote unquote grandfather clause, which again, they legally can't do. The ATF does not have the ability to do that. If it is in fact a short barrel rifle, they're mandated by Congress to collect the tax on that. So I don't, I mean, they can't do that. Number one, it's, it's illegal for the ATF to do that. It's also illegal for them to declare these short barrel rifles and short barrel shotguns. Regardless, uh, that is what they're saying they're doing. They're giving you a tax holiday during the 120 day period. They specifically mentioned the e-form. I will show you guys here. I went to the directions in the new guidance here, uh, what it says to do and the actual form it tells you to fill out literally isn't even there. I obviously have an e-form account because I'm, this is my job. This is what I do for a living. And the form that they're telling you to fill out doesn't exist. So let's presume that it starts on Monday, right? Let's just kind of work through a scenario here. Let's presume the 120 days starts on Monday and folks were actually going to register their firearms. The e-forms for anybody who doesn't know is down one day a week and it's only operational uh, during certain hours. So you have to think it's only going to be operational six days a week and many hours throughout the day. It's also not operational. E-forms takes a long time to fill out for somebody who knows what they're doing and does this for a living like myself. Never mind somebody who's never done it. And it is a, it's literally a government website. So it is super clunky. It's not intuitive in any way. And we're expecting that 40 million people are going to be able to use this website in 120 days and get their firearms in the tax-free period registered. It's not going to happen. I can just tell you that. But that, that's what they're saying. It's, they're saying if you do that, then you're not a felon at the end of the 120-day period. Um, there's a lot of other things that go along with that and dangers of that. Again, I, there will probably be a follow-up video on this on, on my channel. Um, but again, initial thoughts on that is, number one, this is a gigantic registry scheme in addition to lots of other things. And as we all know, in America, a firearms registry is completely illegal. It is explicitly banned by Congress. The federal government cannot legally maintain a registry of firearms. So what they're trying to do here is use the National Firearms Act, which is a law that was passed in 1934, I believe. And they're trying to use that as a way to create a new firearms registry. 
again, it's wrong on every level. They don't have the ability to do it. They don't have the ability to give you a grandfather tax. They don't have the ability to give you 120 days. That's just made up out of thin air. They don't have the ability to mandate you go to a website. They don't have any of these capabilities unless Americans essentially allow them to, to do it, right? If we allow them to do it, then they'll do it. And as we know, with the recent EPA case, the Supreme Court has said executive agencies do not have this authority. They are attempting to make law. So again, what do you guys need to do? Just like I said in the beginning of this video, you need to contact your representatives, federal, state, everywhere. Obviously, we need to fight this. Lawsuits will be filed immediately by Gun Owners of America, Firearms Public Coalition, the Second Amendment Foundation, and others. I recommend you guys donate to all of those organizations as well because this fight is not going to be cheap. There will be links to them down below in the video description for you guys to donate to. Donate to them. But there's a lot of different ways we can fight this. So number one, states. We can have states pass laws that this is not allowed here and any federal agents that attempt to enact this type of enforcement within state boundaries will be arrested on site by the state police. That absolutely could happen because obviously this is a civil rights violation. Most states have civil, civil rights crimes already and just turning this into one, it definitely is one way to fight this. Additionally, on the federal level, Congress, having Congress do this, uh, slapping down the ATF, letting them know they are not allowed to do this. And then of course, we're gonna fight it through the courts as well with the organizations that I just mentioned. And all of those need to happen quickly and they all need to happen with a lot of energy and support behind them. Because again, like I mentioned earlier, this is one of the most dangerous things I've ever seen during my lifetime for the federal government. Imagine overnight if tomorrow, let's say there's 350 million Americans right now. Imagine if overnight in 120 days, I guess we'll say, better said, one in 10 people is a felon for something that is completely harmless, that hurts no one, and that most of them, probably 95% of them who own these items don't even know this is happening. And then all of a sudden, a SWAT team of federal agents from the ATF, the FBI, the Department of Justice rolls up on every one of their houses with an MRAP, an armored vehicle, and they have full auto weapons. They're kicking their door in, pointing them at their children in the early morning hours. That is what the federal government is trying to do to 10% of the American population. Let that sink in. That's how serious this is. That's how crazy this is. We need to get active. We need to get active quickly. With that, I suppose I will end the video there. Again, there will be links to all of this down below. So if the ATF can't pass laws, what intimidation factor are they bringing to the table? What did the, F, uh, the IRS just do? Oh, armed agents. Oh, they have a monopoly on force. Hmm. Well, wouldn't they have even more of a monopoly on force if they had everybody disarmed? And wouldn't it be able to e easy to disarm people if you had them scared of owning their Second Amendment rights? It's beautiful, nefarious, devious. Yeah, well, we have worthy people. adversaries, is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're still people. wrong. <laughs> Sorry, you're ignorant, but you're you don't understand freedom. That's all. I understand. Yeah, we'll see uh, how far this goes. I. It seems like it oversteps the balance of what the ATF can functionally do, represent, enforce, so forth and so on. So it'll be interesting to see how far this actually goes. They're really banking on people's ignorance in this regard and hoping that people just like willingly comply. Give us and your guns or we'll take away the sun. And then also by, by complying, we'll set up a registry through that firearms action, 1934, whenever. Yeah, isn't it was that convenient? Like that's a really 
amazing roundabout way to do what they aren't allowed to do in the first place. But by getting people to con- convince the people they don't have a choice in that matter, even though this is not something that was legislated, this is just a government agency that's saying you just have to do it. Um, I had the website up. I wonder if I still have it. Well, while you're looking at there used to be a guy named Bob Dacey from Austin, Texas, who did a presentation on how the United Nations had this historical agenda of trying to disarm America since 1964 to present. I don't know if it's still it used to be like on the InfoWars website that they banned and deep sixed all that stuff back in the day when he got canceled. But uh, Bob Dacey, Austin, Texas, U.N., straight jacket no that's uh vion's book but it was the un and disarmament uh uh of americans because that agenda is still going on today in every school shooting like the british empire they had a school shooting in ireland no more guns in ireland school shootings over there in australia no more guns in australia they really thought by the time they started having school shootings here columbine at at all for the last 30 years we would oh for the children give up your guns and be a, a good little colony again and I think that you guys should learn your history before you go giving up your weapons around these people. Yeah, they because ar- they're not to be trusted. Yeah, to to pull this off, and they've not really gained much ground in that regard. I mean, they've already taken away so much of our ability to have access to even close to equal armament, even to local like SWAT groups, and and obviously, you know, when it comes to military and paramilitary forces, we're nowhere near that. But so they've already done a lot to restrict. But even then, they understand the value of uh i mean was it 94 when the australians had their gun buyback and we look what happened in australia during covid so it's yeah. sort of like you know they're they're not able to enforce the most stringent rule sets they were able to pull off during covid well they collected the people up and sent them to camps tony right and right. that was easy to do the in chinese australia are still kind of doing that because so. people don't have armaments yeah it's exactly right that's right under and- that's really only thing that's the only pe- when someone has the potential, even if they're that's their job, to go in and take someone out of their house forcibly, but that person has the ability to defend themselves, that person that's supposed to do their job is going to think twice about it. Like it's, the cult it's very was simple. called the equalizer because it made women on par with men. A woman right. could hold six shots in her hand and hold her ground, and a single mom who had lost, like a single what, single mother, widow, who lost her husband, could still defend the farm and raise her family because she could she could fend people off and she's a force to be reckoned with with a six shooter and some reloads whereas today people don't have well they don't even have situational awareness let alone improvisation to use what's around them to defend themselves their immune system for defense is turned off it's like they have an acquired immune deficiency syndrome where they will no longer defend themselves and almost they feel threatened by their defense system, like a second amendment type thing. Now I know we showed some people, you know, we showed you the, the BB gun and some people were like, <gasps> but then you found oh, out it was reaction. a BB gun and you were like, Oh, it's okay. Right. So we made it through that. So here's another example. This is a pistol. This is not something to be toyed with though. It is a toy. This is made by Daisy. I've had this since I was 10 years old. It goes like this, right? It's, co2 compressed with a little slide back you can check oh look there's ammo inside or not wow okay it's got a little safety so you learn safety from age 10 in this country like there, like this is a very popular gun there are many many people my age that that cherish like their first couple bb guns with red rider bb gun of course the daisy mock 1911 with a gaston glock uh, uh, slide like it's a striker fire i don't know it's a made-up weapon 
So if you're scared by something like this, let me show it to you up close. If you're scared by something like this, it's because you can't tell the difference. You don't even know enough to be like, oh, it's a Daisy BB gun from the 1970s, right? This is not something to be scared of. It'll sting you. It'll poke your eye out for sure. But if you don't know enough to know the difference between a BB gun and an actual handgun, don't go around trying to take other way, other, other people's rights away. And if you don't know enough to tell the difference, you don't know enough to be scared in the first place. Now, on the other hand, if you right away said, oh, that's a Daisy BB gun, it could also be a pellet gun because different armaments back in the day, it's modeled to look like, but here's the differences, then you're also not scared of it because you have enough knowledge to know the real thing from a fake thing, and there, there's no threat posed here, right? So I've given you two good solid examples of recreational types of accoutrements that people have played with in this country for a long time. Okay. Lots of people have used and not been killed by these things. Now, on the other hand, there's a famous movie out there called John Wick. <laughs> and John Wick has this beautiful H and K pistol. Oh yeah. And it looks just like this. Now I've had this pistol for nearly 20 years. Let me go ahead and let's make sure it's safe for everybody. Let's make sure we're safe safe everybody we're safe we're looking down we're safe it's clear oh everything's empty okay we're safe everything's safe it's a bb gun all right so again if you don't even if you can't even like fool the prop master and you don't know like you don't know the difference you don't know enough to be around you're dangerous right so if someone picks this up and they don't know it's a bb gun and they flag me with it i saved my life because if it was a real gun they might have shot me so having something for entertainment, for training, for muscle memory, you know, if you have a Glock and you don't want to sit around and maybe reload a live uh, round in there, get a BB gun, make it blue, paint it orange, but get your muscle memory, get your repetitions in, but don't go doing dangerous things because uh, that's not cool. So become knowledgeable. Don't uh, see violence glamorized in John Wick and uh go doing harmful things to people on the other hand h and k pistol pretty damn cool now again if i had the real thing i'm not going to be showing you real things here i'm showing you examples these are examples of the the things that are going on now we also did have um there was one other video on this uh brace issue now the brace looks a lot like a stock but if you have a stock, you have to pay the tax stamp. You have to be on a registry. If you have the brace, anybody, I don't know. There's like people out there with a machine, a CNC mill called a ghost gunner. You could get your uh, lower third. You get your trigger array. You get all these things, put it together. You got yourself a gun and you didn't get it from the gun store. So there are things like that going on out there. Uh, there's also a lot of polymer 3D printed type of uh, situations. There's the the melding of those two worlds to make almost all the parts. So like them trying to disarm people forever, they're going to try to do it. But I think it's, you know, the cat, that cat, that, that boat has sailed. Those they can horses have already left the barn. Point. Yeah. All they can do is make it illegal, but they can't disarm people forever. So they can just make, turn more and more law abiding citizens into criminals by doing, you know, uh, Fox sort of um, legislation, you know, fake sort of absurd, um, beyond the bounds of the the uh, Bill of Rights, First Amendment amendments, the Constitution, so forth and so on, particularly the Second Amendment. You know, and um, just looking here, some CNN politics. This this was Friday, January thirteenth, so just a couple of days ago, twenty twenty three. 
Attorney General Merrick Garland and Steve Dettelbach, the director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, ATF, announced new regulations Friday that would subject pistol stabilizing braces to additional regulations, including higher taxes, longer waiting periods, and registration. Going it goes into the whole issue as wide as gun control proponents argue that stabilizing braces, which can be attached to pistols, effectively transform a pistol in a short barreled rifle, which are heavily regulated under the NFA or the National Firearms Act. I think that's what he was alluding to before, the one passed back in the 1930s. The rule will go into effect as soon as it is published in the Federal Register. So I guess it has legality somehow. That's I have a lot of questions, but not a lot of answers. Legality that. brought brought to you by the people who performed a coup a couple years ago, yeah, and right. admitted it and covered it up and covered up Hunter Biden's laptop and lied to you about a pandemic and lied to, lied yeah. to you about the experimental treatment. I don't mean to talk about these things with BB guns on screen. I'm not trying to incentivize or you know get anyone exuberant in the violent direction. I'm just saying these people should expect to be called out. They should expect grand juries. They should expect congressional inquiries. They should expect some journalists finally getting off their asses and asking some hard questions in these situations. And I think we see little sparkles of that coming out of the White House as they're saying, oh, Biden is not a continued thing. So let's proverbially, euphemistically throw him under the bus. I don't know. Is that an idiom? That, that way of turning a phrase like that? It's, uh, it's too early to to decide. We'll have to get the vote on that. We'll do a poll later to see if that was an idiom or not. All right, so let's head into some uh, intermission, and we'll play like maybe a half hour of this gig. Do we have a half hour, or do we have like 20 minutes from the public and 10 minutes to give a taste of behind the scenes? I mean, we have both, uh, but well, if we do behind the scenes, it's just to be noted that it's, it's, uh, uh, it's late. Um Jason Burmis's private video, which I don't, you know, I think if I think we have enough rapport with him that we, as long as we didn't play the whole thing, but played just a section of it or just continued the flow of the conversation and stop it and let people know to go there to check it out. I think that would be fair. I mean, obviously I can't speak for him, but I think, you know, you the whole thing is on Corbett's him. site. So, Oh, it is. Okay. Boom. Thank you. Corbett site. report. Thank you, Jason Burmis. Uh, if you guys are rock Finningtons over here watching Grand Theft World, go over to Burmis. If you're not on Rockfin, go subscribe to Burmis. Then you can watch Grand Theft World for free. Thank you to Corbett for putting the whole thing out there and making production easy at this early hour in the morning. And uh, if you're just tuning in, this is not uh, a locked and loaded hammerback H and K. This is a BB gun. We just talked about it, but you missed that part because you just tuned in. All right, so let's go to uh, who is Elon Musk? Should we trust him? And uh, who is Johnny YouTube? I think that's the the character you're going to meet in this video. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was it. It's been a couple of days. So let's go to uh, Whitney Webb, James Corbett, uh, Derek Bros, Jason Burmis, and the Musker Nuts himself, Elon Musk being talked about. And uh, let's check it out for this intermission. Then we'll be right back and we won't have any more BB guns to confuse you. Hey, everyone, this is Derek Bros, the Conscious Resistance Network, and I am here with a lot of amazing people. And I just want to say real quick before we introduce everybody, we're going to spend about an hour talking about why you shouldn't trust Elon Musk if you happen to. Um, I reached out to everybody here. I know that each of them has done different work talking about Elon Musk. The reason I think this is important as we're in 2023, the beginning of the year, is because there are a lot of people in our spaces and in our communities and people who follow our work 
who are falling for the Elon Musk deception in one way or another. So I figured we should try to get ahead of that because we've seen this happen before with Donald Trump and other people. Uh, why not try to do our best to spread factual information and maybe plant some seeds of doubts in the minds that are trusting this man. So that's why we're here today. Um, I'm Derek Bros of the Conscious Resistance. Let's go around and get to know everybody real quick before we get started. I guess I'll jump in. I am Jason Burmis. I do a morning show now, 8 to 10 a.m., Monday through Thursday, also a documentary filmmaker. I've been talking about Musk, transhumanism, and his military-industrial complex ties, amongst other things, for some time now. Ryan, I can't hear you. You're getting it right yeah. there. <laughs> Always classic. I'm Ryan Christian from The Last American Vagabond, uh, founder of The Last American Vagabond. Um, you know, this is such an important conversation. I'm glad we're having this. And I definitely think that, you know, all of your work here in this room has helped to guide my perception of this as well. And I think this is, you know, my big thing. I think it's just about the kind of retraining us how to engage in this journalistic practice, like through intermediaries, but obviously the great reset and everything else that this ties to and, and all the inner working pieces. I'm excited to talk about all this with you guys here today. So looking forward to it. Okay, so hi, I'm Whitney. I uh, have a website. It's unlimitedhangout.com. I also write for Ryan's site. Uh, we'll be doing more of that soon. Uh, for those that don't know, I've kind of had some time off because I wrote a long book and it broke my brain. But, you know, uh, it's working again to talk about why you should not just trust, uh, not trust uh, at all, Elon Musk, uh, but really you shouldn't trust any big tech billionaire, period. And the I am James theme. Corbett of the Corbett Report. Um, but for the purposes of today's conversation, I am Johnny YouTuber. All right, let's crank this <laughs> up because this is going to be a super boring conversation because we are all on the same page. We all agree Elon Musk is as phony as a $3 bill. Don't, sorry, Elon Musk is phony as a $3 bill. Don't trust him. So I'm going to be the devil's advocate and I'm going uh -huh. to argue for Elon Musk in this conversation. Love it. Love it. Wow. Hey, that's, okay. that's, cool. that's a wild card. I, I actually <laughs> thought about inviting somebody on here who actually does believe that, but I wasn't sure how brutal that might be. Um, one of our mutual friends out there. So we'll we'll just uh, let James stand in for him. I'm willing to bet James is going to be more objective with his faking that position than somebody who actually holds it. That's <laughs> my opinion. So let's <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I'm going to just throw it out to you, Jason, because you have done a lot of work um, in the areas of military contracts, SpaceX. So you know, maybe we could start there and see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, all right, let's let's first start with the fact that Elon Musk is the number one defense contractor in the country right now. Now, that's on a multitude of different levels, and then he checks every single Klaus Schwabian box you can imagine. So, you know, just to run through some quick things, during the COVID-1984 nightmare, this guy increased his uh, wealth by over 600 percent okay he beat out bezos gates buffett page brin and everybody else how did he do that he was sitting there talking about free speech and all this stuff well number one he was still ramping up uh starlink and the blackjack program which is the classified starlink uh for space warfare and other maneuvers via the military but number two tesla's not a car company okay it's a propped up government uh, funded organization that also prints up mRNA shots via CureVac, also with 
the optimist robot, which automation is coming. And right now, when I talk about Starlink, the highest concentration of dishes in the world is in Ukraine, where they are also hooking up to what? Ghost and Sidewinder drones. This guy is a cookie cutout and, and was literally uh, prophesied as what? The uh, man of the year as he pushed the sustainability agenda, a $15,000 trailer pod home. So I, I don't want to hog up too much space here really quickly, um, but there are even more examples of this, especially when you get to human brain interfaces and Neuralink, which is DARPA tech from now 50 plus years ago. I think for me, this is one of the strongest points. Um, I'm just going to say from, uh, I'll start with specifically from a libertarian perspective, because that's a community that I've uh, associated with over the years that anybody who considers themselves a libertarian or even a conservative, let's say people who don't, who are usually argue against corporate welfare subsidies, you know, uh, people getting help from the government. Uh, it's clear that Musk's just so much of his career. There's there's good articles out there literally listing all the different subsidies that his companies have gotten from from the governments and obviously the military intelligence connections. I feel like just anybody hearing this who likes Elon Musk for one reason or another, that if you stand any anywhere on other grounds about standing against corporate welfare, that that should be on principle one reason not to support this person, not even getting into some of the deeper things, just on the principle of his company and their practices and their corporate welfare with the U.S. government. What do you think, Johnny YouTuber? <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. But uh, an oft-repeated libertarian argument is that, look, the government's taking your money anyway, so you should take the money from the government that you can get from them and then use it towards good things. And isn't that what Elon Musk is doing? He's sending us to space. We're going to Mars. And, uh, okay, you know, there's some... There's some NASA military things, but that's the ball game you got to play at that level. But he's using it for good. And let's put it this way. Yeah. Brain chips. What's the libertarian position on brain chips? If you want a brain chip, should someone come in and be able to stop you from taking one? Of course not. So they should be available if you want to take one. It doesn't mean you have to take one, right? It's just he's making that option available. And how else are we going to beat the machine takeover other than by joining the machine? I mean, we have to become one with the AI consciousness in order to not be uh, swept under the rug of history. So, look, you don't have to agree with me, but you can't stop him from doing what he's going to do and uh, and saving free speech while he's at it. Hmm. Let me just jump in on one point and then people can deconstruct some other ones. This idea that you should just take government money and that you're using it for good is laughable. Once you have this fascistic, outwardly fascistic partnership and you're working with the Defense Department, the Defense Department has no, no reason, no legal liability to tell you or anybody else the truth. And when you are working with weapon systems, you are using money not to empower but enslave humanity, especially when we're talking about autonomous drone warfare. So that's absolutely ridiculous. By the way, we're not going to Mars. I have the chief scientist at NASA uh, repeating on uh, multiple occasions, the first things that will supposedly go to Mars are going to be nanobots that then survey the area. They will bring that information back. They will build a virtual world and you will be able to visit it, Johnny YouTuber, in this virtual era that they create. So I'm sorry, uh, that is incorrect, sir. Hmm. 
Well, I'll, on top of that, I think so. The the World Economic Forum overlap and the Great Reset direction with Elon Musk and all the things. Everyone's seen the videos and the comparisons. They're all fantastic points, and it's very relevant. But it always comes down to choice for me, right? As as Johnny YouTube is pointing out, well, shouldn't people have a right to to make these choices for themselves? And that's kind of what Jason's touching on. Is that obviously that's not really the premise here. They're already arguing that this is a moral obligation, that we have to do this. Otherwise, we're you're killing grandma or whatever narrative we're sticking into this. Oops. And, and I think that's the important part of this is clearly it's about them. This is this is an idea being forced upon the people. So those things obviously don't connect. But the bigger thing to me is. Obviously, there are people that as YouTube po- guy is pointing out that there are people that would want this direction. But the, the issue is how all of the people right now, in my mind, the biggest current problem that are pushing back against this, largely, I would argue, in the two left-right paradigm, the right side of the argument, are right now being manipulated with Twitter, Twitter files, Elon Musk, and the whole thing in order to get them, and I, I argue, to go in line with this new direction. And this is the something Sam Hussein and I had a conversation about, that he ultimately calls Trump the opposable thumb of the establishment. Not necessarily because Trump's aware that he's being used, but rather that Trump's actions, especially even if he especially if he doesn't know, are being used in to drive people into it. For instance, saying we shouldn't be funding NATO and now we're funding NATO more than ever in a general sense. And so this is where we see and we discuss this. And I agree, Elon Musk playing a role in this same way, stepping in as the new Trump 2.0 concept in Twitter. And all these people are kind of rushing in behind it and seeing him as this new savior figure, whether it's just journalism, which is like the current obvious point that's being discussed or whatever comes next because i think we're being trained in a very alarming way to take at face value what's being presented and i think i think again the biggest point is where this all goes the great reset the overlap the transhumanism right that's where i want to get into when we get there the neuralink overlap with the injection research and going all the way back to charles lieber and all this stuff that seems to be going a very alarming direction there's a lot in that point there but i think it all comes back to how the illusion of elon musk is being used to let all of this happen without people really pushing back against it at least that's how i see it um, if I may chime in, I would like to um, put forth a a theory. It's just a theory. Uh, but I think Elon Musk was sort of chosen uh, long before the Twitter takeover to be sort of a personal savior uh, figure to at least a segment of of the population. And I think you can see this in his connection to the Iron Man movies. And I personally have never seen them because I don't really watch new movies. But um I, I think actually uh, not Johnny YouTuber, but James Corbett did a uh, piece on uh, Elon Musk. Right. And then there he, he gets into some of this um, talking about how Robert Downey Jr. As part of that movie modeled his character after Tony Stark or sorry, modeled uh, Tony Stark after Elon Musk. And this was made more explicit with his cameo and like the second movie and whatnot. But so Musk is a Pentagon contractor, right? And was at this time. And then the Pentagon had significant contracts with the Iron Man movies, like in totaling in the millions of dollars. I think it's very possible there was some sort of effort here to have, you know, like Jason pointed out, the number one uh, defense contractor be seen as like the guy that's going to save us all. Um or as like, a, you know, a, a trustworthy figure that's, you know, doing all this innovative upstarting, um, you know, uh, game changing technology. We should trust him because he's like a superhero. Right. And that idea of a personal savior 
I would argue is super culturally ingrained in Americans and, you know, it's beyond the United States as well. And that Hollywood is a longtime driver of this stuff. Uh, the military, the CIA, all of these organizations uh, interface very intimately with Hollywood as a, a means of propagandizing the population. And uh, why wouldn't they use Iron Man like that? And why would they want this Musk uh, Iron Man connection and to place like Tesla's and the movies and all of this stuff, if they didn't want certain people watching that stuff uh, to associate Elon Musk with this cool superhero scientist guy that's doing all this cool stuff. And he's going to he's looking he's saving the world. Avengers guys. Yeah, no, I, I, franchise. that guy's a schmuck. Uh, <laughs> if someone sent uh, that uh, that Elon Musk technocratic huckster episode to John Bush and on Facebook, he said something like, "There's nothing new in here, or nothing I haven't heard before." Therefore, it is just nonsense. Who cares? Whatever. Yeah, Iron Man, Iron Man. That was that was a decade ago. Uh, none of that really matters. The point is, Elon Musk is the cool billionaire. He knows how to troll people on Twitter. And he is saving free speech. I mean, have you guys been reading the Twitter files? Come on. So let me jump in here again. Uh, have to. I'm sorry, Johnny, YouTuber. But you're talking about how this guy is saving free speech. Well, anybody who's following along, even with the regular narrative on all of social media, they weren't making it a secret. They had teamed up with what authoritative sources and the World Health Organization that what? doesn't have our best interests at heart. Number two, we still have no WikiLeaks type dump of any of the information that is out there that although is good, is extremely limited in its scope with names like Dan Bongino and Charlie Kirk that literally have millions of dollars behind their brand and product. And that's not to even come on, come down on them because at least Kirk is talking about transhumanism. and um, But at the same time, lauding Musk. Uh, you have to let them do something that is already obvious. And let me say this. These are Trojan horse civilian systems that have a plausible uh, deniability circle in what they do. So Twitter still is openly employing former CIA, NSA, and FBI at the highest levels. Uh, we have still not seen the algorithm. Narrative management is absolutely still a thing there. Uh, and we should see all the documents since its inception and them working with the Department of Defense. And, and I want Johnny YouTuber to understand NASA is a part of that Defense Department. And to kind of get into where I want to go and I, and I want to ask Ryan about this, the aspect of these mRNA shots, again, that were scaled up by Tesla, supposedly this guy's company. And he's got so many. You talked about it, Johnny YouTuber. He's got time to tweet all day and he's running. Tesla. He's running the boring company. He's running SpaceX. It's magic. I mean, how's he doing all this? Well, the bio nano era, according to the chief scientist at NASA from a future strategic warfare document, okay, right here, supposedly they knew in 2001, this is pre 9-11 in July, that that bio nano era would happen in 2020. No matter what you think about the shots, how they're the best thing since breakfast or the bioweapon uh, come home to roost from DARPA itself, billions of people took them in 2020. The next deal is the virtual era that I'm talking about. And the World Economic Forum, Davos, has essentially partnered with the metaverse. Uh, last year, they had two forums on it alone. And it is the new global push because, Johnny, we're not going to Mars, but you might think you will if you take a brain chip. 
Let me add one one thing in real quick. Uh, a great conversation here. I, I popped on screen a moment ago. I'll show it again. This article, I'll put this in the, the description. If anybody needs to learn more about what Whitney was talking about, the relationship between the Marvel movies and the military, Pentagon. And yeah, I mean, this is a, a regular kind of relationship. In fact, I cover this in uh, the Pyramid of Power for anybody who hasn't seen it. The Pyramid of Power.net chapter four is all about the Hollywood military intelligence complex. And this has been going on for, for some time. So I would ask you, Johnny YouTuber, to really, you know, when you're watching those Marvel movies and you're feeling so great about Elon being there and he's here to save the day to recognize the relationship that uh, everyone here is pointing out to. Um, where should we go next? What do you got? What, what's, what's your other, what's your other reasons for liking Musk, Johnny YouTuber? Uh, is it his um, entrepreneurial spirit? He's uh, single-handedly contributing to the underpopulation problem. Um, <laughs> well, you know what? Let's let me let me briefly hit that. I'm sorry, contributing like, to fighting the underpopulation problem. Sorry, I got that. No, he's got a lot of kids apparently, and some we might not even know about. And he's one of the few people out there that openly discusses the idea that overpopulation is a myth. He's uh, given the bowling uh, ball reference, right? He's also he's right about that. You can't deny it. I, I won't deny it. And there's it another guy that says the same thing. And it's Ray Kurzweil. Kurzweil says that we've only used nine or uh, 95 renewable <laughs> land has not been used. And that basically by 2030 renewable solar in particular, harnessing only one ten thousandth of that, will be able to distribute the populace wide, give us all the energy we need, and use the quote-unquote metaverse and virtual universe to our advantage. He says that overpopulation is a myth. Everybody else does it that's employing Musk, including the people at NASA in this document that actually talk about world population stabilization, the author of which I have in 2011 talking about uh, population control that changes everything. It's also in this document. Uh, they also talk about taking hold of the genetics, the genomic code of the human species and directing it in any way they want to. And when I say they, again, this is NASA. It's the good people at a space agency, supposedly. Uh, however, when you look who else is involved in this document, uh, Musk has kind of echoed the same thing. When you start augmenting human beings with supposed AI hookups, who's writing the AI? Garbage in, garbage out. I would encourage people to go check out the limits of growth by the Club of Rome. No matter what data they put in, it was population collapse. But they still want to invoke this idea that we're destroying the planet. NASA very much behind that as well. And, and that's the excuse to bring us in from the bio nano era that they've started injecting people and normalizing mRNA. Let's not forget, Moderna had no pro products at all. They partnered with DARPA in 2013. Okay. In 2016, they patented a drug that has a 12 sequence DNA nucleotide um, identical to the virus. And then their one product, their one product on the market is the COVID mRNA shots, which is CRISPR tech. All right. And on top of that, the one that uh, their CEO is now promoting is one for heart attacks. You can have a heart attack. Then they're going to just directly inject the mRNA into your heart. How convenient. And it's hilarious because the guy interviewing them uh, points out that, boy, that's great that you made that possible. You didn't have any products on the market. And the only one that's driving that financially is your COVID vaccine. And I have to sit in la-la land and act like that's a good thing, Johnny YouTuber. I think there might be a little bit more than a coincidence there when you're talking about billions of dollars and the Defense Department.
sort of like Narcan and the opioid crisis. This is something we've seen before. You know, it's a let's t- let's jump to the AI, the transhumanism thing you want to talk about, Ryan. I know you wanted to get some, and I want to get Johnny YouTuber's opinion on this because I yeah. wrote an article recently for T Lab about the Neuralink presentation that Musk gave, and they showed the whole fake brain getting the. 64 threads in the brain and all this stuff. And uh, what the main reason I wrote that article is because anyone who talks about it, they just hear it's going to help blind people see, it's going to help paraplegics. But when you actually listen to what Musk said in that presentation, he said what he said before, which is that we're, we need to deal with AI rising up and you know maybe seeing us as useless. And the best way to do this is to merge with it. He said something to affect that night. Uh, the best case scenario is that we get a benevolent AI and then at some point we merge with it and we go along for the ride to see where it's at. Right. So his vision is very much like Jason's pointing out merging with the AI, you know, transhumanism vision. And again, I do believe people have bodily autonomy and the the right to do so if they want, but I don't think they really know what they're buying into. I'd like to hear from Johnny YouTuber first. And then Ryan, I know you got some to add to this. Mm -hmm. Well, first let me set, set the record straight on this vaccine stuff because I don't know what planet you're living on, but the planet I'm living on planet YouTube, I know that Musk uh, has spoken out against the lockdowns and the COVID uh, COVID restrictions and everything since the beginning, since March of 2020, when he was saying that the coronavirus panic is, is dumb or whatever he called it at the time. And I know that in September of 2020, he said that his family wouldn't get vaccinated uh, because they weren't at risk of COVID. So there's that. Um, Now, I know in December 2021, apparently he did say that he and his children had been vaccinated, but he had to say that because he was getting bad press at the time. So don't don't think too deeply on that. Um, As to the uh, the the machine upgrade interface, I mean, what's the alternative? Are you just going to sit there while everyone else is getting shipped? And what's that going to make you Uh, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you're going to be so outdated. You're going to be left behind. The robots are going to finish the job and to just take care of the uh, non-upgraded humans. So I think got to got to join them to beat them. Hmm. Well, obviously, choice is the main point. You know, you can't really argue against somebody saying we should have a choice to be able to take that route. Again, the point is that this is something that's being thrust upon the population without, you know, under a guise that it's the right thing to do. But the the problem, the big issue for me, and I do want to make sure we get back to the Twitter files, at least at one point, because I wanted to talk about that. But the the very alarming overlap here, and this this ties in with everything we've just talked about, the, the brain machine interface, the mRNA injections, how all of this ties back and the uh, alarming overlapping research to going back to Charles Lieber when he in 2011 discovered the lipid nanoparticle acts the way to encapsulate these things in lipid fatty lipids and, and able to inject them into cells and ultimately making virus sized transistors all the way back then. And then that very research being connected with the concept of finding ways to, you know, give amputees the ability to move arms again or, you know, Parkinson's disease and all the same stuff we're hearing from the Neuralink overlap, except the the research there was the same stuff we're now acting like was the saving grace for the mRNA injections. Interestingly enough, on a side point was the same thing they continue to do, increasing lipid nanoparticles in the past, which is why they continue to fail. Nobody explains why doing the same thing today suddenly succeeded. But my concern is how these things overlap with the idea of right now what we're pushing with the brain machine interface and the lipid nanoparticles, the the nanotechnology within these. And the big open question on top of all of that about whether or not there are other things in these injections that we don't know about. Now, I was very resistant to this in the beginning. I guess not resistant, but very skeptical. 
And I think we've continued to see more and more high level, very credible people begin to poke at this. Doctors, scientists, research groups saying we're finding things in this that we can't explain, whether that's graphene oxide or something else. I don't know. But the point is that we do have research going back as far as you want to look, as far as we've been researching this kind of technology, saying that graphene oxide vaccination was the future. That's just one part of it. My point is that nanotechnology, the connection to the injections, the connection to what they're doing with the mRNA, with the brain machine interface and every direction that Elon Musk is taking this. It's impossible for me not to think that there's an overlap with the agenda and how that's being driven. And then again, with the guise of Musk being in this position and as Whitney pointed out, prepping this for a long time before this and kind of lulling people into a position where we accept that if it's coming from Musk and his associated companies, then it can't be bad because he's on the right or whatever the argument becomes. Now, there's a lot of unknowns in that big discussion there, but I think the problem is very obviously that, one, the mRNA injections are clearly failing. I mean, obviously in a catastrophic way and hurting people. And I wonder, and this is actually something Whitney and I have talked about a couple of times, whether this in part, was itself a test to try to achieve something, whether that's to suss out how this works properly or maybe execute some kind of experiment to find out how these things, you know, map out the human brain, meshing things. I mean, we've talked about the reaching the singularity. There's a lot of possibilities to flesh out and there's scientific research to back up these exact directions. And then I guess the final point to add to that would be them routinely discussing between about 2017 or even before that, up until right before this started, what they call moral bioenhancement from a compulsory level forcing people to do this because they've decided it's the right thing to do without you knowing about it so i mean all those pieces together it's kind of hard to doubt that this could be something much more alarming than it looks like okay so the thing i have to say about Neuralink is the following um so according to Neuralink itself eight out of their 23 monkeys died after getting the brain chip yeah if you believe this other watchdog group it was 15 out of 23 Whoever you want to believe, um, if any product like device, medical device is seeking FDA approval um, and in your animal trials, eight out of 23 die, are you going to send that to human trials? If 15 out of 23 die, are you going to send that to human trials? Probably not. But because of what's happened over the course of the COVID crisis, we've, you know, seen a, a total gutting of any sort of illusion of, of government, you know, regulatory stuff for products, particularly medical products. It's the FDA that also approves medical devices. And what do you know? The current head of the FDA is Robert Califf, a former Google health executive, who's all about approving all of this transhumanist medicine where you're basically seeing big tech and big pharma uh, merge with each other. And that's essentially um, what I think we're seeing here. So it seems like it's going to get uh, greenlit. And there, uh, this 2016 act, uh, the Cures Act, removed informed consent uh, from medical device uh, approval processes, uh, technically for things that have a minimal safety impact. But, I mean, you know, they're so corrupt they could argue that even though, you know, 15 or 8 out of the <laughs> 23 mice died, you know. I just think that's a really high number. Would you want to sign up for a medical trial uh, where your chance of dying is that high? Or would you send that to the next thing? Is that what, like, you know, uh, a super uh, benevolent uh, billionaire like Elon Musk would do just to make the blind see, even though there's a bazillion videos of him being like talking about commercialization of that and how it's. Uh, okay, guys, come on. Look, 
I know you guys don't spend all day on YouTube like I do, but the latest YouTube challenge is called the Shallow Water Challenge, and it involves diving into a pool filled with six inches of water. Uh, my grandma tried it recently, and she's now a paraplegic. So uh, <laughs> she's she can't type, and she's trying to text me all day, but she can't type. So Elon Musk is going to help my paraplegic grandma type again. And you guys want to come in and stop that from happening? All right, so, so let me break For in. Shame. <laughs> All right, because the first thing that I'm going to tell you is, number one, this idea that we're going to get left behind. There are plenty of human brain interfaces that are already available and being utilized by the military that are just wearables. So, for instance, you have now swarm drones of these small drones that are semi-autonomous but are literally being guided by a soldier's thoughts. If you want to see where the technology is and where they want to take it, um, there is a great uh, RAND piece that they have out there, brain-computer interfaces, U.S. military applications and implications, and this looks to uh, 2040 in the future. Right now, you know, we talked about NASA. Uh, according to Dennis Bushnell, same guy behind the document, same guy who's the chief scientist right now, same guy who's been around since the Gemini days and has a slew of patents, uh, he says in 2018, there are 200,000 people already with the brain chip, not the Neuralink brand. Uh, you can read about one of them here that isn't using it to walk again, okay, isn't helping grandma. No, it's just helping depression. And by the way, there's a new one out today I covered on my show. You can tell that she's uh, over her depression because she's alone in a garden, heavily obese with a mask on her face. It's obviously worked. Uh, I think the main thing, that we have to realize when we're talking about transhumanism, it is two different things. And going back to what Ryan said, the possibility of different things being uh, in the shots. Okay. First of all, we have a multitude of batches. We have a multitude of types of shots. You have the MRNA, which was Moderna, but you also had the vector-based shots that were out there. And you also had those trials. Remember they were warning about possible false uh, HIV uh, in Forbes, you think that I'm making that up. It was literally a mainstream article. And then it happened. And those were with the non-mRNA. So they're, you know, outwardly, there are different things in the shots. But they, again, when I say they, the Defense Department doesn't have to tell you anything. The Defense Department is allowed to lie. It's called classification. Okay. And this is the partnership that they made. It's called Adept Protect. I'm glad to see people like Peter McCullough finally talking about this. Uh, but it was against contagions that they would identify, and then they would produce an mRNA spike protein within two or three days, right? Very quickly, whether it's a, a bio attack, by the way, it says uh, diseases that are engineered biological weapons, weird. And then you print up the mRNA, which Musk did, you know, because he's the best. He, he scaled that up for Tesla, but there's a lot of partners and strategic collaborators when it comes to mRNA. Good people at AstraZeneca, you might've heard about them. Merck, Vertex, BARDA, there's DARPA, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, the Karolinka Institute and the Institute Pasteur, all great people. Once you start taking this on and you work with them, there is a classification process. And as we saw with MKUltra, what? Universities, and private, uh, private pharmaceutical uh, companies worked hand in hand with them. And we still don't know a multitude about that. So, you know, I think it's here. We're in the bio nano era. They are running experiments, but transhumanism, guys, it's two different things to them. 
Okay, so there's there's the transhumanism they want for us that they run the experiments on, right? Because biologically, they think they're going to live forever. People like Jared Kushner have openly talked about it. And in fact, I would argue that people like Martin Rothblatt, uh, for those unfamiliar, this is the person who wrote the book From Transgender to Transhuman. And in the very beginning, talks about billions of sexes. Guys, LGBTQ plus has a long way to go, I promise you. Uh, this person wrote the book, Unzip Genes, in 97. And in this, it advocates for no more nuclear family, no more natural birth. They're taking hold of genetics. And if you want to have a kid, yeah, also the head of United Therapeutics that's doing xenotransplantation and printing up organs. So they want to biologically live forever. The rest of us get the brain chips and the virtual universe and eventually the idea as we create entities that are very human-like, okay, the singularity, the age of spiritual machines, you're dumb enough to upload your consciousness to this virtual universe, a.k.a. you don't have a soul. That's not a real thing. There is no God. You, you're another number. That's it. That's what this all is. And I'm not a part of that. You know, I know I, I went on a little rant here, Johnny YouTube, but I'm team humanity. You, you wigged out conspiracy theorists. You're always talking <laughs> about the end of the world robots and stuff. We're here to talk about the Twitter files. What's going on? Come on. Real quick before we get past it, uh, Jason and I had a really great conversation about that exact point. I don't know if we're going to get into it today, but it's a, an, an important conversation about whether or not the trans Overrepresentation is really about normalizing the next logical step of transhumanism. I, you know, I, it's an important conversation because I think overlap is impossible to miss. And I think one of the main points is that you only have a small fraction of the population that's representing a, a very large portion of policy. And there's something to that, I think. And, you know, then we got the fourth industrial revolution and merging bio, you know, everything they're talking about. Like it well, seems to be that exact direction. Let me jump in just really quick on that because, you know, we can't marginalize that the person that wrote that book, okay, you can get all these on Amazon, by the way, from transgender to trans, a manifesto on the freedom of form, okay? This is, again, the uh, virtually human person in unzipped genes. You know who writes a forward to virtually human? That is, of course, Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil heads up the immortality division at Google, all right? Again, Google and the Defense Department, they're the same thing. They work with NASA on quantum computing, that's AI, and then they work on immortality with Ray Kurzweil. So Martin Rothblatt, hands down, is the richest, most powerful transhumanist, aka transgender person on the planet. There is not another. This is a multi-billionaire that headed up Sirius XM and wrote a lot, a lot of the lawfare regarding satellites. So when the most powerful transgender person on the planet is writing these books and founding these companies and actually doing it, I don't know. I'm paying attention. I'm, I'm connecting the dots. I'm not Columbo, guys. I'll admit it. He's probably better. But give me a break. Well, Ryan, take the oh, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead Winnie. Well, I was just going to say to take the conversation back to Elon Musk about transhumanism, I would like to point out that a lot of his narrative, I'm not sure if it came from here, but it's the same narrative and he funds them. So at Oxford, there's the Future of Humanity Institute funded by Musk. And they're, the people that run that are the ones that have argued since, uh, I guess, the you know 2007 or so that we have to merge with AI to beat AI. Like it's, you know, inevitable, the inevitability um, reasoning uh, behind this, but um, 
uh, I forgot the other thing I was going to say. Oh, no. Yeah. So the Future of Humanity Institute shares an office with uh, the um, the philanthropy, the effect of altruism group that was uh, basically running Sam Bankman Freed and FTX. Hmm. So uh, and then you have the weird overlap there with how the Center for Effective Altruism also basically was very involved with uh, the financing of Event 201 through the Open Philanthropy Group and Dustin Muscovitz, uh, Facebook co-founder. This is basically a mafia of big tech people who are obsessed with this and want to take it there whether they they like it or not. Um, so, for example, uh, let's talk about Elon Musk and Epstein a little bit since he's another transhumanist, right? But it's also relevant to this big tech idea. Uh, Elon Musk is the guy that allegedly was introducing Jeffrey Epstein to Mark Zuckerberg at these Edge meetings. Edge it was John Brockman, the publisher's uh, you know, meeting of... Uh, important minds in science and culture that was basically a front for Epstein. He was basically uh, solely financing it for a long portion of its existence once it started hosting something called the Billionaire's Dinner, uh, which had the founders of uh, Amazon, Google, Elon Musk, of course, being Tesla, SpaceX, and all these other companies. And um, they're all, you know, hanging around together. And Elon Musk and his it's worth talking about his brother for a little bit uh, as well. So his brother ended up dating a woman in Epstein's entourage, one of Epstein's girlfriends. And this led to Epstein getting a tour of SpaceX in like 2012. So Kimball Musk is on the board of SpaceX and of Tesla. He's also a uh, young social entrepreneur for the Schwab Foundation, uh, the Schwab Foundation being the foundation of Klaus Schwab uh, of the World Economic Forum. And uh, apparently potentially blackmailed by Epstein to some extent. Uh, no one likes to talk about Kimball Musk for some reason, but he's um, definitely uh, worth looking at when you consider this, uh, you know, oh, I'm Elon Musk and I'm introducing Jeffrey Epstein to Mark Zuckerberg stuff. And then you also have, um, as I noted in my book, one of the major suppliers to Tesla is a company called LS Power, which has direct links to Asa Properties, which is the, the um, I guess, realty company that manages, that's run by Jeffrey's uh, Epstein's brother, Mark Epstein, and owned the apartments where a lot of the sex trafficking activities in New York City were ongoing. So, um, you know, there's some odd ties there that speak to intelligence ties here. And one of the main drivers for most of the past 20 years and arguably much earlier um, of a lot of this, these technologies that are leading to transhumanism, it is the military intelligence industrial uh, complex a hundred percent. And, you know, speaking again to this, you know, specter of intelligence ties, I would say is the Starlink stuff. So somehow Starlink against the will of the Iranian government became active in Iran. So what does that mean? That means that, and Elon Musk promoted this, by the way, that it was in there. So that got in by one of two means. It was smuggled in either by U.S. or Israeli intelligence. Uh, and so a Musk is an accessory to that, you know. So it's there, there's some interesting stuff going on there. Is that the guy you want making the chip uh, that goes in your brain? And then, again, to bring this back to um, what I mentioned uh, earlier about him sort of being a construct. If you think about him just being a billionaire in general, most of his companies wouldn't exist without massive government subsidies. I mean, he's a guy basically created by the money from that complex. And then he's 
swimming around with a lot of these people there and has a lot of the same ideas and maybe he can have that same time type of um I guess let's call it a social bond that Trump had with his supporters because he's like, look how funny Trump is because he made fun of Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio on TV. I mean, yeah, that's cool because they both suck, but that doesn't mean like Trump's policies are going to be great. Right. It's entertaining. It's a circus. And so like Elon Musk can, can do all of that. But I think again, he was primed for this personal savior role. He was primed to be a billionaire and do all these other things. And like I uh, said on a recent podcast, um, it seems to me that a lot of the Twitter file stuff is very similar to what happened with uh, a few years ago with Pierre Omidyar and the Intercept, which effectively laundered uh, Pierre Omidyar's intelligence-linked reputation and sort of recast him of, of this guy that's going to protect adversarial journalism. And then the Intercept uh, basically becomes a honeypot for whistleblowers and sends three of them to prison, uh, even though it was supposedly, you know, founded to establish the Snowden links and then doesn't publish 90% of the Snowden links and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it sure made Pierre Omidyar look good. And same thing with Elon Musk in the Twitter files. Right. Uh, but like Jason said, he's still employing a lot of these same intelligence guys. He has his own intelligence connections and he is using Twitter to feed the AI. And he also uh, is a co-founder of OpenAI, which has just put out this chat GPT thing where people are interacting with AI more than ever, you know, the brain chip is the next step, but we're already through this viralization of things like chat GPT. We are interacting so much with AI. It's learning from us, but it's also manipulating us. The more people that come to rely on that, like kids at school is becoming a controversy with that particular thing that feed questions into it and like use it for their homework and all that stuff. They're reading these ideas put out by this AI and it's basically over time can be used to manipulate their thoughts and persuade them. Who is this being programmed by? And is AI starting to modify us before we've even merged with it? Uh, Yeah, I think it's getting to that point because think about how, you know, over time as these convenient technologies over the past hundred or something years have emerged, humans become increasingly unable of doing that thing. Before calculators, more people did mental math. Now there's a calculator uh, and you never do that kind of math in your head or on paper anymore, right? And it's harder for you to do it. Well, what happens when the AI starts to speak for us because it knows us so well? Why do you think Elon Musk acquired Twitter um, and, you know, has stuff in open AI and he's, you know, we have to merge with benevolent AI. He's going to create it. And if you think about this whole idea of data as the new oil, Whoever becomes the owner of the most data is going to be the guy that's on top. He's going to be the Rockefeller of the data era as opposed to the oil era. Right. And that's exactly what Elon Musk is setting himself up for 100 percent. And that's part of why. All right. So the entire clip, Corbett Report, T-Lab, Jason Burmis, Derek Bros, Whitney Webb, they've all got it. You can see the whole thing. But that ties it up. I mean, if you've been paying attention for the past seven hours and you can load all that RAM of what we've said since we started, you're coming to a conclusion all by your lonesome that we don't really have to say. Right, Tony? They, You get it. If your RAM is big enough for seven hours of attention span, you can outgrow your status quo, separate yourself from the herd, no longer be subjugated and have a chance at freedom for you and your next generations. What do you think? 
Yeah, at this point, I think we made it more than conspicuous in regards to the connection. We're trying real hard to make yeah. it conspicuous. I mean, it's as obvious as it can possibly be at this point. And you can see the interconnection with intelligence, with uh, AI, with technocracy, which is the social engineering through AI. Um, you know, the, the, the control not only of financial markets, but of human biology itself and the merging not only with machines, but the possibility of extending life. And these people are essentially what Rich put on screen at the beginning of the show. Was it Homo Deus? Yeah. Uh, Yuval no. Noah Harari. I got right. right One of the key sort of philosophers. Uh, I think he's at a, a Jewish institution. Here, um, let me just start. Let me just do it like this. Israeli. They're dumbing us down so they can have Homo Deus where humans become God. And, God, yeah. and then they can have the singularity with Ray. Yeah. Right. Now, Ray and um, who's the... Yukon professor that wrote the time travel book. I forget his name, but the both points are uh, Ray Kurzweil. His dad died when he was young. So he wishes he had time travel so he could go back and uh, Ronald Mallette, who I've interviewed before Yukon professor wrote a book called the time traveler. He also wanted to create time travel to go back and save his dad. So uh, people with personal experiences that maybe they should have gone to therapy for are now trying to change your world, your future, your timeline, your your kid's future, because they got big ideas. Now, I was elated when I went and got this off the shelf. This is a great big, thick book. Singularity. Woo, big, thick book. I looked in here. It's published 2005, and there's no mention of Elon Musk in here at all. Yeah. So at that time in 2005, Elon Musk is not even on this guy's radar. And that brings the question, is Elon Musk uh, a recent face man, just like Zuckerberg, to represent ideas of DARPA in the industrial complex? The reasonable hypothesis. Oh. It's a reasonable theory. I don't know if it's something we can necessarily test, but certainly reasonable theory based on the evidence that exists thus far, considering um, the fact that he took a lot of what were DARPA proposed projects and ended up being the front man for you know, allowing for the space to for it to go to consumer markets. So we have now Starlink, you have, uh, although he didn't take up LifeLog, which then became Facebook, he certainly, you know, connected to um, that just by virtue of being a part of the technology sector. You have his connection to Peter Thiel and the way in which most people or many people utilize digital commerce in regards to PayPal. And you have the you know connection with his interest in Tesla, all of which weren't his own creation, all of which he able he was able to sort of gain ownership, much the way he gained ownership of Twitter, just buying the stocks and gaining ownership to publicly traded companies. And then from which or from there, he sort of takes the idea that it was his when in fact it wasn't. You know, the, I go back to the Greg Reese report, how much of his life has been a facade and how much of his life is sort of a fake in regards to his fake intelligence, his fake companies, his fake the wealth from his family that sort of, you know, from being um, emerald uh, dealers. Um, it, it, there's, there's a lot to be desired in regards to Elon Musk. I mean, everything about him is bad. South Not African, South African, that too. Um, you Not know, against South Africa, but just, just a Cecil Rhodes mill you, right? Anyone just has that overhanging. Yeah. There's a lot of Anglo American establishment ideals being represented by that young man. That specter is sort of he's like about, hanging over. Actually, it. we're like the same age, probably. <laughs> so he's not so young anymore. So it's reasonable to consider. I mean, it really is because he's not really an innovator mm -hmm. in the sense that he's the one coming up with these great ideas, these great businesses. He takes it over and he seems to control the way in which they're 
the way in which they're developed or the way in which they develop and innovate new technology. And he seems to be the forward facing sort of communication for that, knowing that, he, you know, Tesla or SpaceX rather doesn't happen by accident. Same with Bezos having control of Blue Origin. My buddy worked there. He said it's all top military brass. Like mm-hmm. they're no longer part of the military. They're not working in the private sector, but it's run very bureaucratically, very top down, very sort of uh, hush hush with, you know, it's and they're their main competitor. So it's sort of like a false dialectic set up with these two, you know, private sector corporations that we, you know, are sort of set up for what are really DARPA projects, it seems like. I think that's a reasonable theory to consider. You know, we'll have to see over time what plays out and whether or not that's ultimately true. But there's certainly a lot of evidence in support of that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot more to be learned on that topic. Yeah. Now, before we go to uh, wrapping up this episode, and before we go to uh, playing this next clip from the past, because we're going to do a flashback from 2009 here in a few minutes. You know, we talked about uh, a lot of things tonight. We talked about uh, the goal setting workshop, which you guys can still enjoy. We talked about the launch of Jay Dyer's uh, course. We just saw during intermission a whole bunch of people listed here on the Autonomy Agora, your one stop shop for liberation. And uh, those people might have been James Corbett and Derek Bros, among others, right? So if you want to get your learning on and you're not up to speed and you don't want to do autonomy, that's all well and good. But keep your development growing. Keep your interpersonal communications flowing. Do these sort of things for yourself in 2023. And uh, that's com. brought to you by the folks who sponsored that whole intermission of tasty vittles pertaining to Elon Musk. Now, before we get to this flashback from 2009, we have a situation. So we talked about the second amendment. We talked about this uh, brace being outlawed. 40 million people becoming felons overnight. Eventually, if this law goes through without resistance and repeal and these sort of things, right? So don't panic yet, but clock appears to be ticking. And, we showed you guys some some basic fundamentals of at least how to check and clear a weapon, right? A pistol. And then there's a bunch of Second Amendment people here. They're like, you look, you just can't show airsoft all night. You have to show something from an example. So I brought you another example. I cleared the desk for this. Let's see. We might have to go to, let's go to a document camera. Let's put this on the table. This is uh, a Sig Sauer. Some people call it a Sig Sawyer. Now, some of you are laughing already. Don't say anything yet. This is Sig Sawyer. It's got, uh, see, it says Sig right there. It's got your your laser sight, you know, all this sort of red dot. There you go. Right, right, right. Might have a can on the front. Oh, my goodness. You can, can you have a can? Are you allowed to have these accoutrements? Oh, it's got a strap on it. Oh my goodness. Is that the stock that they just outlawed? No, no. You guys are panicking again. Again, just making the point that an air rifle made by six hour is the air rifle. Actually, it's not a BB gun. Technically it's a, it's a pellet gun. And uh, let me, let me make sure that the magazine is unloaded. Let's show you the magazine. Here's the magazine. Look pellets. There are, there are pellets in there and there is a safety switch on here. There's a safety. And you got, uh, it's not ambidextrous, but you do have a safety, right? That'd be woo, red is dead. That's that's uh, no fire. It also could be 
cleared and then we could visually, you know, but it's a BB gun. So we're going to put it back on the desk and we're going to stop being scared of things we don't understand. And we're going to start to look at reality, maybe with uh, curious eyes to say, hey, I'm not sure what that is. How would I identify if that was, you know, uh, a pellet, a pellet pistol, a pellet rifle, a pellet carbine, these sort of things. Right. This is not dangerous. There's no magazine in here. Chamber's been cleared. It's not a real firearm, but treat all firearms as if they're loaded. So I'm still going to respect it. I'm still not going to put my finger in the trigger. I'm going to treat it with respect. I'm not going to flag you. Right. We're good. But some of you had a little fear just because, you know, there's a pellet gun on the table. And the only way to dispel fear is with a method to take that fear and transmute it into knowledge, understanding, wisdom, experience. It is not given to you at school, but neither was the second amendment, nor the first amendment, nor anything else. Self-responsibility to have freedom. There's benefits and there's the work you got to put in to maintain, attain, retain that type of freedom. So becoming knowledgeable in not just your first amendment, your second amendment, third, fourth, fifth, all your rights. These are not rights. For just Americans, they're human rights, as is the right to defense, as is the right to practice with things that might have similar ergonomics to actual and factual things you would use for your defense. That would be the purpose of this platform, by the way. Uh, Ergonomics, repetition, not having to spend a whole bunch of money on ammunition, not having to make a bunch of noise. I bought this during the first week of the pandemic. I said, if everyone's going to be locked down, at least I can get some target practice off the back porch. So before you guys go jump into conclusions again, uh, the CO2 is here. This is not a uh, brace type of stock. Nothing going on here. You can get this on Amazon. Go ahead. Not Amazon. Don't pay Bezos. Go to your local sporting goods store and have them special order you on because they probably won't have it in inventory. That's the gist. All right. Enough said about that. Let's go back to 2009. Let's get in our time machine. Back to a show called conspiracy theory with jesse ventura a younger more hirsute alex jones and um a woman named rima lebeau very interesting person in history who was married to a former general of special operations at the pentagon that ran psychological warfare operations named stubblebine very interesting character in history as well don't judge just Take in the information and juxtapose it to what you know now, and then uh, dig in and maybe you'll learn more. Let's go to that clip and then we'll bring it back and we'll thank everyone who supported the show tonight. Thank you guys. Jesse Ventura's conspiracy investigators have tracked down the deadly secret behind the elite group that tries to rule the world. When the population gets too big to handle, the solution is cut it down. There's an entire agenda afoot to force the population to undergo different type of medical treatments, namely vaccines. We're seeing a medical tyranny being set up, not just in the United States, but worldwide under the UN and the World Health Organization. They want a planetary dictatorship so they can carry out their forced depopulation agenda, and they want to do it through the medical system. And that's why vaccines are so important. We know that many of these vaccines turn out to have serious adverse reactions. This is being done by design. They kill you slowly over time. That's why they're called soft kill. We must acknowledge 
that the genetic COVID-19 genetic injections cause far more harm than good and provide zero benefit relative to risk. The death rates from this vaccine are, there's been more deaths in eight months than in all the billions of vaccines combined over the last 30 years. 50% of the deaths occur within 48 hours, 80% within a week. And I've got an insider I think you should really talk to, Dr. Rima Labo. In a very short time, not today, not tomorrow, but very soon, we'll be facing compulsory vaccination under the mistaken term of voluntary vaccination. Now, what is it about these vaccinations? You think that they're bad? Well, first of all, let's start with the fact that the World Health Organization has decided that we have 90% too many people. The World Health Organization has been working since 1974 on vaccines to create permanent sterility. Now, this is pretty shocking. This process has already been ongoing. To make matters worse, the vaccines that were illegally approved by the FDA contain a substance called squalene. Squalene, an organic compound used in vaccines to stimulate the immune system and increase the response. If I inject you with squalene, your immune system will attack the squalene, but then it starts attacking all of the parts of your body. What does that look like when you meet a person to whom that is happening? It looks like Gulf War syndrome. It looks like every joint in the body swollen and intolerably painful and immobilized. This is in these shots they're going to give us? It's in some of them, but the U.S. government has a trick up their sleeve. Which is? They will induce a pandemic using the nasal mist vaccine, which is a live attenuated virus. That means that if I take it, I can infect you. You're going to get the flu. Everybody around us is going to get the flu. Yes, it's startling, but it's over in a moment. That's it. It's all done. A new report tonight that early CDC coronavirus tests were probably contaminated. Why didn't they work initially? The Post reports the cross-contamination most likely occurred because chemical mixtures were assembled into the kits within a lab space that was also handling synthetic coronavirus material. A production firm in Luxembourg said that core parts of the test had been contaminated with coronavirus. This was reported by The Telegraph. Now, the best protection against COVID-19 could be by going up your nose. What nasal or mucosal vaccines do, they concentrate the immune protection in the upper airway. We do have a nasal spray vaccine for influenza virus, so-called flu mist, which has not exactly been a game changer. So I'm a little skeptical about how this nasal spray vaccine will work out. Then the United States government, based on their statements that they've already made, will say, oh my, we have a pandemic. According to the CDC's own literature, the tests do not rule out bacterial infection or other viruses. They are detecting all varieties of coronavirus, including the common cold and counting it as COVID-19. I mean, the great thing about having forms that come in and a form that has the ability to mark it as COVID-19 infection, the intent is right now that those, if someone dies with COVID-19, we are counting that as a COVID-19 death. 
we aren't pressured to test for flu. But ER doctors now, my friends that I talk to say, you know, it's interesting, when I'm, when I'm writing up my death report, I'm being pressured to add COVID. Why is that? Why are we being pressured to add COVID to maybe increase the numbers and make it look a little bit worse than it is? People lining up, sometimes by the hundreds, for an H1N1 flu shot. What that means is a holocaust, a genocidal holocaust. Men and women will sicken and die, and those who survive will be infertile. If people start dying massively from these inoculations, won't there be like a revolution, a rebellion, a rising up from the peasants? That's interesting because we don't have a time machine and we did not go back and make that clip. That appears to be a historical artifact that we had all seen, uh, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. It's been a long time since they made that conspiracy theory show. And it appears to show a younger Alex Jones, a younger Jesse Ventura. I'm not sure if Rima LeBeau is still with us or not, but she seemed to be pretty informed on it. And we either have like we have a choice there. They are soothsayers who can see the future and they have a, a magic ball and they look into it and they, they can tell the future or, or they've read the business plans of the people doing these things that continue on today. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, they read the business plans, yeah, the white so papers, the business plans, the not so much the mysticism, more no. objective learning literacy, objective learning literacy. You know, they actually decided to read. Reading is fundamental. <laughs> although it's the, frowned upon if you're a slave you're not supposed to know how to read literacy if you taught a slave how to read you could be killed for that because it ruins the value of the slave or at least you'd have to pay for the slave because you've ruined is. a slave if you teach them how to be literate back in the day well it's a little different today because there's plenty of people that bit. read but they don't read substantial books and and media so you know kudos, obviously alex jones and but they play they fantasy both. football like dude they're good they got sure. two teams yeah, there's going. There's a lot on. of fiction. People read fiction left and right. And so people read, but that's now that the idea is okay, if people are going to read, let's just muddy the waters with all sorts of meaningless, you know, dribble. Let's wokeify it. Yeah, wokeify it as well. Change I mean, narratives around. Of things. Yeah, Change narratives. definitions. Woo. Yeah. What is a woman? We don't know anymore. <laughs> Apparently. That's what happens when you. Well, I mean, that's what they want you to believe. I, I technically, I know, but I'm not allowed to say anything anymore because I canceled, canceled. Oh, you can't, you can't talk about firearms. You'll get canceled. Uh, you know these sort of things. Like we need to break those taboos. Otherwise, we're all going to be talking to each other in a gulag camp with no Wi-Fi access. It's not going to be fun. It's not like those camps they had in Australia, where at least you had communications. Or maybe they didn't. Maybe they had a, a blackout. We need to talk to some of those people that were down there because they're still building those camps. And uh, it's a thing that's going to continue to go on until people are smart enough not to let it go on anymore. Uh, I much agreed. I mean, unfortunately, and it's much more even a, a, a truism and reality in China right now. I know they've eased up a little bit uh, in regards to their zero COVID policy, but I know there's a number of camps across the entire uh, the entire sort of Chinese area. It's almost like you're just ferreting out the resistors in the first phase. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, China is the perfect test ground for it, even more so than I would argue Australia, but both are pretty, pretty good for it. Uh, Australia, I don't know. I've heard different reports from sort of people who live there in regards to how effective or how useful or how utilized they really were. But now the thing is, they're there. And what happens if another pandemic, which according to Bill Gates, it's guaranteed to happen again within the next sometime. He and Fauci can predict pandemics. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> they also seem to fund the uh, logical institutes that, you know, just uh, that happen to be implicated in potentially working on viruses. Just happen to be doing the thing. They're like the Peter Powers of pandemics, right? Peter Powers, London 7-7. He was there doing drills of a subway bombing. And then magically, the things they were drilling for happened to go on. And he could switch from, what was his quote, from quick time to slow time reacting to quick time thinking or whatever his stupid quote was. And I'm like, dude. You from Visor Consultants just admitted on the BBC that you were doing the same thing. Like the, it's just such a cliche of them running drills at the same time as terrorist like attacks. 9/11, and no like one told this guy not to say the quiet part out loud. So he was like, "Oh yeah, we were running the drill that morning of those three things that happened at those three places." And then conveniently, no one told him MI6 was going to capitalize on those drills and raise their budgets. That's the gist. Yeah. It, it happens all lot, all the time. And it goes on. on. Boogeyman called terrorism, which is just like a virus because you can't see it. It's nebulous. It's abstract. You're never sure where it's going to strike. So it's you know these these perfect, perfect sort of concepts and abstractions utilized in order to cause unwarranted fear in a mass population that is already conditioned. You know, if you take uh, what's his name, the ideas of mass formation psychosis. You know. They're already oh, untethered uh, to reality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're McDonald already sort of, and uh, Desmond. Yeah, McDonald and Desmond. Yeah, yeah, Matias Desmond. That's right. But they're already as yeah, opposed already... to Dunning and Kruger. <laughs> I mean, Dunning and Kruger goes it goes in effect with it, but they're already sort of conditioned in a state of being untethered to reality, which is a major component. So they're looking for someone to explain that reality for them when embraced with a fearful state. It's really just it's it's a mass Stockholm syndrome. It's fear based. Uh, Trauma-based mind control, these sorts of ideas. It's, there's many different synonyms we could utilize to describe really the same process, but that's what's going on. That's what will continue to go on unless people sort of become So aware. what's the opposite of trauma-based mind control? Happiness-based liberation? Something like that? Uh, happiness is a state of being that's transitory. I would say something that where you, at least you maintain a sense of your own autonomy. and Integrity-based, yeah. Integrity-based is better, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, cool. All right, so we, we've got that uh, on the record, now in the time capsule. Those things were said back in 2009. They may or may not resemble pretty accurately what just happened for the past three years, but I leave you to be the judge of such things. And now with that, I'm going to go to a fellow marksman, LD, who's going to load it up over there on his end, and he's going to let us know, aside from our 1,000-plus wonderful superlative members of the grand theft world community thank you guys all because you make all the difference who else do we have to thank for tonight's event gala and firearm safety demonstration all right let's uh so sound of freedom right there 30 out six not empty (laughs) not anymore um so thanks to the rockfin tippers 
We had Nick the Sound Guy, $5. Hey, fellas, my wife is telling me that she needs to be more anti-fragile and that she's getting tired of my scarcity mindset. What can I do? Go to the next seminar with her and be a graduate. First off, Nick, thanks. Thanks for the question. Uh, to John Masaria, happy birthday because his birthday is today. LD, you've got headphones coming your way. Tony, are you still working out? Is that what you're rocking uh, right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My girlfriend is the other pair. And then I have JM Audio Editions. The, the ones with the balance connectors, the four pin. So anyways, I got the fancy ones, but they're all and, cool. Yeah, and John donated. Uh, uh, I was going to buy them. Lisa was going to buy them for my son's birthday, but John was nice enough. He contributed. So my youngin is going to be able to hear Clapton like he was in the studio and not through some bogus iPhone speakers like most other kids here. He's going to be able to hear in true clarity. So thank you, John. And thank you, Nick. And thank you, Aaron, for encouraging Nick to uh, become more anti-fragile. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday, John. Thanks for sending me some headphones. Excited to try those out. Uh, Dave and Laura, $20, just received our tickets for Pork Fest and hope to see yeah. you guys there. I will oh, bring be there. venison and A- maple syrup. ATF aside, I think, uh, is it 120 days? So we'll have to, we're going to be at Pork Fest, but we're not giving up our rifles. So we'll see. See you there. No, With indeed. Rifles. No, I'm just kidding. But you can bring guns. So there you go. It looks good in a transcript. I'm balancing it out. It's a court uh, case in the future. Don't worry about it. Dave said, I'll bring the venison and maple syrup, be fruitful and multiply, and you know the thing. Yeah. And we need uh, cheese too. Cheese, cheese, venison, and maple syrup is how it works. Yeah. Uh, T can. Many thanks. Thank you, guys. T can, $5. Thanks, GTW. Jeremy Austin, $5. Jake Sheen, $5. Great whistleblower to whistleblower conversation. Shout out to the ONUB book. Uh, oh, the uh, ONUB book club. Yeah. Yeah, One Nation. Book club. Yeah. One Nation Under Blackmail. The book club for helping me get caught up. I read The Devil's Chessboard in preparation. Nice. We'll have to get truth about Wuhan. You guys are great keeping my overactive mind at peace. Appreciate that. Uh, the book club has been fantastic. If you're interested in signing up, become a GTW subscriber and uh, hit up Maddie Bannon or myself, and we'll make sure to get you into the, into the discord. And it's every other Friday. It, I think the time just changed because their schedule with work changed, unfortunately. So it's going to be in the evenings Friday. And I believe it's seven o'clock now, every other Friday, Friday evening. And in the grand theft world forum, there's a place that says events, and it just shows you the calendar so that all those things become seamless. Yep. Oh, and there's a town hall this week on Tuesday, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Yeah. Who's up for another six hours? Woo. But you guys get to talk back. So that's town hall. It's three hours. And uh, I keep it a little bit. I'm keeping it more condensed and confined this year. Going to make sure I cut it off around 10 just because of uh, schedule scheduling purposes of work and whatnot, but still three, four hours come participate. Have, yeah. Uh, Tony's not a robot. He needs sleep too. Yeah. yeah. I had to sort of limit it this year before we, I let it, it was fantastic. The conversation you have going to one, two in the morning after 
a 48 hour turnaround from GTW could be a little intense. So keeping it to closing up around 10 o'clock PM, but three hours come discuss sharing conversation with people in the GTW community. This week is the on week. So the 17th, I believe um, there will be town hall. So come join the fun. Sorry, Aldi. You can go. All right. Thanks. Jake and Thomas Hutchinson, we have $10. Still the best show on the web. Rich, Tony, and LD, you rock. We'll catch up with the rest of the show later in the week, but now I need sleep. Good luck to us all. Scuzzy, $5. That small computer systems interface, $5. New things to come, new things to love. That's in quotation marks, so I'm not familiar with that. If that's a reference to something from Scuzzy. Jane Smith threw in $20. Thank you, Jane. Van Zil Spengler, $5. Need to bring some love back to South Africa. Rich and I hope, Rich, I hope you get some sleep. Thanks, guys. As always, great show, Van. And Cheryl Kelmar threw in another $20 at the end. Thank you so much. Very much appreciated. You guys keep us going. And uh, if you haven't been over to grandtheftworld.com, check it out you can get the podcast replays here with the show notes posted on mondays and you can join the community here get behind the scenes get inside the uh, grand theft world forum get involved with the book club and with the town hall and if you're savvy after you check out the books you can check out the brain model and uh get yourself learning in the right direction by learning how I learned. You get a thought, you start learning about that thought, you find some media associated with that thought, learn how to make your own models. It's a good next step forward. And uh, yeah, if you're into the community, there's a lot of value on the other side. So it's not just like supporting the show, which we appreciate, but we also want to provide tremendous value to you in the return. So thank you all who support. And for those of you on the fence and considering, uh, check it out. You gotta, you know, you can get a little free pass. If you know how to click the right lead magnet, you probably get a free, uh, 30 day pass for free. So be savvy. LD. Yeah. We've had a long workout. I think we started like 15 hours ago, so I'm ready to, uh, land this flight. You guys have now arrived in your destination of freedom and cognitive liberty. Tony, I'd like to thank you for helping me uh, service this flight with the uh, tasty intellectual aptitude that you bring to the table every week. Thank Always you. Thank you. It. Yeah. Thank yeah. you guys so much. Thanks to everyone listening in and uh, hope to see you guys in the town hall or the book club. And some weeks I feel like I'm shooting at LD's feet and he's doing a dance because I don't give him a heads up of what the clip is. So I've been trying now that I have a better monitor set up, I can I can let him know here's the next clip. He has time to find it. And it's less like, let's see how fast he can be. So uh, I'm looking to improve uh, not only our ability to communicate to you, but the overall experience of that communication. So week by week, as you guys hang in there and you see development, we've made a lot of progress, especially we got HD stream, we got upgraded members area we're we're getting all this stuff uh you know all the cylinders firing in synchronization and it's going to start running a lot smoother so i thank you guys for hanging in there you guys were intrepid you were there it's like watching rogan back when he still had like a webcam in his place copying tom green before it was big you guys were here before this show got more notice and uh that's good because we like to keep it under the radar and that keeps everything like uh flowing easily between we and you <laughs> 
Thank you guys all for tuning in tonight, not dropping out. And uh, who do we have to play us out tonight? What do we got? I saw the uh, recent what's her face. I don't think that's probably the thing we need to play. It's a bit do we have long. something from JP? Yeah, because yeah, he's going to be at the uh, the Greater Reset coming up on the 18th. Don't forget to get your re- uh, your tickets, the Greater Reset Conference, and uh, you know we'll see you there. Peace. Have a good night, everyone. Uh, to be a real man, you need to know how to suppress your emotions. If you're watching this, it means you're not a real man yet. So listen up. Nothing handicaps your journey into manhood more than feminine emotions. And the feminine emotions happen to be all of them. Scientifically speaking, emotions are the same thing as estrogen, so having them makes you a woman. The one exception is the emotion of happiness, because it has the word penis in it. So that's the only emotion acceptable for men to feel. So what can you do when your manhood is threatened with emotions? Answer? Take matters into your own hands and suppress them. Here's three easy ways to do that. Emotional suppression technique number one. Acquire an avoidant personality disorder. The beauty of an avoidant personality disorder is that your inner wisdom helps you avoid people and situations that could trigger emotions and their non-binary stepsister feelings. This personality dysfunction is a sign of strength that functions to make you stronger. Now conflict with your spouse or potentially any interaction with her threatens to generate feminine feelings like sadness, anger, or I think that's all of them. But your avoidant personality disorder helps you avoid your wife at just the right time, which is most of the time, so you can avoid feeling emotions. But JP, there's just one problem. What if my childhood wasn't traumatic enough to bless me with the talent of this personality disorder? Well, that's like having a childhood where you didn't even learn to walk. But there's hope for you because with enough determination, you can learn this disorder. Here's how. Anytime your wife has that look in her eyes like she just wants to talk, immediately walk out of the room. But if she follows you, then walk into the garage and start fixing And if you don't have anything to fix, then start breaking so that you have to fix. But if your wife follows you into the garage, then leave the house for between 2 and 37 hours. Then come back when she's in bed. But if she somehow catches you anyway and says, we need to talk, that means you didn't get out early enough and you'll need to fake a heart attack. Alternatively, you can have a real heart attack. Emotional suppression technique number two, hold your breath. Now, if you feel a surge of emotion coming on, the last thing you want to do is let it out. Because that'd be like being in the middle of a restaurant and you feel a big poop coming on and you just let it out. That's bad manners. So what do you do? Hold your breath. Here's how to do that. Holding your breath is basically contracting the anal sphincter of your emotions. God wouldn't have given you one if you weren't meant to use it. When the emotional surge hits your contracted emotional sphincter of you holding your breath, it'll go back down to where it's supposed to be, deep inside of you, trapped forever. But what if you're holding your breath and the emotion still wants to come out? Answer. Keep holding your breath, because eventually you'll pass out. Then when you wake up, the concussion you receive from hitting your head on the way down will be sufficient enough to render you temporarily, if not permanently, incapable of expressing emotions. The only downside to this technique is you may require ongoing medical assistance, but that means just having a sexy nurse around you all day, so it's actually all upside. Emotional suppression technique number three, stay in your head. 
Let's just say your wife is starving for emotional connection, because she probably is, and she's desperately wanting emotions out of you so she can selfishly feel safe, protected, and loved. What do you do? Answer? Stay in your head. The more emotional she is, the more logical you need to be. Seek to rationally explain away everything she's rambling about in as much intellectual detail as possible. This means when she's explaining her feelings to you, logically enlighten her about why she shouldn't be feeling that way. Take a look at the process in action. You shouldn't be feeling that way. Discounting her emotions is like putting an electrical fence up around your yard to keep your dog inside. The only difference is, it's not your dog, it's your wife, and you're trying to keep her out. Now, faking emotions is helpful when your wife wants empathy. Empathy is basically when a wounded animal wants you to limp with it. And you do that by pretending to feel the same emotion that she's feeling. And let's face it, because she's a woman, she's probably feeling sadness. Here's how to do that in three easy steps. Write the name of the emotion on your hand as a reminder. Step two, in the heat of the conversation, check your hand. Step three, pretend to feel sad with her. And now you're limping with her because that's how you do empathy. Just like the age old wisdom has it, if there's one thing better than boobs, it's fake boobs. And it's no different with emotions. The faker, the better. Frequently asked questions. Question, JP, what happens if I cry during a movie? Answer, go immediately to your doctor and get your penis x-rayed because what they'll find is it's actually a giant clit and you should be ashamed of yourself. Question, my therapist says it's bad for me to suppress my emotions and I should work on expressing them more. Answer, if you're seeing a therapist, it means you're not a real man, you're actually a woman. So congratulations, you just had your gender reveal party. In conclusion, just like the well-formed calluses on your man hands, these tried and true emotional suppression techniques will help your entire being be just as thick, tough, and full of dead skin, which is a win for you and probably nobody else. Tune in next time as we continue our journey into real manhood with a lesson on how to work out like a real man. It won't be what you think, but until then, stay hard and stay disconnected. Conspiracy is the story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at grandtheftworld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.
tune in and I drop off that's a cop out, they'll post beers, remove music. This wealthy cat was moving, stack of cash and sports cruiser, major accent deals mover, promoted fast like homeschoolers. Then noticing one day some bills that went unpaid, those scrubs they led one way, discovered some unfun game, huh? Then he was called into a meeting to disrupt and expose. But that was the day that the world froze. So stuck in the traffic and then caught in the panic, he dipped out in a frantic speed to exceed the seed planet at the event. And what would soon come connecting dots to be revealed in Project Constellation. Big props to Maria broadcasted, that's where I'd hear and get hooked on the name of Richard Grove. What he's saying is hypnotic. Synchronicity came out like chronic, all in full stride. Compadres around all sides seeking sources to provide solution. The heavy handed knowledge is Willie saying the peace revolution. Never knowing I was missing the blessing. The heaviest session recorded and revealed the ultimate history lesson in this quest. And I'm a Midwestern who's rocking it dope. Subscribe to media produced by Tragedy and Hope. And if you didn't know the gift, and here's what you've been missing and listening is where conviction is revealed in descriptions in a brain model. Don't come all hollow, but full throttle and dive in the deep end so history doesn't repeat and make it complete. Catch breath that world every week with Richard and Tony. Chop it up with the homies. And I ain't talking about that public school baloney. And it's like you should know me. Quoting God when the flow that I'm growing. And LD's bearded is showing the time capsule stack of stats is open. Yo. So spread it around, the show is ready to pounce Audience that abounds, seeking out what's profound I know it is challenging fallacies in the balance When a forensic story in it, boring men while exhorting in Examination, contemplation, meditation, revelation, celebration Destinations planned, targets arrived Autonomy crew of souls that survive Broke free from the 9 to 5 and we doing it live Hey, with hope in our flow, where consciousness grows As opposed to, you don't have to think about it Cause it's a comedy show That be bombing truth woe Trying to make uncommon truths be more commonly known That it's a grand theft world that I'm living in Ain't no reptilian skin Just some normal humans who love to sin From their banking powers they aim to win Deceive and betray all men Making everyone slaves to them It's a grand theft world that I'm hearing that Disguised like a pyramid For those tuning in they be feeling that Revealing that Things ain't what they seem so I'm fighting back And digging jack Obtaining knowledge wisdom and artifacts 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 yeah neglected aspect that's what they lack yo trivium course it'll deal with that huh be a rebel bring the logic back cause it's a grand theft world that they rolling out got the growth model out tracing rockefeller dollars straight to clouds sec connections are hard to doubt but most go the common route walking with their head in the shroud yo it's a grand theft world that i'm peering at disguised like a pyramid but those tuning in they be Revealing that, revealing that Things ain't what they seem, so I'm fighting back And digging jack, obtaining knowledge, wisdom, and artifacts Artifacts You should know It's not a video game This isn't Grand Theft Auto, folks This isn't a video game This is Grand Theft World Alright, LD It's a Grand Theft World that I'm peering at And this guy like a pyramid For those tuning in, they be feeling it Revealing that things ain't what they seem, so I'm fighting back And digging jack, obtaining knowledge Wisdom and artifacts.
If you need a single location to get cutting edge information and keep up with the rapidly changing world around us, tune into Grand Theft World, where a forensic historian and a logic professor break down the week's news in depth and in context. There's a ton more there, so go check it out. And don't forget to get your Freedom Vault on the homepage.